Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rava's Saturday afternoon program, the True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory and True History Herstory of Nasara. Blessed be on this first weekend since our summer solstice. Happy summer solstice. Happy summer to everyone out there. So let us go into our heart center and begin our work of anchoring heaven on earth, going into your sacred heart as we call forth for the full emergence and integration of our soul, our higher self, our monad, our mighty I am presence, all of our multidimensional being through to our God presence and God's presence. And we welcome everyone across the planet to join us in unity consciousness as their ascended beings, as their divine presence. And we do this by saying the following prayer. Please join me in saying, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all of my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And see everyone joining us as coming in is a beautiful golden light. That beautiful solar frequency, the highest frequencies of gold, golden solar light that we can receive here on the planet at this time. See it move in through and around you through your pillar of light, anchoring you to source, creator, all that is, anchoring you fully to the sacred heart of Mother Gaia, the crystalline heart in the center of the earth, And we see everyone joining us. Everyone's in their golden pillar of light. And connecting us all is a beautiful platinum light. That platinum light of unity consciousness. So as we allow our heart center to open and expand and our pillar to expand, we invite all humanity to do the same as we recommit ourselves to being the bridge between heaven and earth the anchor for the new golden age and the open door that no one can shut we call forth for one and all all of our soul extensions planetary and galactic that all might receive all that we receive. And for all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods, we welcome as well for each and every person, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved Twin Flame, our Ascension Council, our Mission Council. We welcome all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, 
the jiva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fury kingdom, all the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. <clears throat> we welcome as well all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healers and healing teams. All the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, all of the enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries, divine father emissaries, all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, and all ascended master healers and healing teams. We welcome as well our brothers and sisters from the Galactic Federation of Light and their healing teams, especially those that we work so closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, from Lyra as well. We welcome all the assistance of all cosmic galactic universal healers that can be of service and the entire company of heaven asking Mother, Father, God, to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify this work in divine order 999 billion times, 999 billion times. We see the earth encompassed in a golden globe of light. As we call in our circle of support, from the very first name that created it to every man, woman, and child, every family member, loved one, every pet, every animal, every friend, every neighbor, all of our communities, every nation, every military, every government, the legislative aspect of each government filled with this golden, golden, golden light. These very, very high frequencies of gold and platinum here today into the legislative aspect of each government, into all legislators, all lawmakers, on every level, federal, state, and local. Our Congress, our U.S. House of Representatives, our Senate, through to um, every provincial uh, legislature, every um, local city council, school board, whatever it is, every branch, every aspect of lawmaking and all of the laws, all of the laws being considered. We ask beloved goddess of justice and the beloved goddess of liberty to overlight each aspect of government, including all that takes place on the legislative level. We ask the same for the executive aspect of each government. Every president, every prime minister, every head of state, every cabinet post, the Department of Justice, the Department of State, all of the aspects of our executive branch here in the U.S. and in each and every nation, all those making decisions, And we call forth the goddess of liberty and the goddess of justice to overlight every judicial aspect of each government, every court of law, from the Supreme Court here in the U.S. to the highest courts in every land, 
to all national, state, and local courts, every case, every jury, every grand jury, every prosecutor, every defendant, as we call in the flame of justice, along with the golden and platinum light, to ensure only the highest takes place for every judicial decision, that divine justice take place in every situation. And we, again, call for the goddess of liberty and the goddess of justice to ensure only the highest and best takes place for all in each land. And we call forth beloved Gaia to assist us in balancing her energies as we have in the circle all destructive weather patterns. We're going to work on, on that a little bit today. We're calling in divine intervention in our prayers. And so every other situation, every other situation that we have in the circle, the marches across this nation. I haven't followed the story, but I know the women's marches were taking place on this one-year anniversary of the denial of Roe versus Wade. So we have women's rights and the right to choose in our circle of support and all the things that are going on across the planet, known and unknown to us, all conflicts, all hatred, all war, and anything that does not look like heaven on earth. And so as we hold the divine blueprint, as we hold the immaculate concept, not only for ourselves and for our health and for our divine mission, but the immaculate concept, the divine blueprint for God's plan on earth and the ascension of this planet and the full manifestation of heaven on earth. Then we hold that in, in, in divine perfection. We hold what we want to see across this planet. That's part of our task at this time. And so we invite in all the energy that people are um, bringing their attention to, whether it was the solstice celebrations or any of the events going on in June. We call forth that energy in our collective consciousness for the transformation of this planet and her people into heaven. We invite Gaia to um, participate in receiving all that we receive through all of her chakras and meridians and layers of her orc field, multidimensionally, on a conscious, on a, uh, through her ley lines and sound lines, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system. And through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site, every place of power, every stargate, every city of light. 
every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water, molecule of fire. That right here and right now all be purified with the solar frequency, the maximum that we can receive individually and collectively. And we ask that with all that we receive, every energy, every frequency, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, that be fully and easily digested and assimilated, grounded and anchored, integrated and embodied individually and collectively for all. With the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without fear on any level, without discomfort on any level, in love and light and laughter. As we integrate all the gifts here today, multidimensionally, on an individual basis and on a collective basis, for the highest and best for all. And so we call forth our divine intervention. In the name of God, Goddess, and the Great Spirit of all life, we invoke the light of divine intervention to help shift the reflection of all hatred, war, and conflict, bringing only peace and harmony individually and collectively to all destructive weather patterns and anything that is unlike heaven on earth. By and through universal law, we call into dynamic, immediate dynamic action, the spirit of the earth, the powers of nature, and the forces of the elements, the love and wisdom of the great master teacher, the legions of angels assisting Earth's evolution, and the vast intelligence of the unified field. Come now and amplify our efforts to the maximum degree, guaranteeing all unfolds in right divine order. Sacred allies through our one group presence pulse a mighty wave of transforming love through the collective heart of each soul facing the challenges of hatred, war, and conflict, disharmony of any kind, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, any of the destructive weather patterns, and so on, inspiring the highest levels of coherence, compassion, and comfort for all. And we decree, join me in saying, divine love is blazing through every heart connected to this reflection. Flood the higher minds of all people, fueling the appearance of hatred, war, conflict, blocking any peace and harmony individually and collectively, as well as all the destructive weather patterns. Flood the higher minds of all people with the light of wisdom, bringing forth the profound peace and insight born of true understanding. And decree with me now. Divine wisdom is purifying every mind connected to this reflection. Enliven every individual and group seeking to positively shift these situations. 
be it hatred, war, conflict, bringing, working those working on peace and harmony amongst all people and all the situations that you know need to be included here and live and all with the cosmic willpower to have the greatest possible impact. Let courage and inspired right action increase now. Decree with me now. Divine will is empowering every soul connected to this reflection. Every soul seeking peace, working on the environment, working to make a better world. Beloved Creator, please open, expand, and stabilize the portals of light over each and every area of the earth, especially all areas that are experiencing the effect of conflict, hatred, or war, and any destructive weather patterns and everything else that needs to be included. Stabilize each and every portal of light across this world. And through these channels, transmit a constant stream of transforming energy that significantly uplifts and empowers every being affected by these challenging circumstances. May this divine intervention and its containing matrix be made imperishable, eternally sustained, all-powerfully active and ever-expanding until the evolutionary plan is fulfilled for all life on Earth. With our deepest gratitude, it is done, so be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. As I said, I know that there were marches going on. Um, I got plenty of invites. <laughs> so um, March is going on for for women's rights. So with that, we say from our collective heart flame, we invoke the ultimate empowerment of the women's rights and all of the marches going on in the entire movement. May the galvanizing energy generated by this group activity be fully aligned with the spiritual laws that govern the universe. We call upon the deepest and highest self of all those involved, participating in every way in these events here today and the movement itself. May the power of divine will pour forth its invincibility and inspiration upon these devoted souls that they may serve as clear channels for positive transformation across the earth. Let the spiritual eye of every person supporting women's rights and equal rights and the right to choose and and all of the similar rights that need to be uh, assured for each and every human being be opened even wider revealing the truth that lay behind the outer appearances of fear, control, or separation. Extend this inner expansion to reach into the hearts of all people connected to this movement. 
and all related movements based on equal rights for all, inspiring a vast outpouring of radical forgiveness and compassion by and through the greater love within us all. Inspire this movement with the light of unity consciousness. Bless this movement with the love of unity consciousness. Charge this movement with the power of unity consciousness. May transforming energy blaze through this network of souls to help inspire the masses into empowered right action. May any media coverage for these movements and the marches going on today deliver only the highest truth with total integrity. May justice prevail in every reflection of equal rights for all. Great Spirit, please continue to expand the benevolent radiation surrounding this, these, this movement and all related movements for equality for all, blazing it forth to bless all those who are still holding on to any polarized emotions and divisive mental patterns contributing to the appearance of inequality or hatred or any of its manifestations. Help each and every person to see that we are one with the earth and with each other. Let positive change come swiftly in accordance with the highest good of all. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth all the rays, flames, universal laws, and ascension ways to continue to work with each of these situations and to create divine government as well. In the name of love and liberty, we invoke the total empowerment of a governmental body that supports the highest good of every living thing here in the United States and in every nation and in all bodies of government on national, state, and local levels. May the collective presence of the celestial realms come forth now to support the best possible outcomes in this deeply transformational work by and through universal law. Purify the governing soul of the United States of America, of each state, each city, each town, each nation, all aspects of government on federal, state, and local levels for each and every nation. Purifying them of all corrupting influences, instantly requalifying every divisive thought, polarized emotion, and discordant deed through the revolutionary power of love's intelligence. Saturate each and every leader, politician, candidate, decision maker, and all voters as well in each nation, 
along with all of the people that they serve, with the light of divine understanding. Motivate the government on all levels, and each nation, each state, each province, each city, each town across the world to take much greater action toward the cultivation of lasting peace and goodwill, both locally and internationally. Inspire the economic leaders of each nation, each state, each province, each city and town, in every nation across the world to work together in harmony to ensure the health and prosperity of all citizens, all wildlife, and the environment in this and every forthcoming generation. Empower the true spirit of democracy across the world. Great presence, please open and augment the pathways of life over every governmental building and office in Washington, D.C., nationally here in the U.S., every state and local government building and office, and the same in each and every nation, in Canada and across the three Americas, in each and every nation across the planet, and send wave after wave of transforming love into the entire consciousness of each and every location, each and every nation, state, province, city, town, at every level of being a national, state, and local level to support the highest levels of purification process possible. Let divine governance emerge quickly to serve as a potent catalyst for positive societal and systemic change. May this divine intervention and its containing matrix be made imperishable, eternally sustained, all-powerfully active, and ever-expanding until the evolutionary plan is fulfilled for the United States, for each and every nation, and for every aspect of government, national, state, and local, be it related to legislative, executive, or judiciary functioning. So be it, and so it is, with profound gratitude, it is done. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. And we call forth Gaia and Sandalphon to help us to integrate all that we are receiving here. And we give thanks for the assistance of all that is, all that we've invoked here. And I give thanks to each and every one of you for your divine service here today. We ask that this be sealed, maintained, and sustained in divine order, individually and collectively for all. 
that this first weekend after the solstice, be it the summer solstice in the northern hemisphere or the winter solstice in the southern hemisphere, that it be truly, truly transformational. And as we go through the days ahead, that it expands exponentially. Again, with ease and gentleness that we might truly transform this planet into heaven on earth. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your divine service. And I ask you to join us for further divine service every Sunday and Monday. Most every Sunday and Monday. We had to miss Monday night. My apologies. A little tornado coming my way where I was at. In any case, uh, all is well. Some trees down and no injuries. But um, in any case, it was extended further into the call. So we postponed the call. We canceled Monday. But we are there. We'll be there this Sunday and Monday. And uh, we invite you to join us for our teleconference call. We start at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, 5.45 p.m. Pacific time. We have about 25 minutes of greetings, and then Tarn Rama give us a brief update. And then we start our work in earnest of anchoring heaven on earth through our meditations, our prayers, and our invocations, our visualizations, and even our updates. So we'll have some summer solstice updates to catch up with. And the phone number to dial is area code. The one we recommend the most is 480-660-2224. The access code is 946-7441-POUND. 946-7441-POUND. Now, there's plenty of other numbers. There's local numbers. There's international numbers. There's an app, and you can get on through your computer as well, freeconference.com. And so we invite you to join us in whatever way that you can and be a regular part of our family of mind working to anchor heaven on earth each week, twice weekly. If you need that extra information for the extra phone numbers, contact me at Cheryl Croce, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. And we'll get you that information and the updates as well. So we want to take this time to thank Tarn Rama for their service as I thank each and every one of you for your service and to thank Rainbow for her service as well. 
I wish you a glorious, glorious summer. And um, summer solstice weekend. May this infinite light awaken everyone the maximum potential they can receive each day. So blessings and miracles to all. With that, I'm going to pass this brightly blazing talking stick to Rainbird with the golden and platinum light, as well as all the rays and all the sparkles you can imagine. I pass it on to you, Rainbird. Thank you, dear. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for that talking stick, and thank you for your divine service as well. We're grateful for all that you bring to our lives each week. So lots of gratitude for you, and we are a listener-supported radio program, so it's each of us that makes it happen. So I have a little housekeeping to do. And uh, each week we need, we're need we needing uh, $326.50 for our radio, CBS. And this, we got, we're $280.95 short from last week. So that's a grand total of $604.45 that we need this week. And, uh, it takes each of us to make it happen. So let's see how, take a look at how we do that. Go into your heart space. See what is yours to give. And then go to bbsradio.com. And there on the homepage, you'll see the schedule listed for radio station one and radio station two. Um, this program's on radio station two, the truth is to Hershey and Nasser and our galactic origins. And you'll see that listed at 3.30 hour at Central Time. And there's an icon there. As you click on that icon, that takes you directly to our account with CBS Radio. Our programs on Radio Station 1 are the night at the round table at the 8 o'clock hour on Thursday. And uh, you can click on that icon and make a donation there. And then the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama is at the 8 o'clock hour on Friday. So you'll see that listed there. You click on that icon. That takes you to our account where you can make a donation in any amount. So thank you for taking that action. And thank you for all the ways you show up in your life. Um, so we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And this week, there you have $280 worth of bills due. And they need $200 for their um, living expenses. They also um, have a GoFundMe account that you can access. So I'll talk about that in a minute. Let's talk about how we make a contribution to Tara and Rama. You want to go to rainbowroundtable.net, the Rainbow Roundtable website. And there on the home page, you'll see a menu grid. Click on that, and you'll see a donate link near the bottom of that list. Click on that, and that takes you to the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account. And you can make a donation there at any amount using your bank card. And if you want to access the friends option, just scroll down that there to see the heart in the heart. You click on that, and then they want you to enter the email address for your gifting. 
So that email address that you want to enter is as follows, Coran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. And so there you go. Two ways to do it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the action. Either way is perfect. Um, we're grateful for your contributions. As you're sending something, please let Rama know in that email to send him that notification would be Koran, K-O-R-E-N, 999 at Comcast.net. Let him know what you sent, when you sent it, and that way he can plan his life. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> what else? Um, oh, yeah, as you need it, uh, the mailing address is Rom D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D, Mill Mitchell, Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567 is the zip code. I'll say it again, Santa Cruz. New Mexico, 87567. So they have all the information you need for <clears throat> making those donations through PayPal. We also have a GoFundMe account, and you can access that link at the website as well. The GoFundMe account is for Tara and Rollins to get a new car or a used car. And um, <clears throat> so we're grateful for your contributions there. And we also have a um, fundraiser that we're working with for all of ourselves, and we have a way to sign up for that. It's called NFT Rewards, and that stands for Non-Fungible Token Rewards. And uh, this has been approved by KOS as a... a thing to do that's in alignment with Minnesota happening. And also, who else talked about it? I think it was uh, Natasha talked about it the other day. And she also agreed with that, that this is a good thing to do. So we, we have the backing of the people we know and love that this is a good thing to do, and that's always good to know. And it has been SEC approved. And, there were rule changes that came into effect that allowed network marketing to be legal in the way it's presented here. And uh, so I want to give you where you go to register to be with <clears throat> under Tara and Lamas. So that address is nftrewards.biz. And so NFT is N as in Nancy, F as in Fred, T as in Tom, rewards.biz, B-I-Z or Z, forward slash register, forward slash, and then the username for Taran Rama is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999. Koran, 999. So that's how you would sign up under them, register under them. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's set up with a suite where you can um, do that networking in that way, and there are other ways to do it as well. So um, <laughs> lots of gratitude for that, and 
So there you go. Those are all the ways that we can make contributions to Tara and Lama. And again, we're grateful for all your participation. Thank you for gifting, paying it forward. Thank you for supporting these two in the work that they do. And uh, they pretty much work 24-7. <laughs> They're on it all the time. So lots of gratitude for Tara and Rama for everything they do. Um, let us, what else? I think that we've covered everything. So I'm going to pass this talk to Nick. I want to say 13 thank yous, honey in the heart. Live long and prosper, no evil. And this talking stick has all those, the gold and the platinum rays and all the other rays and lots of gem energy and lots of fairies and feathers. And I see that dragon energy is there and the unicorns are present and lots of little people, all the menahunis and the dwarves and the elves and, uh, Fairies and feathers everywhere. So greeting, Tarn Rama. Here comes the talking stick. Welcome. Greetings, everyone. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Rainbow. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Rainbow. Thank you, everyone. Thank we, you, everyone. <laughs> we are so grateful to be here. Yes. We move a little more slowly in the heat. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite warm. But a cool, a coolness of, uh, body and mind, uh, in the sense of, uh, remaining calm, right? Yes. There's a, I mean, in one day's news, there was this uh, group, it's called, well, there's this person, his name is Prigozhin, and he had 25,000 military, Russian military, and he was marching his military from a, I don't remember the name of the city, I well, was it? it began with an R. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's around here somewhere. Rago, Rago, Rago. I'm sorry. I. Um. Hmm. It's okay. <laughs> it, it's, it was a six-hour march. And halfway there, all of a sudden, out of the blue, they didn't give any reason, he ordered his soldiers to turn around and go back where they came from. And that happened middle of the story today. Mm. <laughs> and uh, we're going, what's going on here? And you've got to remember, everybody, that... There is a fake Putin uh, that the deep state put in there. Putin is an immortal uh, approaching 500 years in that same body. 
in an underground base in the far <coughs> eastern. <coughs> you okay? Eastern portion of Russia, hanging out with Andromedans. Mm-hmm. So this drama, I'm getting the drift of when Putin had his soldiers surround uh, Ukraine, right? Completely. Uh, and then he disappeared from the scene. And then the fake Putin, meaning our deep state, took over the story. Um, <coughs> and it was kind of like they had to because Putin just said bye. <laughs> so this is a very interesting unraveling right now, and that's divinely uh, guided in a way. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Uh, and that the closure of the old system is the end of polarity as we have known it. And it's called, we've been talking about this <coughs> for many decades now since the harmonic convergence for sure. Sure, unity consciousness. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Did you put something down a Sunday pipe on a weekday? Sort of. <laughs> okay. Just um, getting my breath. Okay. Can you do you want to share something, Rama? Um. <coughs> oh. <coughs> Thank you. <laughs> we'll let you be. Yeah. Let me get my breath here. Okay. Um, what I could say about this fiasco is <laughs> it's it's not not pretty because they are playing with the technologies of war and filling the people's consciousness with these images. That all I could say is it's like one step away of Vader's troops and the stormtroopers landing and, uh, you know, hail to the empire. And we, you know, we have this empire and they're trying to take on another empire over there. And um, it's not Putin. It's the oligarchs. It's about the money honey, and it goes deeper than that. 12,000 years of lies. 12,000 years? 12,000 years of lies by the fallen angels. This is where it Why all do you stipulate 12? Because the flood happened 12,000 years ago. No, no. And I know that there is a controversy about the date. It was, it was, uh, in, it was in the, um, BC, it was in, uh, the 11th century BC. I just know. 10,000 something something, almost to the 11th. I, we go round and round with this and I gotta say. That was in Secret Places of the Lion. That's the truth. And it's an old, older book too. Oh uh, no, that's, 
that's not changing the truth that's in there. I know. But mother's mother is she who was here before all the gods were here and she does not ever have a length of time. She's <laughs> completely Okay. Immortal. Okay, well it doesn't matter. I I mean in the historical references. I think there's a lot of things that need to be corrected and that will be corrected because there's discoveries that once these guys are out of here, they will be coming forward and people are going to go, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a, a, off on a tangent that one of those characters that was on that small submarine to went to look at the Titanic, one of those billionaire characters, I'm not sure which, he was a friend of Buzz Aldrin. And Buzz Aldrin... He was it, down in Antarctica. He went down there to look at whatever Buzz Aldrin looked at, which was the advanced ET technology. So, so something put a scare in him. In Buzz Aldrin, saw. yeah. What else did he see that scared the living daylights out I'm of him? I'm sure he saw reptilians and other folks from other systems, and this is the story that needs to be told. That well, dark, why would it scare him? Uh, Those weren't dark ones, were they? See, that's the piece that no one's really talking about. And I gotta well, say, did you ask? When, uh, no, I didn't ask. But when the U.S. military are there in other world uh, countries with their military battalions, wait a minute, not other world countries, other world beings from off the planet. Well, I'm saying the U.S. is down there. Maybe the Russians, maybe the Chinese, maybe the Israelis. Oh, I see. You mean you don't mean otherworldly. You mean yeah, other countries. Other countries, okay. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it's about telling the whole story of what happened 10,000, 12,000 years ago, and Enkin and Will were in the middle of it, and when that gets finally told, there can be closure to this, because it directly relates to these filthy rich people who run our Congress and our other so-called governments. Well, I'm just remembering what um, we've been told about the enactment of the Sara Law, all the old money of super wealthy that was done without a human heart, much less any other intentions except for their own aggrandizement and power and all of that, it'll have a big zero in there, like in that movie Ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we begin again. Mm-hmm. Mm. And there'll be about 500,000 that'll be going for a little ride on some starships and be tried in, in an intergalactic war crimes tribunal. By King Dracos and Princess Sardala, his daughter. And they'll be charged with intergalactic crimes against humanity, of which people in general on this planet don't know anything about. 
What did they do, Rama? And to the, the galactic realms, what did they do? Uh, all I could say is go watch Star Wars again and you'll <laughs> understand what George Lucas was saying. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, without much ado, we shall begin. Yeah. Tell everybody what you're going to start with. This is Aurora Ray talking about, this is a Kriya, uh, Kriya Yoga technique to activate your Kundalini. And this is how we get into that oneness state where magic and miracles can happen, because all time is now. Here we go. I'm about to share with you is my number one technique for getting my prayers answered. This is how I attract big opportunities and love, money, career, well-being to flow freely toward me. Everything is energy. This technique allows you to create a radiant energy body through which all things are attracted to your life. It just takes a few minutes minimal effort and it's super fun and you'll feel fantastic afterwards so make sure you watch the entire video first let's recap what i covered in the last two videos in this series i showed you why the old piscean way of teaching information that can't give you energy and can't create an experience isn't the way to awaken dormant dna and ascend into 5d you want to feel and look better, younger, and refreshed. You want to manifest your desires and feel grounded, happy, and relaxed when you take on your day-to-day -day responsibilities. But above all, you want to open your third eye and you want to experience energy and learn to generate and manipulate it. We talked about these things in my last two videos, and I also explained why the Kundalini activation technique is the most powerful, fastest, and most fun of any other technique on the planet. I've also shared how you can start immediately. So if you haven't seen those videos, I recommend you see those first. Now, I'm super excited to teach you my favorite technique of all time, it's a kriya, which means complete action, and is comprised of different techniques. So this practice works on all your 10 bodies simultaneously to create a quantum shift. First, you're going to sit in a cross-legged position. Then you're going to perform a mudra with your hands and fingers. This mudra will balance the left and right hemispheres of your brain, which basically means that if for example, you're a lawyer. You may have a stronger capacity in the left side of your brain and therefore lack the creative vision of your dreams, which is a crucial part of manifestation. But if you're an artist, you may lack the ability to create a business as a right-brainer. We live in a time that requires us to use both hemispheres of the brain in balance. So different parts of the hands stimulate, heal, reprogram, and repair different parts of the neurological system. Interlace the fingers of both hands. Women place the left thumb on top of the right, and men place the right thumb on top of the left. 
Press your palms together and sit in a prayer pose with your arms under pressure. Okay, there is pressure everywhere. Sit very straight. The chin is tucked in. We're going to sing a mantra to some beautiful high-frequency music. Mantras are extremely powerful sounds that can reprogram your entire electromagnetic field in just one minute. For anything that you need, there's a perfect mantra. You may say, I need success, I need health, I need to improve my communication skills. Whatever it is, by utilizing the power of sound, we connect to the frequency of our desires. Here are the lyrics. Ardas Bai, Amardas Guru, Amardas Guru, Ardas Bai, Ramdas Guru, Ramdas Guru, Ramdas Guru, Sachi Sahi. The sound of the mantra will reprogram your electromagnetic field with the frequency of your wish. So don't worry if you don't get the words right the first time. Just mimic the sound. You want to connect to the sound current. Eyes are closed and focused on the third eye. Your breath will regulate itself as you chant out loud along with the music. Throughout the practice, keep the eyes focused on the third eye closed and keep the pressure on your arms and hands. Press the palms together, press the thumbs into your heart chakra. Not a singing contest, we're chanting. Chant out loud to the music.
Now take a deep breath in, hold the posture, keep the eyes closed and focus on the third eye, hold the breath. Project your wish with your exhale into your aura. Slowly release the breath and lower the hands and rest them on your knees. Eyes are closed and focus on your third eye. Feel the vibration of the mantra in your body. Feel the expansion of your aura. My beautiful people, if you like this technique, my upcoming Ascension Activation training is packed with my best tricks such as meditations, breathwork, mudras, mantras, yoga, and sound healing. And everything is guided by amazing music. This is my most powerful training ever and contains the most magical and powerful Kundalini activation techniques that I have practiced in the last 15 years to generate energy organize it within my chakras and shift myself to higher consciousness. In the next video, I'll show you the complete blueprint from beginning to end that you need to follow to attract the big opportunities in love, money, career, well-being and health in a way that they flow freely toward you. I'm literally drawing the curtains and showing you every single step you have to take to shift your frequency into a higher dimension and manifest abundance. You don't want to miss out on that video because I literally share the complete game plan with you. Thank you, beautiful family of life, for watching this video. Stay tuned for the next video that I'm posting really soon. I'll see you there. just um, can say that what Aurora Ray is bringing forth my father worked with me with this with Yogananda's teachings back in the 60s and the Kriyas really do work and they change your life as you diligently do this, it does awaken the siddhas, I call it the Jedi abilities. And um, this lady knows her stuff. <laughs> uh, she is a, I could say, female Yoda here, so to speak. <laughs> if there are females of Yoda's uh species <laughs> I have to explore that more in the Star Wars universe <laughs> well you want to share what we're going to do next Rama? Um I wanted to make one quick comment then that is that um, NFT non-fudgenable Non-fungible tokens. Dot biz. Right? Yes. NFT rewards. NFT rewards. Rewards. 
stop biz forward slash Cora nine nine nine. Is that it? I think I gotta go look. <laughs> no, you have to put the word register in there. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay, NFT. Thank you, Rainbird. NFT rewards dot, dot biz forward slash re, uh, register register forward slash Cora nine nine nine. Is that right, Rainbird? Absolutely, you got it. Okay. I just want to say it's working, and it is by the King of Swords words and Tom the Cat and the Poppy Lady. They all and Lady Natasha. They said this is the new economy, and it's based in receiving abundance every day. And then we are grateful. We praise, thank, respect, and love all those other feelings and let them go and see our way to a new way of being in the world. And we have, I mean, it just started today. Yeah. And we see it in our back office there. It's waking. It's working, yes. And you can watch it build every single day. So I also pick up that that's because we're in the Nasara enactment period. We are, I could say, as we are watching the 13 families fight it out amongst each other. And they'd like to engage us in the mix, yet... They got they got to be worrying about their own skins. That's what you were saying this morning when they said that the uh, Pergosian, what's his name? Yeah, I don't know. military general, he turned his troops around and told yeah. them to go back where they came from. <coughs> they were going to have a civil war right in the capital of what? Russia in Moscow. Yeah, I mean... It, it just makes no sense except to say that it is the empires fighting against each other because of the hegemony, which is a... Except, except for three presidents. Even though, uh, but we were told this decades ago that President Xi... President uh, Putin and President Obama were working for the higher light. And it has to do with no violence, number one. No violence. I mean, we're the only country on earth that uses the death penalty. There is an, well, China does. They have a. And Iran, and Saudi Arabia. Yeah. But, okay, the only first world country yeah. was, was a, 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 some facsimile, facsimile of a democratic point of view on the planet. Mm. <laughs> what? 
Yes, I can say that. Um, yeah, I would say the Western countries are the ones that, of all the Western countries, I mean, there's no death penalty in the, except for the United States. That one you got right. Anyway, where politics, science, and religion unify in a field of love is really what the Nasara law will bring because it's going to be universal. Everybody will have all their cultures and their dollars that look different and represent all the cultures, but the global economy will be based in where politics, science, and religion work within unity consciousness for the whole. And I think we're going to hear a whole <laughs> lot about that when we play this. Tell everybody what this is. This is uh, Teresa Boulard talking with um, at the Awakening Conference in Blackpool, England with uh I don't know the lady's name exactly, but we'll find out here. And what are they talking about? Delving into quantum mysteries. Okay. How long is this? 50 minutes. Here we are at the Awakening UFO and Conscious Life Expo in Blackpool. It is Europe's premier consciousness event where we're delving much deeper than just the nuts and bolts of ufology, ancient civilizations, metaphysics. And we are actually looking into our multidimensionality. Right now, we are joined with a very special guest, Dr. Teresa Bullard-Wyke. Thank you for being with us today. I'm just going to briefly introduce Dr. Teresa, but I just want to mention this incredibly important exclusive interview is working in affiliation with Zohar Entertainment and Gaia. I'm Kristen Gillespie, your conscious investigative reporter, and I'm going to introduce Teresa now. Dr. Teresa Bullard-Wyke. You're a physicist, an author, a speaker, an international teacher, a change agent, and host of Mystery Teachings on Gaia TV. Throughout her lifelong journey, she has discovered innovative ways to weave together her formal education as a PhD physicist with her deep training in the modern mystery school lineage. I can't wait to get into that. <laughs> she has a passion for bridging science and spirituality in a practical way. Dr. Teresa has presented to live audiences around the world since 2002, helping thousands of people awaken to their greater potential, find deeper meaning and purpose, and achieve greater success in life, fusing modern-day quantum physics with powerful, time-tested techniques for harnessing consciousness. Dr. Teresa brings a truly fresh, mind-expanding, and powerfully altering approach. So, Dr. Teresa, you've pondered the biggest questions like, who are we? Where are we from? What's our purpose? How has your experience within the mystery school tradition helped you gain access to the answers to these questions? Mm. Well, you know, so much of our ways in which we're brought up in the world that tries to tell us that who we are and what we are is based on our personality, our physical body, the family we come from, our religion, our job, all these things that are based on outer circumstances and, um, <clears throat> you know, things that are not us, they're outside of us. And yet we try to define ourselves by those. And yet with when you study into the ancient mystery school tradition, 
it's helping you really come to know who you are from the inside out versus from the outside in. So it's really about getting in touch with your your core essence. What is it that makes me me? What is it when I say I or I am this or I am that? Who is that I? Right. And and so what I have found through the mystery school tradition is that our who we really are and what we really are is this eternal essence that is pure awareness, intelligence. And, you know, it has wisdom and we have all the knowledge that we need already inside of us. At a personality level, we've forgotten that knowledge, but our journey in life is just a process of remembering what is already within us. So mystery school tradition is always about know thyself. And as we come to know who we are, what we are, both our strengths and our weaknesses, our light and our dark, um, and we then come to understand our life, you know, how things are flowing in our life, why certain things are manifesting or happening the way they are. And we come to understand more of the, the world and how the world's are reflecting us back to us. And then we understand how we are also a reflection of the universe and it, and it continues on. And, you know, just from a physicist perspective, we often may say well, everything is energy and that we are energy. And the way that metaphysics comes in and adds to that, it says, yes, we are energy and that energy is intelligent, that there is an awareness, there is a consciousness to that, there is a spiritual side to that, something beyond the physical. And that is really where our true essence resides. As I'm listening to you, I'm really feeling the magic coming through your words, Mm -hmm. especially vocabulary like re remembering it's a loaded word isn't it we know how important semantics are in the mechanics of creation now if we take your concepts a bit further and i think this conference is really thirsty for an influence such as yours which is quite feminine in nature how can we bring in that sacred feminine energy into a traditionally masculine dominated industry such as ufology <laughs> you know it's interesting because i've i run in many circles right i've i've been in the physics world which is very masculine dominated i've i've been in the alchemy world which is very masculine dominated and then i've been in the you know the more spiritual personal growth field which are very women dominated there's a lot more women in them than men and you know i find that the sciencey more intellectual approaches to metaphysics and all you know trying to understand the universe tend to be more like attract more of the men because it's, it's logical it's grounded um and, and it's practical in some ways or we can we can wrap our hands around it it's tangible right Whereas in the in the more personal growth or more spiritual feeling oriented healing arts, it's more feeling. It's it's about how we feel inside. It's a resonance that is more intuitive. It's more non. Uh, it's not about the logic. It's a. It's not even about the emotion. It's more just about this is what I feel. You know, from a from a more right brain or intuitive perspective. So I think when it comes to bringing the feminine into this world of, you know, ufology is to recognize, first of all, that everything in the universe has both feminine and masculine principles to them. Um, the masculine is more the outward reaching. It's more the, the purpose-driven 
expansion of seeking out and trying to, you know, express its, its light, its essence. The feminine is more about the inward process, the what's going on inside of us. And one of the things that I introduced uh, during my presentation was an experience, you know, to, okay, let's not just talk about it and, and, and stay in the realm of the mind and the, the intellectual. Let's bring it in to the body. Let's feel this for a moment. Let's really have an experience of connecting to the energy and, and, and noticing what does that do inside of me? Right? How does that shift? If we chant something or we do a meditation or we meditate upon a, a sacred geometric glyph, for example, um, and we, we work with some of these formulas that come from the ancient mystery tradition and that moves something inside of us. And when we can get more in touch with the subtle vibrations, the inner experience that we're having, then we can uh, bring more of the feminine in because the feminine is, is about holding that container and what's happening inside of that container. It's about the energetic, uh, field. It's, it's what are we receiving? Not just what are we trying to connect with out there? It's, it's about connecting in here. And, um, I think that there's more patience that's involved with the feminine, uh, more nurturing, you know, how does this help us to heal? How does this help us to raise our vibration, to become more whole as humans? Um, but we need both sides. We need both the masculine and the feminine. So I think as we move forward in our world uh, today and, and into the future, we're coming to this time where there's emerging, you know, where the feminine and the masculine are trying to come together and walk hand in hand again versus it's female dominated, male dominated, matriarchy or patriarchy, you know. Let's get rid of all of that. And it's not about being, we're all equal. It's not about, we're all, we're definitely all equally important, equally needed, but we have different functions. We have different ways of flowing energy. And that's, that's an important thing to recognize because that is part of the formula of creation. We would not have creation without masculine energy and which is more force and feminine energy, which is more formative. We need both for creation. And this is physics just as much as it is about you and I and, and you know, yeah. our dynamics in, in the world uh, socially as humans. So we need both. And we're coming to this time where we're meant to be co-creating as men and women. We're meant to be finding that perfect balance between a masculine way and a feminine way, the yin, the yang, working together, creating harmony and um, balance together. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I hope that that helps, you know, See, like, how can we bring more of this feminine approach into the ufology is like, well, let's let's experience not just from a phenomenology perspective, which is, again, more about like what's happening out there, but more from a what's happening in here and what can I do to connect to that source and feel it inside in my inner world versus just recognize it and see it in the outer world. I am getting goosies as I listen to you because I'm very touched by the high vibrations that you are bringing, not only to this event, but also to the world of ufology and beyond to our world, our Mm -hmm. earth. And it is so needed right now. I do subscribe to the idea that feeling is healing. Would you agree? Well, first becoming aware of what we're feeling. Uh, so awareness, I would say, is the key to our healing. The more we bring the awareness in, 
the more the light can come in, the more we can bring then that healing and transformation that is needed. So, yeah. Do you believe that emotions are indeed dimensions in a sense? I believe that emotions are a form of energy that is expressed from higher realms, you know, from more spiritual realms through our soul. And an emotion is sort of like our soul's language, a way of communicating something to us that we need to pay attention to on the inner inner planes versus just what's going on out there. It's like, yeah, okay, maybe some external event might trigger the emotion. But what is it saying about what I really feel inside? What are the what are these emotions trying to tell me? Do I need healing? Is this something I need to be aware of? Is it something that is bringing me upliftment or is it bringing the energy down, right? So I think emotions are an energy and those energies definitely come from higher planes. Speaking of emotions and feelings, it seems we are all searching for deeper meaning in life. Mm. But what does it mean to be truly multidimensional? Well, I have, um, I mean, what put me on my search ultimately was that search for deeper meaning. You know, I was, I was pursuing the intellectual as a scientist and, and the physics and trying to understand the universe and so forth. But in the end, it was like, why am I doing this? Is it just so I can get a job and, you know, or pass that degree or follow the system? Or is it, is there something deeper behind this? And ultimately it was that search for meaning that put me on that spiritual path. Uh, to search into the metaphysical realms beyond the physical. And, um, you know, so, so meaning is important, right? It brings joy into our life, that sense of purpose. Um, and when we, when we have a sense of purpose and joy from having a meaningful life, it fulfills us, right? Rather than having to seek just temporary pleasures or happiness, which is kind of a, usually based on outer circumstances, we can have true fulfillment by searching for what is going to bring meaning and purpose into our life. Um, and then that's from an inside out because it's about what I'm bringing to the world, not just about what I'm experiencing in the world. It's about what I'm expressing from the inside out. Um, so, yeah, there's a sense of, of real alignment with who we are and why we're here when we step into fulfilling that deeper meaningful life and purposeful life. But living a multidimensional life is realizing that your purpose isn't just one thing, you know, that you can have many things that you're here to do, many things you're here to experience, to enjoy, to express, you know, in many different creative ways. It's about recognizing that we aren't just, we aren't just one dimensional. We aren't two dimensional. We're not even three dimensional. We are multidimensional. And the more that we become aware of our multidimensionality beyond this 3D physical experience, we have so much more going on at, at these higher realms. You know, we have our soul, we have our spirit, we have all these different dimensions above and beyond this physical existence, and yet all of it is here now. And we can experience all of it here now. It's almost like different um, radio stations playing, you know, and and... If we were to set up a radio you know, receiver right now, we could tune the dial into all these different stations and we would pick up on different, you know, state, you know, music or maybe news or different information coming from these different stations. So it's all here right now. And what we need to do to, to tune into our multidimensionality is learn how to adjust our dial 
based on shifting consciousness. So as we learn to shift consciousness and then use clear intention of what we're trying to tune into, um, then we can start accessing more of that multidimensionality, the information coming in from those higher higher frequencies and um, and and lower frequencies. And what do we choose to, you know, pay attention to and resonate with and so forth? And then that can inform our life. And then it's not just about being aware of what's going on out there. It's about okay, now how do I take that in? And apply it here now in this density so that we can manifest more of our full potential into this physical life. So it's like bringing all of that infinite possibility and, you know, manifesting that by living an abundant life, living a joyful life, living a, an exciting life, you know, really expressing multiple gifts that are all from within our spirit and bringing it into fruition and actualization in the world. What we focus on, we feed, right? Yeah, for sure. What's uh, what you focus on expands, and you know which wolf are you going to feed inside of you, so to speak, you know, and and that's the one that's going to rule your life. So we learn to focus on, you know, that we are more than just one thing. Right? There are many things. Absolutely, mm-hmm. Dr. Teresa is really grounding a lot of these cosmic concepts. Mm. Now, I want to turn the conversation to the Kabbalistic text of the Book of Formation that you talk about. Is it truly an instruction manual for life? Well, well, I would say Kabbalah is an instruction manual for life, but that is a vast system of oral teachings and uh, different practices and ways in which we can apply this very esoteric knowledge and, and these concepts that are taught in Kabbalah and then apply it to life. Um, so, so Kabbalah itself is like called the study of life or one thing that we could describe it as is the study of life. The Sefer Yetzirah, which is one of the oldest written texts of the Kabbalistic tradition. Now, Kabbalah is a oral tradition that's very ancient, um, and mostly its teachings and knowledge were handed down from mouth to ear through the oral storytelling and transmission of knowledge through, you know, teachings and so forth. But in around the first century and then, you know, later in, in the 11th century, you know, 11th century and so forth, more of the, the Kabbalistic knowledge from the oral tradition was being written down. And one of those that was first written down was a book called the Sefer Yetzirah, the Book mm-hmm. of Formation. Now, this book, if you read it, it's really short. It's like 30 pages, maybe. Um, but when you read it, it doesn't it doesn't really uh it's not something that you're going to just understand from today's way of thinking. You read and you're like, what in the world are they talking about? But when you have the oral teachings and you read it, it's actually an alchemical codex. It's a codex for how the universe was created, how the divine source created space itself, how it created all things in the universe, working with what we call the the 22 letters of um, and numbers, which were like frequencies of energy. The letters were more like patterns of energy and um, a, like a language of creation. And then sounds, which were the expression of those energies out into a way that would actually form and shape matter. And then it gets into this very elaborate um, process of how uh, the divine source, for example, created what combinations of letters were used. Um, and every, what you have to understand is that these, um, Hebrew letters are not like our modern day alphabets. You know, it, they were, these are, there's certain ancient languages like Hebrew, kanji, 
Sanskrit. You know, these are some of the ancient languages that are still intact today that we understand and how we can maybe translate them into our modern languages. But in those times, those languages were volumes worth of information. They were archetypes. They were like holographic information packed into one letter. As we unpack the information contained within just a single letter, again, these are letters, these are language of creation. They're not like a letter like our normal alphabet. And there's volumes and volumes of information contained within them. And this is what Kabbalah is trying to study and understand is we call them numbers, letters and sounds. But in today's, you know, maybe more scientific terminology, we could call it energy, like frequencies. We could call it um, movement and transformational process um, of how we go from one state of energy to another state of energy. We And then we have like the expression the outward um, form of those energies that we can actually perceive how it's how it's you know expressed out to actually create the universe. Um, so it can, it can tie into string theory, for example. It can tie into quantum physics. This is how deep these things are. But in the ancient times, they you know had a metaphorical language of talking about them as numbers, letters, and sounds. And so the Sefer Yetzra is very much about all of these letters and these numbers and what their meanings are and some of the principles that they address and they deal with and what the sequences that we use and how we combine them together to create formulas for manifesting things. And they say like everything in the, in, in that's ever been created in our universe or will ever be created in our universe is made of these 22 letters in some combination or another. You can almost think of them like, um, you know, like your periodic table, you know, they're like the basic elements, but this is now at a much more cosmic, like string theory level or, you know, quantum physics level. It's, it's deep. As you get deeper and deeper into it, there's so many layers and layers that you can come to understand when you meditate upon and you have the oral teachings from Kabbalah and then you meditate upon what is revealed and written down in the Sefer Yetzirah. But if you haven't ever studied and, and, and heard the oral teachings from Kabbalah, it's hard to really just sit and read the Sefer Yetzer and understand it, right? So it's one of those things that needs decoding. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about the flame letters or fire codes that are often spoke of, and yeah. I'm still try, trying to wrap my head around myself, yeah. actually. <laughs> How do those relate to our DNA? Mm, that's a great question. I love that. So one of the ways in which the fire letters uh, come into our DNA, it's interesting because, you know, within us, within our body, we talk about earth, water, air, and fire um, at many different levels, but the fire within us would actually be contained within the DNA. And, and we know from science today that our DNA, it's not just the double helix. There's far more going on inside of the DNA than just that. But there is light that is actually created, generated, emitted, and received by our DNA, that light is like fire. And so um, in the tree, in the, the double helix, for example, if you were to just unwind it, you would see this, it looks like a ladder, right? And the, and the base pairs come together. Well, that ladder structure is actually the tree of life, the sacred geometry of the tree of life. If you were to stack tree of life upon tree of life upon tree of life, it forms that ladder and then you just give it that clockwise twist and you create your double helix. 
Um, so the tree of life, and, and we could, we could expand upon that, which is something that I do in uh, my mystery teaching series, especially in season two. Um, there's an episode, uh, I think it was episode two of season two of mystery teachings where I get really deep into the DNA and uh, what we know scientifically about it, as well as what we know metaphysically about it from ancient mystery school teachings. And so the DNA is, you know, we've got the tree of life as its core structure. And within the tree of life, we have the numbers, the letters, and the sounds that are emitted by it. And then, um, so all, all the 22 Hebrew letters, all of the fire letters, let's say, come together in this very particular pattern that forms the core structure of our DNA. So what scientists know of as our DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, that's just the chemical port part of it. There's so much more going on at a deeper um, blueprint level inside the structure of the DNA. And the, the sacred geometries are often the forms that the physical reality are built upon. And the tree of life is one of the most important sacred geometries we could learn to, you know, that we could study and learn about. I love the concept of having a divine blueprint, but it seems that we have potentially imprints that almost overlay on our blueprint, perhaps coming from societal conditioning, even false matrix programming. Mm. How do we make sure that we are indeed living as true as possible to our own divine blueprint? Mm. That's another great question. I love your questions. Um, Gosh, you know, yes, we, we have our divine blueprint and then we have this, indoctrination let's say this programming that's come in from our if i if i may if i'm just going to use the analogy of the matrix you know our life in the physical matrix and that matrix makes us think that this is this is it that this is who we are this is all there is the physical and and the society and so forth but that is an illusion you know that is a that is an indoctrination it's a program that has caused us to forget our true nature but you know, so it kind of distorts as, as the information is coming down through, you know, from the quantum, from the spiritual, through the quantum, through our DNA and into our physicality. It's like that matrix overlay that comes in and distorts the original divine blueprint. And this is why we fall out of alignment with who we really are and our true potential. So one of the things that we do in the modern mystery school is to help to plug you back in straight to that divine blueprint that's there but it needs it's like the lights have gotten turned off on it because we've fallen so out of alignment with it that it's gone dormant in some ways and so there's um these ancient modalities that have been passed down through the mystery school tradition from at least the time of king solomon but i think they go back even further to ancient egypt and 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 maybe even beyond that which is about awakening, you know, in some of the ancient Egyptian and even ancient um, uh, Sumerian, you know, you can see in, in Mesopotamian, you can see some of the hieroglyphs or the carvings of the gods. And they're, you know, they're, they're holding a pine cone to the back of the head or they're holding an ankh to the back of the head. Those are ancient rememberings or, or messages about reactivating um, the blueprint, the key of life, right? The Ong, for example, is the key to eternal life. And so there is these ancient practices and methods from the mystery school traditions that are about reawakening that original blueprint and turning on the light, turning on those keys within us that are held within our DNA. 
And in particular, they often relate to the pineal gland, which is said to be the seat of consciousness that interfaces from, you know, from the spirit and the soul into the body. Um, but it's really more than just the pineal. It's the pituitary, the, the hypothalamus, the old brain, the brainstem, all of that, that, that system needs to get reawakened. And so we can go in, um, because not only are we physical, we have what is called an etheric body that is like a, uh, an energetic blueprint to who we are. And anything that's happening physically is also reflected or, or its source is more in the etheric. And so we can go in there uh, when you have a skilled practitioner who's been highly trained within the, the mystery school lineage, they can go in and they can reactivate the light. They can turn on those codes again within that etheric so that it feeds the right information into the physical. And it's bringing in a new stimulus that aligns you again with your original divine blueprints, who you really are. Um, more intuition starts coming in, more self-awareness starts coming in, more realignment, recognition of your purpose starts coming in, more awareness of energy around us, our perceptions expand. You know, these things start to happen with that awakening, reawakening of our DNA. Now, this, the way we, what we call it in the mystery school tradition is a life activation. And then we also have um, higher levels of it. We have a full spirit activation. We have a galactic activation. We have... You know, etheric body, you know, we have all these different levels of activations because, as we said before, we are multidimensional. So there's no one thing that's going to be the the fix-all. You know, it's no magic bullet. It's like, oh, here, let me take all your problems away. Boom. No, we, it's, a, it's a journey, and it's meant to be a journey. We're meant to work for it because as we have to strive and overcome and work and conquer the hurdles, both the internal hurdles, you know, some of those places where we might resist change or resist you know, rising up into a greater level of empowerment, which people do, um, we have to overcome those internal hurdles. But then we also have to overcome the external hurdles where people might say, oh, you're, you're just you're just crazy. You know what? Stop thinking about it. Just start focusing on something that's more practical. You know, all the ways in the matrix that we disempower people from realizing, you know, their greatness. So we have to overcome those hurdles because in the process of overcoming, we become stronger. And in order to rise into our full strength and potential and, and manifest and realize that, we have to become stronger through conquering those hurdles. And so the obstacle is the thing that we must learn to move past. You know, uh, Marcus Aurelius said, the obstacle is the way. Jesus Christ said, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are a few that find it. But broad is the gate and easy is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go there. Uh, or I might have that, you know, turned around. But the easy path is not the path to your full potential. The difficult path is. And, and it's, a, it's a path of, of walking the middle way, right? The, the path of balance. And so this is all the things that we do within the Mystery School lineage is how to walk that path of balance, how to you know, really overcome the hurdles, really strengthen from within. And it's not about the knowledge. It's about the tools of empowerment that are handed down to you so that you can take them and use them for yourself, work them in your life, gain your own strength, awaken your own potential. Because, you know, 95% of our awakening, our enlightenment is going to come from our own efforts. It's going to come from us applying 
the knowledge and the tools into our life and living it and gaining direct experience and, and remembering who we are through that process uh, versus it being taught to us. Maybe 5% is about having the right knowledge and the right tools and keys. Um, and that, that pure knowledge, that hermetic, you know, it's, it's not dogmatic, it's universal. Here's the tools, here's the knowledge, this is, these are the keys, this is how to use it, this is what we do in the mystery school. So that's the 5% that, you know, just helps turn on those lights. And then the rest is up to you to use it, to apply it, right? So everyone's own attainment really is in their own hands. We don't, we don't put it in the hands of a guru, you know, someone outside of us again, or, or even extraterrestrials come and rescue us from ourselves. It's ultimately like they're here to help us, but we have to help ourselves too. Otherwise it's not sustainable. You know, it's like teach a man to fish, he eats for, or sorry, give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. We want to, we want to create a leap in collective consciousness as a, as a human race. And to do that, we need to make the leap. We can we can have assistance, but we need to make the leap so that we can sustain a new level of being and, and create a new way of living on, on this earth and then beyond. Yeah. You just touched on such an important concept that there must be no intermediary between you and God, yeah. source, consciousness. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and this is where, you know, religion, education, government, all of them are mediators. You know, they're trying to be an intermediary and they're, they're saying, no, in order to get to that, you have to come through me. But that's that's the disempowerment again. It's like it's the obstacle that no, it's like, no, I need to go straight to that experience. So so this is what, you know, yes, we, we are teachers in the lineage, but that's just so that we can share the knowledge and pass it on to the next generation. And those who are ready to do their own work will have their own direct experience. And then the empowerment is theirs. They own it. It's not, it's not, you know, your enlightenment doesn't come from me. Your enlightenment comes from you. And so we want to really empower people because we have to move beyond, you know, the age of the gurus is done. The age of waiting for that savior to come and rescue us. We've been through so many cycles of that already. And, you know, they've left their mark, but here we are still today and we haven't been saved because we keep being attached to our misery. <laughs> and so we need to save ourselves. It's, it's every individual now, it's up to us to awaken. And we really need to reach that um, critical mass within the collective of the people who are ready to do the hard work, to do the work that it takes to awaken ourselves, to be empowered, to be self-leading, and and then to harness that energy and start manifesting things in the outer planes in a better way. And when we reach that critical mass, then there can be a spontaneous evolution, a spontaneous awakening within the collective consciousness, because we are one mind. There is one mind that we are all connected into. And as enough of us awaken and raise the vibration or the self-awareness level of that mind, then there it creates the snowball, you know, the ripple effect that then allows for a, an easier spontaneous awakening of, of the collective. They call it the hundredth monkey effect. Um, and, you know, what percentage of that of the population is that critical mass? Some say 10%, some say 3%, some say 1%. Some say even square root of 0.1% or something. Yeah. So um, I believe it's around 3%. And I think the 1% 
gets the momentum going to hit the 3%. Once we hit the 3%, the snowball, the avalanche effect starts to happen um, to then, you know, really spread it a lot faster. So we're really, we're in that precipice right now, making that leap. And that's why right now is such an exciting time. That's why right now it's like, okay, this isn't the time for gurus. This is the time for your awakening. And, and, and it's not about giving your power away to something outside of you, whether that's a, a guru, a teacher, or even a plant medicine. This is about your empowerment and you learning how to awaken the keys from within. And once you know how to establish those neural networks and the, open up those gates from within yourself, those gates of perception and awareness, and they're opening from within, now you have mastery of it. You have control of it. You can open it when and close it when you want. And then it's sustainable. You know how to integrate it into your life versus just having this sort of one time like, whoa, it just happened and having no idea how to come back and integrate that into life. So we want to live in the world because we want to create a better world, right? And if we're going to, science is talking about shifting from our current state of, you know, burning fossil fuels and living on, you know, just sort of the grid, uh, plan, you know, planetary resources, for example, to making a shift to what they call a type one society, where we're harnessing all the energy that comes to us from the, the sun, for example, from outer space, and we can harness all that energy, all the natural and renewable energy, and then, you know, use it well so that we can create a society that is prosperous, where we can overcome the issues of environmental uh, degradation that's happening, or, you know, there will be no um, lack, because there really is no lack in the universe. Lack is a mindset, and it's a, it's a part of the matrix program, right? And, um, but, but in, when you look at the universe, the universe is abundant, like infinitely abundant. So we learn how to start harnessing that energy. Um, and so science is talking about it. Futurists are talking about it. The, the metaphysicians and the mystics and the initiates have been talking about it. The prophecies have been talking about it, right? For thousands of years, we're living in those times right now. So it's exciting. But it also puts a lot of both opportunity and responsibility in our hands. Dr. Teresa, you carry such a strong and profound, powerful message. And the road certainly does get narrower. Mm. And scarcity complex, lack, competition, these are all false matrix programs Mm. that are being called or we're being asked to transcend. Mm -hmm. Now, The mystery school student is often referred to as the initiate. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be initiated? Mm. Well, to be initiated is is to actually, you know, you are, you you would learn, um, there will be oral teachings direct, like in person, not just over the internet or over TV or anything like that, in person training. And then there's a ceremony. There's an ancient ceremonial process of, of transferring that energy of the the lineage right so to be initiated it requires a lineage so a lot of these teachings and concepts that i'm sharing with you they're not they're not mine i can't claim ownership of them (laughs) they're maybe my way of expressing the ancient teachings that come through the lineage of the of the mystery school and um mostly usually these mystery schools have been typically closed door and by invitation only and it's the select few that are even 
invited to be initiated, but we live in such a time as I was sharing that these are, this is a profound time and it's a critical time on the planet right now. And because of that, we need the wisdom and the empowerment that the mystery school tradition has preserved over generations and generations and thousands of years. We need it for these times right now so that we can Harness that greater wisdom and, and knowledge and understanding and the, and the proper methods and the proper understandings to really then bring them into how do we, how do we transform our society? How do we transform ourselves, first of all, our own lives? And then how do we take that into the world and help transform our society for the better? And so to, to, to now, um, the, one of the mystery schools has opened its doors. One of the ancient lineages that goes back thousands of years has opened up its doors. And there are other groups, of course, who are, have connection into the lineage. Um, and we're, we're more open, right? So the, the school, the modern mystery school that I study with, it's modern because it's ancient lineage that's been brought out into a modern context, a modern way of working with the mystery school tradition. You know, in the past, for example, in a shamanic society uh, or ancient Egyptian times, you know, you would have had to go through some life-threatening challenges to prove your readiness to be initiated. And that then was a process of initiation. And then, you know, once you once you were victorious of that, then you would, you know, go through a certain ceremony. In today's world, you know, life is constantly throwing us challenges and you know, it can very easily take us off track. Whereas in the past, we, we had to sort of manufacture the challenges to test our merit. Um, but in today's world, like life does it. And, and if we just, if we keep taking those steps forward towards the path that our soul feels called to, um, that is really going to lead towards more of our metaphysical awakening. You know, there's a moment that everyone goes through that is what something we call self-initiation. And that self-initiation moment is when we say, okay, there's more to life than what's going on out here. There's more. I see that there's a matrix here. There's something more and beyond that. And I want to know what that more is. And I'm ready to start committing my time, my energy, my efforts, even my investment into like finding that something more because that is what really matters. That is what brings meaning. And that moment of self-initiation, when we start really committing ourselves to our personal growth, our spiritual development, um, that then sets us on a journey where you can look back at that point in time and say, okay, my life really took a turning a turning point right there. Then we get, we can get so far on our own and, and then, we, but we kind of inevitably hit these plateaus or we hit a, a, a door that's closed and we can't unlock it or we hit a, a dead end and, and it's like, okay, I, I need a guide. I need somebody who can help me navigate my way through the understanding of these mysteries and help me, like, I know there's something I'm not quite connecting the dots around. And I need that hit that oral teaching, basically. I need that key for how to connect the, the link. And so that is when we say, okay, I need to find my path, my my spiritual family. My, my I need the, the deeper understanding and deeper answers. And that ultimately is when I found my way synchronistically, the doors, you know, and the path opened up for me to find my way into the mystery school. Now in today's world, our, the, the mystery school is very open. You know, it's like, hey, we're here. If you're ready to be really empowered, if you're ready to be more self-leading, more, you know, have with greater power comes greater responsibility. So if you're ready for that and you're ready to do the work that it really takes to awaken from within versus having the power always out there, then we're here. 
right? We're here. And you can receive initiation. You can request now to be initiated into the lineage. And um, so you can, you know, just find one of the guides at, at the Modern Mystery School that's in your area. We have people in 55 different countries by now. There's never been a time on the planet before um, where the mystery school is able to be so widespread and so accessible because we live, fortunately, at least in the Western world, we live in a time where there's greater tolerance, there's greater freedom, there's greater opportunity. So we can be out in the open. Whereas in the past, there were times where you, you, your life was at stake if you were open about having these beliefs or practices that were alternative from the religion religious dogma of the day, for example. I mean, we had witch hunts, we had inquisitions, persecutions, and so forth. They would chase it underground, ultimately, because certain powers that be, that they don't want people, the general people, to be in their power. So, you know, where, wherever there was a source that would um, empower them, they would often try to stomp it out, call it heretical, or call it evil, or whatever they might have done to try and create distrust and, and fear in people about it. But uh, the mystery school lineages, okay, they would go underground, but they would wait. They would make sure that there was few brave people who were willing to, to preserve it to then be um, making sure that it was passed on from generation to generation until the time came when the world could be more open and ready for this wisdom to surface again. And then every time that, that those ancient teachings would surface, we'd have an age of enlightenment, we'd have a golden age, a renaissance, you know, we have our world today where we have this, this plethora of things that we can experience and explore. And, 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 and now it's added with technology where you can, you know, find discover things that are on the other side of the world without having to do all the travel necessarily. But there is something about the travel and, and in-person experience, immersing yourself in it, not just looking at it from a distance. So I would encourage people to still seek out that in-person training where you can have the energetic transmission and the the sympathetic resonance and coherence that comes from an actual initiation that will empower uh, people. Thank you, Dr. Teresa. And you mentioned how important it is right now in this precarious time humanity finds itself in to reach critical mass mm-hmm. and the value of crisis point in a way as a potential catalyst for change, transformation, growth. That makes me think of Atlantis. Mm. What can we learn or what do the mystery school teachings tell us about this ancient civilization? Mm. (laughs) Well, Atlantis was, uh, yeah, an advanced civilization that was upon the earth and um, they had great technology and, and they also had a very much a spiritual tradition. They had priesthood and, and very educated and so forth. And everybody, you know, had the opportunity to partake of the energies of the various temples, a healing temple, a temple of beauty, a temple of music and dance and education. And, and they could go and they could treat the mind and bring the mind back to a more balanced and whole state. Uh, you know, there was amazing things that they were able to partake of in their society. But one of the warnings that comes with the, the tales of Atlantis is also that some of the, you know, maybe the ego, we have to really watch out for the ego and how the ego tries to grab a hold of the power and it gets a bit greedy for that power, greedy for more to transcend, to maybe even be um, dominant over 
nature or over the universe. You know, we have to be careful around the inflation of the ego when it comes to this. And, and, and on any spiritual path, I don't care what spiritual tradition you follow, the more you learn, the more powerful you become, the more you have to watch your ego, the more you have to be careful because it, it can always, it's very tricky. It's very intelligent and it, it will always find that little crack, that little attachment that you might have, whether it's an attachment to recognition or attachment to power an attachment to, you know, needing something from others, whatever it may be. We have these little attachments and, and those attachments can be those places that the ego derails us. So we always have to be very vigilant. And so it's about, it's this fine line between becoming expanded in our self-awareness of ourselves as divine beings, as gods almost, um, while also remaining humble. And humble doesn't mean meek or weak or I'm not worthy. Humble is that I am a divine being, but I also recognize always that there is a greater and higher power than me that I am accountable to at the end of days. And I'm going to do everything I can to remain in alignment with that higher will rather than it being my will over anything else. Right. So it's about recognizing that there is a, a divine will will of God, if you want, there's a will of nature in the universe. There's a certain order to things, a certain flow. And we want to, we want to understand that order and, and that flow and how to align with it rather than try to just conquer it. Right. It's about, and, and this is, this is something that we see happening in our world today. You have in the past, like industrial age is like, we'll just, you know, it's just there for our taking and we're going to do, and it doesn't matter if we, destroy in the process of creating our technologies but now we're realizing well actually we have a lot to learn from nature and instead of trying to just you know do it by our own will and and ignore the the laws we want to align we want to mimic in a way right they they call it biomimicry for example or a lot of the green technologies and sustainable ways of building architecture for example are trying to come more into alignment with those principles of, of nature and the universe versus um, being in discord with, right? So we want to create harmony rather than disharmony. And I think in Atlantis, Atlantean times, they went a little too far to try and conquer. And they, you know, are a little greedy for the next level of power and they ramped things up a little too much and then it destabilized. It went out of harmony, but in a very powerful way, which then created earth changes and affected the magnetic grids and then, you had, you know, flooding and, and tectonic plates adjusting and continents sunk and continents rose and floods and all of this. And, and there was self-destruction right there. And we are very close to that point in our society today. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that we learn how to stay in harmony with the laws of nature and the universe versus going too far because our ego says, well, there is no spiritual side to things. And therefore we just... It's whatever technology wants to come through without having the wisdom of how we want to apply it the right way. And before we finish up, I have to ask you about your necklace. It's a very interesting symbol. What does it represent? This is the scarab. Uh, It's an Egyptian, um, the Kepri, the Egyptian god that was the scarab, the beetle that was said to 
carry the sun god Ra over and through the sky. And they were also said to be self-generated, you know, and and the dung beetles, for example, they would roll um, and out of the mud or out of the dung, they would, you know, life would emerge. This is sort of in the old shamanic traditions. So uh, the scarab is often a symbol of transformation, alchemy, regeneration, uh, being self-created. And it's a, it's a very special symbol to me. I have a couple scarabs. Actually, my ring is also a scarab. This one's a Moldavite. Uh, this one's the lapis lazuli. I have another, a couple of them. So it's very beautiful. Alchemical. <laughs> As are you and your soul shines through. And thank you. thank you so much for the wisdom. This has been an extremely special, very inspiring conversation with Dr. Teresa. And she's really urging each and every one of us to Dig deep within to access that key code to our own transformation. And we can contribute to the collective transformation from there. I'm Kristen Gillespie, your conscious investigative reporter, bringing you this exclusive interview and many more from the Awakening UFO and Conscious Life Expo. Thank you, Dr. Teresa. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm That's the key for everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Let's go to the very next one of the time here. Oh, maybe real quick. Um, Mm. Hour 42 minutes, huh? Oh, that one. I did it. Okay, well, you've got to do something. I'll read this real quick while you're doing that. Yeah, i got to find it. Okay. This is called, this is from Meg Benedicta, uh, 777, Most Powerful Gateway of 2023. As you can see, it's like completion time. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it in a good way by the teachings uh, so that we can set on a new, set our sail in a new direction. How's <laughs> that? So, the most powerful gateway of 2023 arrives on July 7th. It is a triple seven gateway, even. Uh, two plus zero plus two plus three. Uh, the, uh, that's adds up to a seven. In numerology, 2023 is the seven year of truth. Huh. It is a more introspective year inspiring us to seek answers to the steady stream of questions about life itself. What am I passionate about? What is my sole purpose? What is missing in my life? Did you find it, honey? I think so. What are my dreams and aspirations? It is the perfect year to reflect in a journal or vision board. It is the year to ponder your true calling in life. During a seven year, it is better to reflect on every angle before making a decision. The number seven describes... There's an important connection between... Can you turn that down? ...people and nature to drive conservation. Right, right away. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Please. Okay. All right. Uh, Well, let me see real quick. Uh, Seven symbolizes the mystic, the Merlin, the wise sage. It is the path of ancient mysticism, the exploration of the internal essence of being. 
in honor of this extraordinary 77 gateway, 777 gateway, I will be leading a four-day retreat in spiritual mastery at Mount Shasta from July 6th through July 9th, 2023. Meg Benedicta. All right. So Rama will send this to Penny, and then as you choose to go, mm. you can sign up. So what's this now? I'm going to play, Rama. What is this? Is there a massive cover-up, and why are there so many UFO UAP sightings now? Caroline Corey, she comes on Ancient Aliens, and she had her own series on Gaia TV talking about um, Generation X and Generation Z children who are doing miracles with their consciousness. They can do telekinesis, psychokinesis, um, teleport. It's all unfolding. Who can do all that? These Generation Z. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Yes, the child shall lead us. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm Michael Sandler, your host on Inspire Nation. If you've ever wondered why there's so much ET news coming out right now, and if there's a giant cover-up, then do we have the show for you. Today I'll be talking with Carolyn Corey, the documentary filmmaker behind Among Us and A Tear in the Sky. And that's just what I want to talk with her about, about why news is coming out, what's going on above, and if there's a divine plan, dark plan, or a light plan at work. So welcome back to the show, Carolyn. Are you ready to shine? I am shining already. <laughs> and yes, you are there on the cosmos, which begets the question before we dive right into things, Carolyn. Are we alone here on Earth? We are so alone. You have no idea. <laughs> I mean, Why do I not believe you? Why do I not believe you? A break. Give me a break. Is it even possible? Like, People who think we're still alone in the universe, like, what are they thinking? Sorry. Uh, no, but seriously, it doesn't even make sense. I mean, even the Drake equation tells us there, I mean, it's impossible to not have other civilizations inhabiting this uh, universe. So there we go. Beyond that, we're not talking about other civilizations in the universe, other civilizations having visited us or visiting us. Or here among us. Okay, let me start with something that will blow your mind. Okay, usually I save this to a little bit later in the show yeah. when we've warmed up a little bit. But let's start with the bank. Okay. All right, so, I'm down. <laughs> I interviewed uh, a very well-known uh, geneticist. Um, his name is Gary Nolan. If you've heard of him. And uh, it was for my movie Among Us. For everybody should watch this movie. It's so cool. Agreed. And uh, I asked. We were talking about DNA. We we're talking about the human DNA. And I said, you know, because people talk about the junk DNA and this and that. And then uh, all of a and sudden, and I'll put that in quotes: junk DNA. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> And then I said, can you tell me about the human DNA, how it came about, you know? And, of course, I have my own theory. 
And he goes, you know, uh, as we are studying the human DNA, we realize, we notice that it follows Moore's law. For people who don't know what Moore's law is, it's, 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 it's basically an algorithm. It's, it's, uh, when it's usually they're used for electronics and, uh, electro, um, electrical systems. They notice that those systems multiply in complexity every so years. So meaning every two years, that system becomes double the complexity every two years, double that, double that. And so as they were studying the way the human DNA came about, they realized that it follows a Moore's law. So they went back from today, let's say backwards in time, um, 500, 600 million years. And every time uh, they would go back 600 million years, it would, double in complexity, meaning 600 million years, half the complexity, 600 million years, half the complexity, 600 million. Does that make sense? So they kept going back to see where we're, did it. We're going to run out of time, Carolyn, meaning not reading. You're going to run out of time, meaning you're talking about well before the earth existed, aren't you? Exactly. Boom. So anyway, they kept going back in time to see where it started. And it turned out that the very first time the DNA appeared was 9 billion years ago. So, how old is the Earth? 6 billion, maybe 2 billion, depending on who you hear. It ain't 9 billion years old. Exactly. So how is it possible that the human DNA is 9 billion years? This is scientifically demonstrated, right? Mm-hmm. And And it existed somewhere before the Earth existed. So this means that the human DNA originated somewhere else and was brought here. So how why is it so impossible to think that DNA comes from somewhere else? Intelligent life is brought from somewhere else to inhabit a certain planet. If this happened with humans, then why wouldn't it happen with other civilizations, you see? That's the point. We just we talked very briefly before the show and you said, I'm not into uh, conspiracy theories. And I said, neither am I. This stuff is real. We're smart enough to do some pretty cool stuff scientifically and to run some pretty cool uh, tests and research projects at this point. And yet, if you put that in mainstream media, it's going yeah. to be gone. I watched Stephen Greer's press release or, or his, his uh, press event this week and everything that took place. It goes away. If anybody comes forward and says, hey, there's actually uh, uh, UFOs, UAPs, and we've got our technology, which I want to dive into you with, it, that it already exists. It disappears. It goes yeah. off radar. Or somebody is made to be a fool or a fraud. What in the world is going on, Carolyn? I think, I mean, even what I just mentioned with the human DNA, why isn't that not taught in schools? Heck yeah. You know, it's like everything. It's not just UFOs. It seems like truth is just being concealed. The question is why? You know, why is that? Why is, is everything being covered up? Like, like what you're saying. Gosh, if, if, 
if, you know, it should be on, on the first page of New York Times and everywhere else, as far as I'm concerned, that hello, we just captured actual objects from, um, an alien craft. I mean, literally this, this should change our reality overnight, as far as I'm concerned. Why aren't we not talking about it? So I feel that the reason why the mainstream media, and it's not just judge the mainstream media, because behind the mainstream media, there are other organizations and other, you know, corporations or what have you. I feel that when something is trying to uh, bring free, to to free the people of the earth, then it must be concealed. If you think about the systems that we are born into, the financial system, the medical system, the educational system, everything is programmed for you to fit within a specific parameter and you can't go outside this box. If you do, where you find your freedom on your own, it just doesn't work for the system. So that's the reason why I think such hugely important information and news is being concealed all the time. So then, forgive me, we've got to go there, Carolyn, because you brought it up. (laughs) What is the system? What is the construct? Why aren't we free? This is so many questions at once. I can repeat them. Why aren't we free? (laughs) And what's the goal of this? Well, look, if I make you do what I want you to do, then I'm in control. I'm in charge. I take advantage. I get rich and you don't. I'm always ahead of you. That is unfortunately the programming on this planet. You see, it's, it's, it, it just evolved in a way. The systems evolved, systems evolved in a way so that only certain groups, certain people benefit and everybody else just follows orders. And that's not freedom. As intelligent being, we are meant to be free and to receive knowledge, to receive health, to receive education directly from the universe through systems that are aligned with freedom, with expansion, with love. And that's not what's happening on the earth. There's this uh, kind of um, boundary that is not allowing us to to pierce through, you know, to get through to this direct knowledge. And so which question do I answer now? Why? <laughs> I mean, I kind You're of on did. a roll. I know when not to stop again. <laughs> Well, it's kind of like also it's it's just been benefiting a certain small number of people that are so powerful, those who put these systems in place. It's been working out for them. So they want to keep the system going. That's why they're not telling you the truth. But I feel that (laughs) we turned a corner. I feel like we're at a different time. It's so weird that all of a sudden we've been talking about UFOs, you know, for years and years and years, you know, not just the Roswell incident, but even before, you know, when you do your research, you see uh, UFO accounts, uh, crafts, alien crafts, uh, you know, even in the 40s, 1940s. In fact, in the Terra in the Sky, we talk about 
um, some crafts being reported that were flying the, faster than any aircraft that was available at the time. And so since the 40s, even since the 20s, you see these accounts. And yet, I, just I could go now, back to the past then. Yeah, we yeah. We could go for back sure. if we want to, to the Vedas. Biblical. Go yeah, back yeah. 5,000 years. For sure, for sure, for sure. But at least like I'm talking about recent history, right? I'll, I'll buy it. Yeah. And so how is it like in 2017, finally, there's those Tic Tacs that show up and finally the Pentagon and uh, the U.S. Navy comes out and says, oh, yes, we don't know what these things are. They could be alien. So what's up with that? I think that there has been so much talk, so much evidence that this is the truth, that this does exist. The technology, whether it's ours, which we can talk about, or alien technology or both, um, is real. So the UFOs oh. are real. And so I think that at one point, the those systems, whoever is in charge of the system, said we got to like start talking about it because it's going to blow in our face. So that's why I feel all these whistleblowers and government agents starting to say, and even the Pentagon, like I said, starting to admit to these things is to me is part of revealing the truth without quite revealing it. So keep going, keep going. Sorry. So it's already a change. Now the question is, is it a change in the direction of full disclosure? Meaning, is the government really going to tell us, hey, we've been lying to you, you know, this whole time, or we really didn't know, <laughs> whoopsie, you know, and this is the, tr- the truth? Or is it they're doing this because they can't hide it anymore? It's coming out whether they like it or not. Yeah. And they're trying to still position it in a way that, hey, it's, it, yes, it's true, but we were covering up or we were not telling you because for national security, for your own good, because there's a threat. And so we're preparing you for something, you know, so big that, you know what I mean? Like, it's still a plan. Well, that's the question. And that's something that Dr. Stephen Greer brought up and others have brought up. And I think I alluded to it when we talked about it last. It, it, it feels like, man, I'm going back to, it was at the Twilight Zone and, and that the alien who has the book that says to serve man. And it was about cooking him in a bowl. It seems like we're being prepared yes. for some sort of, forgive me, 9-11 false flag event where they're made to be the bad guys, where it's actually just a power grab. For humans, which are actually a very loving species. Exactly, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. It's kind of strange that all of a sudden, after all these years, they come out and say, hey, whoopsie, you know. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, concerned, I'm with Greer on this one. I'm not with Greer on, on other things, but for this one, I agree. What's up with that? And so, and the problem also, uh, you are asked to believe the very people that have been lying to you all along. So you see what I mean? So if they've been lying to you this whole time, why would you believe them now? 
So that's the problem. I, I really feel, um, they, there, there's something in the works to, to, there's another plan. But I also want to say not everybody is the same, like in government. In other words, not every single person in government is really trying to hide something or lie to us. Some people were really kept in the dark because a lot of it was on need to know basis, even the, the president, as you well know. So it's a big mess. It's not real disclosure. No, and that's where there are like congressional oversight committees now and there's stuff going on where people are saying, congressmen and congresswomen are saying, uh, we didn't know about this. And I believe when they say yeah. we don't know about this, they didn't or, or they would have done something to give themselves some more power with it, shall we say. Exactly. So I, I truly believe some people truly honestly did not know about this. Some people knew about it, but they were told to say that they didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And some people knew exactly everything that's going on. That's and nice. so when you see them in Congress, you know, doing these hearings and stuff, not everyone is the same. It's like a, it's like the one guy who knows everything that's going on is sitting right there. So how do we, and I, I really, I want to get into all of this. I want to get into re-engineered uh, spacecraft. I want to get into everything that's going on here, but let's take a moment to to play the discernment game for everybody watching this, where we're watching, not only is it three ring circus, but it's a circus within a circus within a fear based circus because control comes from fear. And this is a show about love and light. This is a show about setting ourselves free. That's what this whole thing is about is raising our vibration. How do we look at it? through that lens, through a more positive lens and go, what in the world? I mean, that's a big problem also, as you know, with AI right now. I mean, as you know, we already have the technology to make someone come on camera and say something when it's not even them, it's not even their voice. As you know, this technology exists. One day, my doctor talked to me about Dupixin. And so uh, discernment is crucial right now. So some people ask me, I was just on a panel the other day, and they asked me, are you afraid that AI is going to take over or, you know, our human consciousness or something like that? And I said, no, I'm not afraid that that AI can surpass consciousness because consciousness basically put the information in the system of AI. So it's almost like, AI can never surpass its creator, you know. Um, but what I'm concerned with is humans who will buy into the lies. Yeah. Because AI is very strong and is capable of mimicking a lot of things. And so you brought up something extremely important, which is discernment. And I really bring it back to doing the work on yourself. There are ways to truly, truly tune in and to find out if this person who's speaking is speaking the truth. If this person, you know, is not just what they're saying, but who they are or what have you, uh, if that is truth or not. And so it goes back to the individual, the individual practice of discernment. 
I'm going to go there and then I'm going to dive back into UFO UAPs here. This, this is a brilliant conversation. I'm, I'm so enjoying it, Carolyn. I'm so glad you're here. We are trained since our early days. You talked about all of these different systems. Not a single system teaches you to think freely. Critical okay. thinking is actually about how do I regurgitate things to get the A or to get somebody to go, good student or good Michael or good Carolyn. How do we reestablish that discernment with us when it's been trained or entrained, the vibration of everyone, out of us? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, our educational system is is based on rote learning. Rote learning is repeating, you know? Yeah. If I show you something, I tell you this is an apple, you have to repeat and say this is an apple, that's it. So it's, it's like you... You are, uh, you are observing, hearing, programming according to what you're being told. You're not yeah. questioning, why is this an apple? Maybe I want to call it flower or something. You know, you don't question. You're, that is rote learning. This is our mode of education. And it is so wrong because this, this is how you memorize things. That's not how you learn things. The way you truly learn is really through your cellular memory, because I'm sorry, we're bringing it back to the much bigger picture. I mean, even oh, I appreciate Carl, it. Yeah. I mean, even Carl Sagan said you are made from stardust yep. and it's not just talk. It's not like, Hey, it's literally the truth. Meaning, um, originally, you know, there was helium and the stars created hydrogen and eventually with time, all the different, elements and so on and so forth, you know, carbon and iron and stuff like that. And that formed the planets, the stars, but the human body is made of the same stuff, of course, in a different configuration and a different proportion. We're not, if we were made of helium, we would explode. So, <laughs> yeah, but so you know what I mean? So, so to create a physical body, you know, you take more carbon and more this and more that, and you make it, but it's the same stuff. Think about this. The same stuff. Your body is made of the same stuff as everything around you in the universe. So why am I saying this? Because this is only one component. Also geometrically, without going into the technical detail, everything it looks uh, on a macro and a micro level. There is this resonance, geometric resonance you know again with that and harmonics and so without getting into those details why am i saying this because when we incarnate in a human body we come perfectly designed to remain in coherence and 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 resonance with the universe because we're made the same we have we are we are a micro version of the big thing so it's kind of like we emerge from it. It's like this, the, the Russian doll, the small doll fits in a bigger doll, bigger doll, bigger doll. And so of course the small doll knows exactly what is happening. It's kind of like made of the same thing. So we are meant to retrieve information directly from the universe. Physics, chemistry, science, all the universal laws that governs the universe, the planets, the stars, governed our physical body. 
However the universe maintains itself, there are no doctors up there floating around. It's like, oh, you know, look at this star. It's about to explode. Let me fix it. Doesn't work this way. The universe knows. It has an intelligence. It knows exactly when two stars collapse, they're recreating something else, just like our, our cells die and recreate. Do you see what I mean? Our organs, if, if you take a piece of the organ, it recreates a part of the organ. Do you see what I mean? It's like all the same system. So these are the fundamental, this is the fundamental knowledge of life. Why do you just tell me when was the last time you use, uh, you used, um, uh, what is it that we learn in school? Algebra. Or sometimes, uh, yeah, in Europe, in Europe, like they teach you also Latin and Greek. When was the last time you, you used Latin or Greek? You see what I mean? They're feeding us in our educational system with stuff to remember. Just Mm -hmm. keep learning that don't mean anything that don't help us that don't serve and they ignore the very mechanism of how life works that is true knowledge and we have that within ourselves within our being does that make sense <laughs> it does no where where i'm going in my head is completely off topic <laughs> I, I i'm thinking of the picture of nikola tesla and he's got a giant orb behind him and there's electricity coming out and he's just reading a book because he just knows. Exactly. He know, you know, you know, how many people just know there's some, you can't, you cannot tell someone, you know, it's not, for example, something that you a hundred percent feel within you, something simple. Let's take something simple. Uh, you're hungry. I can't, if you're telling me something you feel, right? Your whole system is telling you I'm hungry. I can't tell you no, you're not. You know, or it's a, a state of consciousness, being in love, right? I can't explain to you what that means or whatever. You know, you know, you feel certain state. You, you know what I mean? So this knowledge, this experience is cellular. It's on a cellular level. Because that's who you are. The knowledge of the entire universe is within yourselves. And so here we are. We come in completely equipped. Our physical body, your little Hannah, Mm -hmm. has all the knowledge of the universe in her little being. She's only adapting to, (laughs) yeah, she's only like adapting to the human you know, kind of day job thing. Like, okay, how do I use this body to eat? How do I use this body to walk? How do? But this is like a human mechanism. It's not yeah. the knowledge of the universe, of who you are, what type of being you are, and so on and so forth. Makes sense. And here yeah. you are. You're 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 teaching her. Repeat after me. Blah blah blah. And ignore how your body feels. Ignore what your heart is saying. Ignore what's coming up for you, you know, where you feel an energy or an emotion. It just doesn't work this way. You start to focus outside yourself and do that for a few years and you're in a different system. And so to bring it back to this system, in fact, let's bring it back to the tic-tacs and whether they're (laughs) really actually 
alien, and I use that word, it's a derogatory word, I put that in quotes, we'll call it extraterrestrial technology, or whether it's our own, we get to feel into that and pause and ask for the truth on the inside, don't we? Exactly. So I have a technique, um, you know, specifically for discernment, basically. We could do a little bit of that if you want. Would love Uh, it. Yeah, it'll be fun. I mean, we'll do it quickly. But basically, when I first started, like years, years ago, um, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't picking up the wrong information. And I thought discernment, that's the most important thing. How do I know? How do I know? that what I'm seeing and sensing is the truth? What if it's a projection of my own whatever? And I'm here I am, I'm working with someone and I'm telling them, hey, you know, you have to go see the doctor for this or so. And what if it's wrong? Like I thought it was a huge responsibility. So I developed this methodology to really discern mm-hmm. um, the truth and only speak the truth when, you know, I'm working with people. And so basically the idea is you have to bring up all your personal stuff and dissolve, dissolve, release, release, release. You have to align your brain channel and specifically with source, with the, with a specific frequency that is pure, pure thought, pure love beyond your human mind. It's like you're bypassing your own human mind. You're saying, I don't care what I have to say about it. I want to bring that frequency through. And of course, when you do that with that meditation, it, you know, it shifts your vibration and you're perfectly aligned. And then you do what I call merging. It's the merging process is basically my higher self. I can, like I said, I can walk you through it, uh, merges with your higher self. So I'm also bypassing what you have to say about it. (laughs) You know, it's, it's the, the truth of you. So let's say you're a politician, let's say, and you're feeding me some BS, you know, with Michael, this ex- the politician. <laughs> with the rooster, I totally see you with the rooster running for <laughs> mayor. You know, you I, know? I, 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 I tromped the hallowed halls of Congress years ago uh, on with my cycling shoes on after doing this big bike ride across the country. I, I, and, and, and in all deference to some beautiful people, it felt icky and slightly nauseating and i actually i got to travel in i didn't meet her but i got to travel in a uh i don't know it's like a golf cart but it's a train and i went under congress in this thing with hillary clinton in in the same thing and it it wasn't her energy but the energy there was it was like darth vader or star wars it had this vibration to it that didn't feel good it felt like extreme power and and I felt like a magnet that was actually, instead of being attracted to it, was going. <laughs> repelled. Yes. Get out of there, Michael. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so then th- with this exercise, you you tap into the truth of what you're being shown. And you can actually do this with physical objects as well. You can do this with anything. You know, is this uh, really organic? Is this really reverse osmosis or is it some tap water from somewhere or whatever? Yeah. I mean, you could do with anything. You can do this with a, even a, a news article, you know. So that's that's a technique that people can practice and do. And so that you retrieve the truth 
whether this is a real tic tac, is it our technology, is it their technology, and you know things like that. Thank you. We might even double back there in a little bit. When we are looking at um, things flying in the sky, like Jessica and I are driving a few years back and we're down by Taos, New Mexico, and there are these uh, green Tic Tacs doing all sorts of craziness off to the side. And they're like so fast. They're not even shooting up. It's like they're going like next to us in the distance. But at so fast, there's just nothing <laughs> there is nothing in what we're told of technology that could possibly do it. Right. Is this our technology or is it ETs visiting us? What's going on? Well, it's, it's more than one answer. I mean, I don't know. I don't know about the ones you saw. I mean, we can look at those, by the way, um, because you can do this retroactively. Um, but how do you do that? Same thing. Because there's no time space. When you are functioning in this way, you are outside time space. This is not your normal human brain. And so, so I'll tell you, there's everything. There's stuff that's totally fake. There's an, that's an illusion that you think it's a UFO for sure because it's doing all this crazy stuff. But sometimes optical illusion of certain objects could give you that, um, a flowing ship. Actually, in my movie, we talk about that. Um, we think it's a UFO, but actually it's, it's a, it's a floating ship because of the, anyway, so there's that, but there's also our own, uh, technology that uh, the government doesn't want to tell us because they're part of black ops and, uh, because national security, like, Ooh, you know, we can't tell us, we can't tell them. Um, and then there's definitely alien a hundred percent. And the reason being, it, there's so much evidence that there's contact with aliens. So how did they get here? I mean, they could, of course, get here interdimensionally, that there's that too. But I guarantee that there are alien civilizations that have advanced technology that allows them to travel through space faster than the speed of light through wormholes. Einstein Rosenbridge is a, is a, theoretical thing but it's possible the fact that it's possible it means that's probably how somebody else who's a lot more advanced than us figured it out and are using it to to move through space so so it's everything at the same time and that's what makes the ufo subject very complicated because those who don't want to believe are going to focus on the few you know fake things and say you see not working that's not true so um so so it's it's a much bigger umbrella and so so basically you have to go case by case yeah for me those definitely hours and it felt like hours to me it felt like it was some sort of test training exercise going on other times it feels, and, and I've had a, a, a mass experience too, 1980, and I'm going to guess that was ours too, uh, over New York City. That really dates me. That made it on the national news that these little things flying around by the Statue of Liberty. But I have a feeling, and, and practicing CE5 and things of this type, that there are a lot, and I believe more now than ever, civilizations wanting to reach out to us at this time that are legit and they're coming through. And I'm curious, what has been your experience with this? And are there more civilizations trying to reach out at this time? 
I don't think it's just at this time. I think they always have been trying, but we are paying more attention. We are again at a time where we're more open to talk about it. Um, we're still being a little bit ridiculed, but not as bad. So for example, I'll tell you one of the, uh, UFO experiences that I've had. Um, so I was in my house and all of, it was nighttime and all of a sudden I felt like, Oh, go outside, go outside. So I go outside. It was pitch dark. And I look up and I see these three balls of light and they were bouncing off of each other. And I was like, oh, okay. And for a second, I'm like, by the way, the fact that I believe in UFOs and alien doesn't mean that I just like right away. I'm, 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 it's not that I'm, I'm a healthy skeptic. Like I like to make sure I'm discerning. I'm discerning and not jump to conclusion. So I thought it was Labor Day. So I thought, oh, maybe they're doing, you know, like some sort of like, and I was like, wait, no, (laughs) these things were right above my house. Like, and there was no, you know, like beams or anything. They were literally like just floating. So I said, okay, okay. And of course I ran, I run to get my camera and it, it, it wasn't plugged in and whatever. And so like I was saying, using this exercise, like, it's this merging exercise so I merge with it and I feel is this alien or and I feel it is an alien an alien intelligence and so I started speaking with it if you are what I think you are can you show me something you know and these three lights split and become four become six become eight and I was like, okay, okay. And I was like, you know, and I'm, I'm saying, okay, I heard you. I see you. And then I said, well, uh, what else can you do? <laughs> you know, just that wasn't enough. And so I started walking outside my house and like literally like a good half mile. And it was literally like following me. It was like literally like floating above me. And then, and then I change direction and I go in a different direction, another half mile, and the same thing is following me. I mean, how do you not, I mean, what else do you need? <laughs> I'm communicating with this thing that's bouncing around, that's changing colors, changing, no, they didn't change color, changing, um, like shapes and stuff, splitting up, becoming four, becoming, what do you make of this? What's interesting to me is the technology behind thought. You're thinking they're taking action, which means either it's just the happiest coincidence in the world, or there is a lot more power and technology behind thought than we realize And they're operating on, and I don't even fully know what that means, the technology of thought. Okay, so wait a minute. This is great what you're talking about, because um, did they, uh, if if it's a coincidence, okay, the first time, amazing coincidence. I said, hey, show me something. They split from three to four to six. Okay, then it's another coincidence that they follow me this way. And another coincidence that they follow me in a different direction. Okay, that's one thing. So I don't buy the coincidence, but let's leave that yeah, for a second. I'll put that in quotes yeah, for a moment. Okay, exactly. The next thing is my thought is so powerful that I made this happen. If I, and, and there was nobody there, 
while I am the most powerful person on, in the universe as far as I'm, I mean, like literally like my thought going to that intelligence, whatever that is and making it physically manifest in different ways. That's crazy. I'm not saying that I can't do that or it's impossible, but I'm just saying, okay, the other, the third option is I did communicate with, actually I did, uh, with the beings. I could feel two beings in there. Um, and we were telepathically communicating. And that's the option that I am saying did happen. Can I prove it to you? No. I'm just telling you that that was the experience and it happened other times as well. So, and, and that time, because those beings were humanoid, but not human, mm-hmm. and they came from, um, actually it was a, um, what do you call it? it um, uh, the belt, um, galaxy Milky Way. It was Orion's a, a, belt? a, a, a st- uh, not steroid. It was a asteroid oh, belt. Asteroid. We'll get there. Uh, you know, and, and it was part of the Alpha Centauri, so they were pretty close. Mm-hmm. And it felt like it was a man and his son, and they were literally navigating our Earth space, and he was telling me that they had to leave very quickly because sometimes our earth space is very dangerous. Like he was showing me that some pathways get clogged and they could get stuck. So it's almost like the highway opens and then they have to like leave before it closes or something. I mean, it was kind of like something along those lines. So that was the exchange, the conversation I had. Am I crazy? Maybe, probably, (laughs) but that's what happened. Maybe you're crazy. Or maybe my wife, Jessica, she has this beautiful, brilliant, crazy, crazy idea that while cell phones actually help us connect on some level, cell phones are actually keeping us from connecting. That if we threw away all of that technology, there is a greater technology that we can plug into. That's what you're actually talking about that we poo poo is, well, if it's not, you know, metal or aluminum and the latest upgrade of an operating system, then clearly if you say that's real, you're not. Exactly. In fact, in my movie, Superhuman, at the end of the movie, because we demonstrate over and over and over the power of consciousness over physical. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. At the end of the movie, I actually use the word technology and I say, to me, the, the most powerful technology in the universe is consciousness. Mm-hmm. Because consciousness, oh, yes. can, because consciousness can affect a physical object. It can affect a computer, an electrical device, an electronic device, a machine. We demonstrate that in labs. That's what's in the film. People watch superhuman, superhuman. You can see it on camera how our intention and thoughts is directed on a physical object, on an electrical system, and it's changing the stuff just by looking at it. 
And this is done in laboratory conditions. It's not some fluke or coincidence. There's no coincidence when you do it scientifically. And so to me, I'm a hundred percent. This is the true human power and potential. I'm so glad you used that word potential power. We're getting back into it. Potential is humanity, humanity now at, as we've heard, a more dangerous place where we can drive ourselves off the cliff or once we step back from mass media and these methods of control, are we actually starting to become a, more aware of who and what we are so that we can actually have a human electron state change? I know we that was had, a mouthful. <laughs> no, it's actually a great question, but it's a very simple answer. To me, um, we've had so many opportunities to blow ourselves up. <laughs> True. I mean, just, you know, in the... 40, in the 50s, in the um, uh, in the 80s, you know, the Cold War. Mm-hmm. I worked with um, anyway. I, I so we were talking at the time. The biggest threat was nuclear waste and nuclear threat. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cold War, if you remember, with Russia and all that stuff. Oh heck yeah! And you know, I remember I worked with Ted Turner at the time, and he knew very much about the subject, and he was telling me is he he did he had a lot to do with um bringing you know the russians to let go of the arms and stuff anyway this is a different conversation but to tell you he was describing to me how dangerous and how close it is to press a button and blow up half the planet just like that and so you know we think like we have nuclear energy and nuclear not nuclear energy nuclear um weapons and nuclear waste the amount of nuclear waste in on this planet underneath our feet is crazy i don't even know how we survived and so all this to say that if we were supposed to the question was uh blow, not blow ourselves up but something else you asked uh, well, it is a, it is a question as to whether we're getting to a more dangerous time. Dangerous. Yeah. Or. I think what I'm saying is we have crossed so many dangerous times and nothing happened to us. We're still here that I don't think that is the future of humanity. I wouldn't have come <laughs> to blow myself up in this way. Oh, That's now you I just remember. Well, now you just asked a much bigger picture question. So we've gone so many directions today. We might as well go there. We've got eight billion souls. Yeah. That choose chose to come here, and I would argue we chose to come here for a party, not a holocaust, and that we are actually here to learn and ascend and help all of consciousness ascend through our experience. Yes, and the beings that are here right now, they may seem to be the minority because look at the systems that are still floating. But the the amount, the the consciousness mass that they have is so much bigger that it can neutralize uh, the negative consciousness that's still on the earth. So in other words, you know, people say, oh, you need 144,000, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. You need just the right type of humans that have the right amount and mass of consciousness 
to neutralize the negative effects that could take um, Earth and humanity in the wrong direction, in the you know, in the self-destructive mode. So that's the reason why I feel that the new trajectory is that of truth, uh, freedom, and liberation. I'm a thousand percent clear on that. We live by the beach uh, here in St. Augustine right now. When you go down to the water's edge, let's say it's uh, the tide is ebbing, the tide's gone out, you'll have one pattern of sand to a certain point, and then you'll have certain ripples to a certain point, and then you'll have maybe spirals or something else to a certain point with clear demarcations between it as if an artist painted what's going on there. And this, to me, gets to frequency and gets to geometry and gets to if you take a pan, we may have seen this on YouTube. I know you have. You take a pan and you shake it at a certain frequency. All of a sudden, you've got squares. Then you've got spirals. Then you've got more and more advanced uh, geometric shapes showing up. I believe that's what consciousness is with humanity right now. And we are going to more sophisticated. Well, you, you pointed. Let you take it from there. But you see where I'm going. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That's, and the thing is, we had to come in as human to affect human consciousness. And so there's a lot of spirit on the other side of the veil. There's a lot of nice ETs on the other side of the veil, but they're not going to actually create and manifest the human potential and outcome. You had to be a human. That's why you incarnated. A uh, few of us incarnated in human form to create that collective outcome. It, it gets back to my automatic writing as well. And in automatic writing, I was teaching a course earlier today. I say, look, no matter who you go to in your automatic writing, we go to the highest level. We're not yeah. playing the Ouija board game. You're not going to get the whole answer because you're here to learn and to expand and to grow. And if you've gotten the whole answer, then it's, um, and I didn't know what they were today, it's bonbons in the couch. But that's not what we're here for. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, it depends. Like I said, there are, there are some individuals that are here very clear on their, mm-hmm. on this higher purpose and the divine plan, you know, there and others are awakening to it. So, there's still an individual story that's being played out, but also that's fitting within a larger story. There's a larger group of beings that have come in at this time to move things along. They are carrying within their DNA their uh, the blueprint of the universe. And so as they awaken themselves, they're shifting like ripples, exactly what you're saying. Um and basically embedding the collective consciousness with this new configuration, this new DNA, they're pouring in the collective consciousness, the blueprint, the original blueprint of the universe. And so all they have to do is focus on truth, on love, on freedom, on peace. So when you do that, you are pouring a frequency, your frequency, your Pushing, putting frequency in this larger bubble, which is the collective consciousness. The more I do that, you do that. Everybody else does that. Eventually, those ripples become the new reality. And I'm 100% clear that that's what's happening. Having said that, today, right now, you look on YouTube, whatever, although you're seeing more and more 
evidence mm-hmm. of truth. We started with UFOs. Just watch. Right now it's UFOs, but it's also a distraction from other things they're doing. And then the financial system, just watch that starting to come out, maybe at the end of the year, maybe the beginning of next year. Watch that all of a sudden stuff started to come out about that. Then it's the educational system. You'll see one system after the next is going to go down. And I I don't know why I'm... I'm thinking of myself here, and, and not in an egoic sense. Um, I've had two substantial accidents, two NDEs that happy with titanium femurs and uh, titanium spikes through my hips. Basically, I, I look like a uh, human tuning fork flipped upside down. That's not just symbolic. You and I and everyone here, and I'm so glad if you're here, everyone here, we are all tuning Forks. This is a special time. Our frequency does matter. A hundred percent, a thousand percent. We are, like you were saying, a receiver and an emitter. I mean, that's also been demonstrated multiple times. And so that's why. And how are we emitting? Through our thoughts, through our emotions. That's exactly through our words. Not just the words. It's the energy behind the words. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, that's our higher purpose. That's what we're here to, to do, to free humanity, free humanity. <laughs> the UFO is the beginning. You'll see UFOs. Well, to me, these are all seeds and they're all seeds that um, sort of like star seeds that are helping us let go of the old um, a separation. Uh, I was talking about this with solstice yesterday in a class I was teaching then about how we hit a zero point when the earth stops swinging one way and then starts to swing the other. And when we hit that zero point of solstice, everything feels like, well, you ever done the needle ride in Las Vegas where you get shot to the top of the stratosphere? No, I hate that stuff. It's <laughs> a good reason for it. You, you do this needle ride, you get shot to the top of the stratosphere, and you find that the shoulder uh, rests that protect you are loose by about a foot. And it yeah. decelerates at just such a speed that you think, Forgive me, everybody. Oh, shit. I've just been thrown over Vegas and they're going to find me or parts of me on the road down below a thousand plus feet down the road because of the speed of deceleration. That zero point where you feel completely detached from everything unmoored is the most beautiful place of a pregnant possibility that I believe we're starting into right now. All the systems, it's not the end times. It's the end times of what grappled and hold, held us down as those fall apart were set free. 100%. Exactly. It's the major reset. Going back to the zero point, which is the point of full potential. I was down to talk to my doctor about Rebelsis. Ask your healthcare provider about Rebelsis today. From that point, you can create any potential you like. Absolutely. So the question is like, the the thing is though, now with this chaos of the UFOs and all these Mm -hmm. extraterrestrial questions and stuff, it's bringing up our um, ability to discern. So I think that's the big question, the big lesson, if you will. It's not so much about UFOs. It's about who's telling the truth. What is it about? And where do we stand as a society when we are faced with something that's been hidden for so long? And so how do we discern the truth? How do we discern who we are? 
And when we go through this, as we're going through this, then another system will surface and we're going to have to discern through that and so on and so forth. Where does action take place? We have spiritual teachers who say it's all an inside job. We have others that say, well, it's an inside job to get in alignment and then you need to speak your peace. You need to step into your power. You need to out of love step forward. Is there a time of action coming about and what do you feel that would look like? This is a great question because some people say like there are people who are working on the front line, right? There are people who are going in war zones and feeding orphans, you know, from the wars and stuff like that. And other people sitting in a temple and praying. So it's like, who's doing the right thing, you know? And so this brings me back to, and the guy who's sitting in the temple is actually, again, has such a massive consciousness that they're pouring the frequency and the energy that actually can affect the entire globe. But he's not feeding the poor. He's not being shot at. So there is no right or wrong. To me, it goes back to the individual prenatal contract. Each person came in equipped with specific tools and specific stories to carry out this very important higher purpose, which is aligned with a collective higher purpose. And so that's why you feel for you is about speaking, broadcasting, communicating, connecting people together, bringing this person, that person, maybe writing, so on and so forth. Somebody else is not attracted to that. Somebody else wants to be right there, wants to hold the child and wants to, you know, uh, I'm working with someone right now who has, uh, I mean, it's kind of a different conversation, but still, um, um, who's conducted 70 rescue missions in South America, rescuing child traffic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You should hear the stories he tells me. Actually, I'm working. You'll see it's all going to come out. Um, it's mind blowing. And I'm like, I could never do that. Like, it's just so that's why he's equipped to come in to be in the face of evil, like just this way so that he can transmute it in his own way. And so, and that was with the hard thing, you know, being thrown on the floor with, you know, weapons and this and that, you know, so so everybody has their unique role to fulfill their higher purpose. And we should never compare. We're all in this together, bringing our own tools and, uh, and abilities. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You, you wrote as we, as we wind down our section of this, and then we're going to open it up to questions in just a few minutes. You wrote a few years back, or maybe it was more than that, about kind of a, a timeline or possible timeline for humanity. Do you see us on some sort of a trajectory or timeline? Or I, I know there's a, there's a, a multitude, there's an infinite number of possible paths that we can go on, but are we being guided down a certain path? Yeah, I feel the original error, meaning that started programming humanity in the wrong way that started 200,000 years ago is already in the process. So we are in it. And I feel that it's already completed, but in our linear timeline, it's going to look like 250 years from now, which sounds like a lot, but it's really, it's like three generations or what have you. 
have thinking that it started 200,000 years ago, we're pretty much at the end. And so we are all working in the final chapters of this unfolding, of this final resetting. But within this 250 years, I mean, that's where we are right now, is bringing those systems, breaking down this old system, bringing new uh, you know, bringing up other truths and bringing the new to new information to replace it. All of these different layers are, I mean, kind of unfolding simultaneously. And I think the overall completion where every aspect of life on earth from the intelligent species, meaning from the human themselves to the animals, to the planet, to the trees, to everything be basically brought back to their original programming, their original essence that is perfectly coherent and resonant with the intelligence of the universe. I call that heaven on earth, not to me. All right. I want to go to questions before we do that. Where can people go to find your work, to find your beautiful, beautiful films and to find out more, Carolyn? So for for healing and learning and stuff like that, there's tons of tools. And also my book, The Divine Plan. They should go to carolinecorey.com. But for the movies, uh, you know, superhumanfilm.com is for superhuman, eterinthesky.com and Among Us movie.com fantastic all right we're going to go to some questions um fasten your seatbelt, everybody and fasten your seatbelt, carolyn i'm just going to go with what i've got here so um wow this is a biggie from questions one or questions one being what don't you agree with with dr stephen greer oh uh it's not that i don't agree it's more like sometimes um I don't see the evidence that he's talking about. Uh, sometimes he uh, he mentions that there's a technology or whatever, but like it's more that I want to see the <laughs> validation that he's been talking about for so long. So it's not that I don't agree. It's more like, show me. <laughs> you told I'm excited me multiple- to see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've told me multiple times now, show me kind of a thing. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. And then from, from Lefty. What exactly is a, quote, alien? To ETs, we are the aliens, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I just started the, this whole show by saying our human DNA is not so human after all, right? Because it came from somewhere else. So what's the definition? I mean, I guess anything that is non-human, anything that, uh, you know, so to me, that includes Spirit forms like angels, archangels, they're not human. So, you know, the word alien has a negative connotation because right away we think it's like little grays with like big weird black eyes and stuff like that. Or, you know, to me, it's, it's, uh, the word itself is, I would just call them non-human intelligence. Very good. From Stephanie, do you think AI is speeding up learning too fast without discernment? And we're going to ask a second question on AI, a topic I'm fascinated about after that. Yeah, for sure. So uh, again, I, I just did this fascinating panel with experts who, you know, AI experts. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to understand that AI is a system that you have to teach. You know, you have to 
teach it to do certain things. So you are the human that is putting the information. So you're going to put in information uh, in a system and telling it, okay, well, figure out some new new whatever new ways to put the words together whatever so but regardless it's a finite system you see you are infinite consciousness and you're putting finite information in ai so ai can freak out and do some weird things but remember what i just said We've demonstrated in laboratory conditions that your consciousness, your intention can literally affect a computer, an electrical device, an electronic device. What's AI? What's AI? AI is another electronic system or what have you, or, you know, computer system. It's so, so it falls within this category. A finite system can never surpass its infinite creator. Can a finite system um, plug in or gain the same consciousness that we have? Okay, we're carbon. There are other beings that are silicon. Could there be electrical beings in this sense? It's still electrical beings. It's still it's still a finite system that's going to depend on electricity if it's electric. It's going to depend on, do you see what I'm saying? It's yeah. still a finite system. Have, but, Ooh. but if the question, can AI, we can reprogram it so it could harm us in a way? Yes, that I can, I can, but to surpass, to be able to say, yeah. oh, it's harming us, but I don't, there's nothing I can do about it. That I don't agree with. No, the question, I'm glad, I'm glad you clarified on that. What I'm saying is basically the question, this is so off topic, but of, of AI being able to, uh, plug into the same consciousness that we're plugged into. Oh, you mean like the universe and stuff? Yeah. Well, in a strange, in a strange way it is, but through us again, because you, you are the one that put in the system. You're the one that created it. Yes. So it's now it's part of the bigger system, but you are still the one that can change it. You can take stuff out. You can put stuff in. You can say, okay, don't do this anymore or do more of that or whatever. But so even if it's, it's part of a, the whole thing, but it's still your creation. So it's not plugged. It's part of the big, but it's not plugged directly into source. If that's what you're asking. Perfect. I'm going to ask the next question, then I'm going to jump off camera for a second because Rue has jumped off of his perch and is, is wandering toward the kitchen here. In fact, hold on. Let me grab Rue. He'll say hi and good night to everybody. He's so overtired. Hold on one second. <laughs> she knew this. He cracks me up with this. Rue for everybody. He's going to pull up. There you are. He's going to go to bed right now. So the sounds he's making are the, I'm very, very overtired. <laughs> so why don't I ask the question? Uh, I'm going to give Lotus's question to you right here. He was asking it to me, but I'm going to give it to you at the moment. And then I'm going to have Rue take a nap. Not a nap. He's going to bed. What are your thoughts on beings living inside the earth deep underground? I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> But that question was for Michael or, uh, well, well, I mean, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard and seen of, uh, beings, uh, 
you know, what's my thought on it? I, I feel, I think they're there. Um, there are different types of beings that I've seen, uh, remote through the remote, uh, remote viewing, not personally, actually. Um, and they, they feel very real. And so I believe it's very, very possible that they're, uh, they're there. Um, they didn't feel the ones that I have experienced didn't feel, they feel material. But they didn't look necessarily humans, the few of them that I went to different parts of the the planet to explore that. And, and I would just add to that that life is everywhere. There yeah. is nowhere that life is not. It may not take the form that we think it does. It may not have the pattern that we think it would. But that doesn't mean it's any less alive or any less intelligence. Um, it's just through the filter that we have, it's, it's hard to see. Right. So let's go next to um, this one is probably way outside the scope. So let me see how many more questions we have. Um, ooh, from Jack Amaline, how do we step into our purpose and know what we're supposed to do? Oh, wow. I mean, that's what I've been teaching, you know, because I realized at the end of the day, uh, if we can answer the question, who am I and what am I here to do? Then we are the happiest people ever because you have clarity. Then you have, you know where you're going every day. It's not this big fog and this big confusion. And so it's just work. I mean, I have the, you know, the a course on my website, carolinecorey.com, which is called Mastering the Human Mind that brings you to understanding the type of being that you are, the type of consciousness that you are, um, and brings you back to your original, the way you were originally created, so to speak. It's not a past life. It's like the original essence, your consciousness. And it brings you back to that, and you kind of start to gradually feel it and awaken it within you. So it's just training and work. There's also the creative formula on my website that's amazing that brings clarity on how you are um, creating and what's aligned and what isn't and how to change that very quickly so you don't get stuck in a pattern. But my favorite class is uh, mastering your guidance system because speaking of discernment, that's the big problem is we don't know how to discern. And that training gives you a lot of tools to learn to discern. Is it me? How do I know? Did I make this up? Am I supposed to be a teacher, a healer, a writer? All of that. You start to have a very strong base um, with your guidance system to bring that information through. Thank you. I want to go back 100,000 years ago. Okay. What was the mistake that was made? And were we being turned, designed, or brought here as a slave race? Yes. Actually, it was 234,000 years ago. And so um, I talk about this in my book, The Divine Plan, in detail. Um, so what happens is that there are different species that were more evolved than the human species. And at the time, uh, planet Earth, and uh, there were very few humans on this planet and you can say that the the humans uh, are kind of the juvenile species of the universe kind of a newer 
So like children, if you will. And the beings that were more advanced were kind of ruling, you know, the, the planet, um, supposed to be helping them evolve. And then all of a sudden they were like, mm, what if we try an experiment? What if uh, we program them in a way to believe that we are their creators and so everything goes to us. They don't, they don't have that direct access to source anymore, but they have to, we are their gods. And so basically they encapsulated the planet so that the human species was, I mean, I talk about this technically as well, how it's done um, in the book, but now I'm just kind of going through it real quick. And so, so they basically encapsulated the entire collective consciousness so to speak and so if you were a human you looking up so to speak you would only see these beings so you would think that they were your creator and so they uh, created a system of separation what that did was cut off the umbilical cord of every human that connected them directly to source and so when you do that you start to feel separate you start to feel separate and that brought on the system of competition. So if I'm separate and you're separate, well, who's going to get, who's going to get, you know, who, the, who's going to be better? Who's going to, you see what I mean? So, so that's kind of how it started. It started as an experiment to see what would this juvenile species do. And what happened was, you know, the beings kind of, took it a bit too far. And generation after generation after generation, the human species became programmed to think that they're alone in the universe, that they were separate. And the way to survive is through competition, through production, through greed. And that's how all the current systems have been implemented. Um, and this is why there's wars. Because if you understand that you are at the base completely entangled with everyone else. You are made from the same substance as we were, you were saying. If we are made from the same thing, that substance that made you made me, then if I try to harm you, it's going to come right back to me. It's only logical because the substance is continuously uh, present everywhere within you, within me. So on the outside, I'm harming you. I'm going to be better than you. I'm going to steal from you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do this and that. And at the bottom, you know, if the common denominator, that connection is always there. It's going to come right back to me. So that's how those systems got created because of that error. Thank you. A few more questions and then wrap things up. Are we doing all right on time so far? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, you're talking, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there, there are at least a handful of brilliant questions here. And, and so I, I want to be very respectful of your time. Um, from Soul Puppy 87, are there humans who are aliens and don't know it yet? Okay, so I have to say that everybody is a hybrid on some level, meaning you all came from somewhere else, you know, there are some beings that are originally humans and there are still humans, but most Taco Bell breakfast. Nothing too wild, just delicious. 
most of this planet, I want to say at least two thirds of this planet, especially those on this call. I mean, you wouldn't attract this conversation if a part of you, you know, didn't, wasn't even interested. Anyway, so, so you are a human right now. I look human. You look human, but I came from somewhere else. <laughs> you can see the background from where I came from. Uh, and so, so part of me, that aspect of me is never gone. Like that's who I really am. So even though I appear as a human, I am a hybrid with something else. So are you? So is again, two thirds of this planet, at least having said that there are other beings that are, um, that are more than just appearing human and there's something else. There are, more something else than human. So I'm like, for example, I'm 90% something else and just 10% human. But, you know, maybe somebody else is 60% human and 40. You see what I'm saying? Like we all have our different configuration. So on some level, everybody's an alien, part alien. Uh, those who have the more alien DNA uh, than others are the ones that feel the most like, what am I doing here? Like, what is this place? You know, and the purpose, going back to the purpose, is to know what this alien DNA is. Because you see, I came, let's say, from a part of the universe. I'm looking at you right now. I look like a human and I'm speaking a human language. But I've raised my consciousness enough. I've awakened enough that that frequency, the vibration of my original essence is very activated, very activated. It's very present. So the more you work on yourself, the more you awaken that alien, that non-human aspect of you. I want to call it divine, let's say, the divine aspect of your being. And so as I'm expressing myself, I am bringing through this frequency. I'm pouring into the collective consciousness not just what my human mind wants to say, but my entire essence. That's the real work. You ever been to a great symphony, Carolyn? Yeah. When that music comes together, when the strings, yes. with the brass and with the percussion, and it all comes together, it lifts you to a new level. It sounds like that is why we each come from different parts of the galaxy, each with our own mixture to create such beautiful music. Exactly. And that's why there's no right or wrong. There's no better words. Is this Arcturian or Pleiadian or blah, blah, blah. Every person is so unique. So stop comparing yourself or looking at, you know, I want to be Melchizedek energy and I, I want to be Pleiadian or why is he, was he downloading Pleiadian, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, speaking of higher purpose, you are here to awaken your divine lineage, your divine lineage. That's why you, your work is so unique, so unique and so purposeful. And so it doesn't matter what everybody else does. It doesn't matter what your family thinks or does. It doesn't matter. You came in as this unit of consciousness to bring through this very powerful, awakened, universal energy through everything that you think, say, or do. That's your higher purpose. So the idea is, where did I come from? 
And what does my energy really do? Like I said earlier, we are drawn to certain things because we are different types of energy. Does it mean you get to watch in particular because, it, you know, am I running on 91? Am I running on 93? Am I running on hydrogen? That we get to really watch what energy we're ingesting. What do you mean? Uh, News or Facebook. Oh, yeah, exactly. Or this or that. Exactly. None of it matters. None of it matters. So what I do is you set your intention in the morning, for example, and I've, be, I've done that. I wrote a, what you do is you life your you write a life agreement and you say, I want to only manifest my higher purpose. I don't want to be distracted, meet friends or date or do this job or that job that doesn't get me where I'm supposed to get. You're only delaying what you're supposed to be doing. So from the beginning, you make an agreement with yourself. And every day, even to this day, I've been doing this for I don't know how many years. The first thing in the day, I ask and intend to manifest today exactly what is aligned with my higher self. Attract the one person, the one phone call, the one energy, the one piece of news, the whatever that is aligned with my higher self. Everything else, I didn't see it. I'm invisible. So when you do that, when you watch the news, You're watching it just, first of all, you're only going to attract the news that's relevant to you. That's number one. Second, it doesn't affect you. It doesn't, it, because you're, because it's just you, your, your energy is in this perfect alignment. You'd use it just to learn, oh, this is what's happening. Okay. How does that fit? Fine. Whatever. And you move on. You're not being drawn and dragged and you, you see what I mean? So I think it helps you with this discernment and this alignment. Thank you. This goes, this question goes right along with that from Dawn. How can people who have been socially conditioned and programmed over an entire lifetime be introduced to understanding conscious freedom? I mean, this is the work that I've been doing and teaching. You know, again, it's a little bit of rework. It's a little bit, you can't go to the gym and build like a new body. If you're, you know, you have to do a few exercises and you have to train yourself. It's a little bit the same. The good news is that, uh, you, you are on this podcast. You know, you're already attracted. You've already like made that step in the right direction. Yeah. My work, I usually attract people who are ready to go to that level. Like that's it. I'm done. I'm not here to distract this or that, whatever. Tell me what I'm here to do. How do I be this human, this divine human in, uh, in, in this human form. And so it's all a little bit of training. All of my work on my website, I'm sorry, I keep repeating this, but it's all there for that purpose. Just go to carolinecorey.com and look at all the classes and start with guidance and you'll see this is exactly where it's taking you. Thank you. And what's important, I think, for everybody to understand, everybody who's here to me, 
You're a hero. We can define you as this. We can define you as that. But you're an energy worker. You are because you are attuning to a higher frequency by listening to us. You are tuning yourself to a higher frequency by doing the work. And then you are a transmitter, as you're saying, for everyone everywhere just by being you. And I believe that's where the greatest shift comes. Somebody asked earlier, this sounds like a very human-centric conversation. But I would say it is actually quite the opposite of this because the frequency has nothing to do we're presenting in human form rue went to sleep he was presenting in in rooster form that's just the shell that holds the energy well well i don't even know what that means human centric uh i mean it, all we've been talking about is the universe coming through our being so uh that is the purpose of our human consciousness so and along those lines, Lisa asks, what's your opinion of RH blood? Yes, I talk about this. Uh, and so because a lot of people think that RH negative is an alien um, DNA. And so I've done a lot of research and I've spoken with uh, some geneticists about this. And even though it has some common denominator, it's still just one factor on the DNA chain. And it's not enough to come to the conclusion that it's necessarily, um, you know, because those traits aren't necessarily transmitted as a genetic code. And so, for example, you have low blood pressure, your temperature is, is lower than normal, uh, you're extremely psychic, um, you have precognition, so on and so forth. And so it's just like a smaller part of the, the, the genetic code that, to me, after doing all this research, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is necessarily just alien. Uh, it just means that you carry these common denominators. So Thank the you. RH null, on the other hand, is very interesting. RH null, mm-hmm. um, have, uh, can be donated to, there's only like 40 people on the whole, in the entire planet that are H, RH null. So they don't have any antigens at all. And so, and normally they don't get sick. I mean, that's the idea. And so these are more interesting in terms of alien DNA. But having said that, I wouldn't worry or focus on the RH. I would focus on the type of energy that you are, the type of consciousness that it's like the bigger, bigger picture. That's why my blood type is B positive. I mean, it couldn't yes. be anything else. Could yeah, it? just the average for, yeah. You show in one of your documentaries, uh, people and, and everybody, you've got to watch all of our documentaries. Each one is bringing it in its own way. You show um, DNA being activated. Yeah. Is it possible to activate all of our quote? This brings us full circle tonight. We're bringing it full circle and I'm going to wind this down. Maybe one last question after this. Um, can we activate all of our junk DNA? And what would that mean to be superhuman at that point? Well, I think the junk DNA is everything that normal science doesn't know how to deal with. I mean, I think this is our divine DNA as far as I'm concerned. 
um, because it doesn't follow specific uh, configurations or uh, as the the other part. Um, but I think what what you're asking the the beginning of that question is what's very important to me. How do we activate our DNA? And so yeah, and so in the experiment. Um, and that's in the movie Superhuman. No, actually it's, it's both actually. Yeah, Superhuman. And so, but I've done that also in the movie Among Us, but I've done this experiment multiple times again, uh, under laboratory conditions. So what we did is we took a DNA sample and the idea was, can I focus my intention on this DNA sample and increase the electrical conductivity, meaning the electricity going through it, the information going through it. And so it was so fast, like it was like, like it almost did it before I even started. And not only it changed, it increased the, the conductivity, but it, it changed by a lot. One time it was like 100%. One time it was like the first time I did it was 400%. 400% electricity went up just by me focusing on it and telling it what I want. The more important uh, information about this is in Caltech, they did this experiment um, uh, with DNA and they realized that when the electrical conductivity is raised, um, increased in the DNA, it changes its shape from a double helix to a torus. It mm. changes shape. And not only that, when it, when it becomes a torus, it starts to self-repair. Self-repair. Think about this. So whatever problem, because I think they were doing it with cancer cells or something, or I don't remember. It starts to repair itself on its own. And what have I done? I just looked at it and I said, I want the electrical contact. I just want the electricity to be increased. So, you know, when people say raise your vibration, <laughs> it's actually you are raising the electrical conductivity in the DNA. So when you say awaken your DNA, activate your DNA, this is one way of training yourself to, first of all, this is validation that this is not woo-woo stuff, this is not crazy. You can literally see the numbers. And so if you can do that on a DNA level and train your DNA to self-repair, 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 you go back to the original way how the universe works. The universe is in continuous evolution and motion. It, It repairs itself, whatever you know, is happening, the stars and the planets, nothing is bump. We're not bumping into each other. They know exactly what to do. Everything is based on zero point and on spin and on the Taurus configuration. And so to me, this is how you would literally activate your DNA, learning the proper technique to meditate and focus and intend for that self-repair to happen. It goes back to the original template. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Last question I've got, and then please feel free, any last words you want to share. I'm going to bring it full circle back to Dr. Stephen Greer, because I have a lot of people who are kind of on pins and needles based on everything that's been spoken about recently. Where do you feel things are going to go, or where do you hope things are going to go with disclosure, with Congress, with everything taking place at this time? Look, I have to say 
Stephen Greer was a pioneer in this whole UFO movement. I mean, he was the first who started, maybe others, but he was the most prominent at the time who brought all this government aspect of the UFO. And he's been talking to the government. He's been talking to the United Nations. He's been talking to all these officials about a UFO um, phenomenon for years and years and years and years. And now I feel, I feel speaking of coming full circle, I feel now he's coming full circle again by, um, you know, pr- offering this um, conference, press conference that he just did. To, and he brought people, you see, these are all whistleblowers. These are all people in the Navy, in the Army, in the Air Force uh, that saw. So don't just take my word for it. So I really feel his work has been very, very, very instrumental in this whole UFO exposure and disclosure. And he keeps pushing, you know, he keeps, I mean, it takes guts, you know, to stand in Washington, D.C., you know, and do a press conference for the world and talk about UFOs, you know. So, I, I mean, he's incredible in that way. And we must be so grateful that he's taken on uh, that role, you know. Um, so anyway, I feel so the question was, where is this going? Right. Where is it going or where do you hope it goes? I mean, I feel because of what he's been doing and what he's done recently in D.C., it's going to keep pushing the bullshit. Sorry. <laughs> like enough, enough is enough. Here are real people. This is real uh, data. This is real evidence um, to push to the next level of whatever Congress is going to come up with. Again, having said that, like we've been saying, Congress a large number of congressmen don't really know the truth. So hopefully this will encourage them to keep pushing and pushing for the real truth to come out. Where do you hope humanity goes from here? And we'll end it on this. Well, I think, you know, again, the, I feel like, um, we are at this very, very important juncture, you know, but I feel it's, we already made the turn. Like I said, I'm very confident that we are going in the right direction because all these truths are coming out. You know, it looks like a silly subject, like what UFOs, who cares? It's very, very, very important, but you'll see, like I said, it's going to trigger another system and another truth to come out and another one, another one. So that's why I feel the UFO, a uh, subject I feel is the beginning of this domino effect. I, I really feel, and the more we create momentum, the more humanity as a whole is going to be able to go in that direction. You know, like before, there's people on the fence. I don't know. I'm not sure. But you know what I mean? The more these systems come up to the truth, um, the more humanity is going to it's going to be easier for humanity to just follow and so um so that's where i feel it is going um it's not just my hope it's really my i'm convinced and if you don't mind me sharing again ending on that other note it's not related 
Again, I, I think I mentioned briefly another another topic that I'm working on is human trafficking that came out of nowhere. Of course, it came because it's higher purpose, and and it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, the statistics, the information, the real data about that. And why am I talking about this? Because so many, you just watch, mark my words, in the next few months, it's going to be the next major headlines. So what I'm saying is all of these things that have been happening under the surface are coming out to the truth. And so that's so important. The more these systems come out and the truth is coming out, the more humanity will be encouraged and we be pulled and will create a much faster and bigger momentum in the right direction. Okay. So I had said that we were ending things, but you just <laughs> gave me a bombshell, Carolyn. Sorry. So um, I want to come back on your show and just talk about this. You're going to be will blown do that. away, blown so away when you hear some things that are happening. I, I, I will, I will honor you with that and we will definitely do that where I am going. And this is where I don't even know how to thread the needle of the question. So there's, there's Michael who's on the mic. There's Michael who's, ah, there's, there's Michael who's a little bit loopy too, but there's, there's me who's stepping back the aperture many steps. And saying this show is, is really at the end of the day, it's, it's bringing people their freedom and power, their true freedom and power, which is raising people's vibration, elevating consciousness, shifting humanity. And so I'm going and, and looking at a show on your documentary and on what's going on and saying, how do I share this with people where I raise people's vibration rather than freak them out? I can see how healing the plan, this can be for the planet. And how that bringing out everything that's under the surface, under the carpet, bringing that out helps shift the plan, the frequency of the whole planet. But how do I bring up this topic? And I'm saying this with everybody here watching without freak out everyone who's watching. How do I bring this to a higher vibration? Look, I haven't talked about any of the subject. This wasn't my thing. I was like, what? You know, I don't go. My focus is on the solution, even about UFOs. I don't focus on a conspiracy or the history or who said what. I focus, okay, this is a problem. What do I, what can I do to resolve to help bring the truth and resolve it? So I'm not paying attention, right? And then out of the blue, like I said, I've been doing this for 20 years and out of the blue, I get this video. Somebody introduced me to this person as I was saying, um, did themselves not heard or told or blah, blah, blah. They went undercover and they did the whole thing 70 times. And so, and hundreds what is, of, what is the whole thing they did 70 un- times? Rescuing children, uh, from traffic, traffickers, uh, rescued hundreds, hundreds of children. And so I'm t- working. So, so anyway, when I watched this, like I said, this was so not my thing. I felt my whole body was filled with this crazy heat, rush, energy, whatever that was. It felt this is the most important thing that you need to do right now. I mean, talking about guidance, you know, and I'm like, wait, this is too dark. Exactly what you said. This is too dark. It's too fearful. I'm not going to talk of it. It's not who I am. Blah, 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 blah. I'm telling you. 
And sure enough, it's, you'll see how we're going to talk about it, but there is a way and there is a time. And I feel like at one point when you feel it so viscerally, like, I mean, every cell in your body is telling you, just do this, just do this. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. You just go and do it. And those who are ready will know it, will feel it, will know it. And we're not here to instill fear. I mean, this is exactly what you said. The purpose of your show is to empower people. That's exactly what I've been doing. So we're not talking about it uh, in the sense to bring in the darkness and the, the fear, but to educate discernment. Was this, is this conspiracy? Is this real? Here are real people who have done it. This is the truth. This really will have to bring you back for that. I'm thinking of Montana <laughs> Bear and, and I'm thinking of all the kids everywhere. And I'm thinking just, I, I, I hear from a dear friend and mentor, the mission is love. The mission is beyond love. The mission, well, there is nothing beyond love, but it is a frequency. And healing one person and freeing one person frees us all. And that's exactly. just, that's not just words. That's the reality of it. And one person enslaved and entrapped brings us all down. Exactly. And, and the, and, and the thing is, like I said, we're still focused on solutions. We're offering programs. And so you'll see it's, it's amazing and beautiful. It's the time right. you'll see all the systems are coming to the surface. It's the beginning of the end in an amazing yeah. way. You shot me this text, I think it was a week or two, and said, look at what the latest thing is. And I'm like, oh, my dear God, (laughs) where do we go with that? Which means you've got that same Stephen Greer braveness and toughness and strength. And and we've got to because you got that. And I'm sure your thought was first thought was, no, I'm not going to do a a documentary on this. That's leave that to somebody. That's not my. And then you get that feeling over you and you're like, out of the way. Here we go. Yeah, exactly. And you're going to feel it. You'll see. You'll see. Because we're not coming from a place of darkness. We're coming from a place of truth and love. So the way we talk about it, the way you'll see, it's, it's, it's amazing. But anyway. (laughs) All right. And we get to wrap things up on that note. I've been watching the chat here. There's so much more that we can talk about, but there has been a question early on of, are my glasses real? As strange of a question (laughs) as that is. So let's see if I can do this, everybody. If you can see there, does that, does that, I don't know if it actually changes the focus, but these are full on <laughs> real glasses. And while I love the yellow, uh, if, if there were a different way, <laughs> but this is my way. So they're real. I don't know what more to say about it, but they're fun. And that's it. Everything you do, wear, be, share, sing, dance, play, sit. It can all be about shifting the vibration of you, which then shifts the vibration of everyone. That's what we're here to do. So for everyone out there, and and Carolyn, thank you, beyond, thank you, beyond, thank you, beyond, thank you. Before I wrap this up, for everyone out there, this is Michael Sandler saying, be well, have fun. Check out everything that Carolyn Corey has to offer. But above all else, discern, discern, and discern. And above all else, shine bright. <laughs> I hope that wasn't too loud for Hanover. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carolyn. Thank you.
Thanks so much for having me. This was awesome. Perfect timing, everybody. We're going to take a little break now. I hope you enjoyed the show so far. And when we come back, we'll have music from the stars. We'll have a look at the astrology with our brother Richard. And then we'll follow up with Kate Pacha and Tanya Gabrielle. And off we go to the wizard. We'll take this break now, everybody. See you about, I don't don't know, maybe about 10 minutes or so. Namaste. Namaste. That's the talking stick to you, Richard. Hello, and uh, I guess it's a pretty good evening. Yes, it is. All right. Well, let's do a little a little astrological analysis, which is uh, it's a funny little process that we do here. All right, uh, let's start. It's the uh, fourth degree of Cancer is the day where the sun is out in that direction, and Jupiter, uh, Mercury is catching up to the sun at 26 Gemini, which makes it square to Neptune at 28 Pisces. So we got uh, we got Neptune in Pisces, and we got the Moon coming into opposition to Neptune. And we remember that combinations of Moon, Mercury, and Neptune bring out the crazies and the lunatics. Now, Jupiter. Over there in nine Taurus, all right, is uh, not really technically square to Venus yet, but it's getting pretty close. Venus is up there at, uh, what is that, small print? Venus is at uh, 17 Leo and Mars is at 21 Leo. So they're they're hanging in there four degrees apart, Venus and Mars. Oh, crap. I didn't mean to do that. Okay. Um, Pluto is still at last degree of Capricorn and retrograde. Uh, Uranus at 22 Taurus. Saturn stationary, getting ready to go retrograde. It's at 8 Pisces. All right. And Moon's at 20 degrees. So that's pretty much the situation here. Let me see if I can do this quickly here. I accidentally closed. I don't want next Saturday. I want this Saturday. 624. Okay. All right. Got it back here. Okay. So the main the main situation for this coming week is to uh, 
and basically it's going to be tomorrow. It's moon opposite Neptune. And uh, that's in Mercury. Mercury conjunct the sun, square the moon. So there's going to be a, a T-square there with uh, Mercury, Neptune, and the moon there. That's basically it. Everything else moves so slowly that it doesn't matter week to week. Chiron's at 20 Aries. And uh, that's that. Now, I went ahead and we'll talk about it maybe at the break or maybe after the break. Uh, calculated the next full moon, but it's not till the next full moon is not until the third. And next Saturday is the first, so we got that going. All right, let's check out Kaipacha, Mr. Mr. Rama. Okay, <laughs> here we go. He's by some major river. Oh, my God. Is it going to be noisy? It could be. with the weekly Pele report. Happy summer solstice in the northern hemisphere. Happy winter solstice in the southern hemisphere. One way or the other, it's either the longest day or the longest night. And no matter where you are, the moon is conjunct Venus. Ow! That's today, baby. And not only that, but Mercury in the very tail end is moving through Gemini. And by Monday, it's going to go into Cancer. Joining the sun, which of course is going from Gemini into Cancer today, Moon's in Leo, conjuncting that Venus, going to go up and conjunct Mars tomorrow. Well, and also, trine Chiron in Aries. So we've got a Moon-Mars conjunction trine Chiron. Oh, yeah. Then she, on Friday, she moves into Virgo and opposes Saturn, trines Jupiter... And on Sunday, she'll be moving into Libra. What else is going on? I tell you, Mercury is very active. Not only as the ruler of Gemini, but, you know, is also squaring Neptune on Sunday. And then heading on into Cancer on Monday, just after a twin tunks with Pluto. And how about Eagle Falls? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the big one. 
It's a big one. Come on, baby. Let it all hang out. Check it out. Oh, man. It's pretty loud. I don't know where I can do the report here, but it's just something to see. Finally, Monday, Mars is going to square Uranus, Leo to Taurus, Mercury, like I said before. And then we have also the moon square sun. First quarter square, Mercury first quarter square Uranus. Everything's kind of breaking out. So, I don't know. I'm going to try to find a place where I don't have to yell at you, you know. Um, and just about anywhere I look, there is a beautiful background. So let me see what I can do. All right, everybody. Ow! Wow. Moon conjunct. Venus and Leo, Sun moving into Cancer. I think I want to start off right away and just share with you the Sabian symbol for the zero, well, it's the first degree of Cancer. And because it's very powerful and it says a lot of what I want to say today. <laughs> It is on a ship, the sailors lower an old flag and raise a new one. The keynote is a radical change of allegiance, exteriorized in a symbolical act, a point of no return. We have now reached a square, 90 degree angle, to the beginning of the cyclic process. This is a moment of crisis, a sharp turning point in the zodiacal cycle at the solstice. The northward motion of the sun in declination stops. And the sun rises and sets as far north of exact east and west as it can during the year cycle. We're peaking. This is a peak. Its motion is now reversed. Slowly the sunset points move southward on the western horizon and the length of the day decreases in the northern hemisphere in the lunation cycle from new moon to new moon this is the first quarter phase on the ship which symbolizes the ego consciousness floating as it were, on the sea of the vast unconscious. The individualized will makes a basic 
decision. The dominant yang force allows the yin force to begin its six-month rise to power. The collective will gradually overcome the individual. And at the end, the state will overpower the person. Now, however, the individual person enjoys their most glorious hour. They exult in their ability to make a free decision, to act as an individual who selects their life goal and their allegiance. In a decisive act, heavy with consequences, the symbolic college youth might realize that he should bring to an end his quest for the ideal companion and enter into matrimony. He assents to the possibility of progeny, of home responsibility. His consciousness accepts a process of fundamental reorientation, implying the stabilization of its energies. Cancer, home, roots, family, a sense of belonging, emotional connection, nurturing, the powerful feminine energy of the mother and of the child, our inner child, our feelings, that's our song for today, feelings. <laughs> whoa, oh, I'm feeling. Oh, whoa, whoa, feeling. Again and again. Up and down. In and out. Backwards and forwards. The blues and the ecstasy. What was it in the wide world of sports? The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, this is a merry-go-round. That's what the mantra is about. And on that merry-go-round, if you've been on one, you gotta get on the horses, right? They've got benches where you can just kind of sit and passively be taken around and around. But they've also got horses that go up and down, like waves on the sea, like our feelings of one day for no reason. We go up to the highest of highs and we feel exalted, grateful, 
in awe and wonder. And then we go down into these feelings of inadequacy. I'm not enough. Of failure. Of how many people I've hurt or let down or how I have just not lived up to others' expectations, to my own expectations. And that sadness and grief can overwhelm us. And I want to say that I feel like it's a spectrum. And we can try. We can fear the descent. We can fear these feelings, these tears, these losses, and not want to fully go down. But if we don't, it's like the farther we go down, the higher we may rise. It is a spectrum, and we can stay in the middle. We can be that sine wave that just barely, barely, you know, and we can control ourselves, control our feelings, try to control our lives. But Uranus, Uranus will come along and kick our ass. I tell you, it's no mistake that right now, Mars comes into a trine with Chiron, the wounded healer, an opportunity to heal that masculine force, to bring it into harmony, to bring it into balance, to bring it into service of the feminine, and to absorb, to receive, to allow the feminine feeling energy to move it, to inspire it, right? To, to energize it, to let that kundalini rise from below and to just explode into new creative acts. Now we might say and most astrologers do, to beware, beware of squares to Uranus, of conjunctions to Uranus. It's extreme, it's erratic, it destabilizes, it shocks. It's the ruler of trauma. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just like they say, beware of Neptune. It's not only dreams, it's illusions. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Last week we had the new moon square Neptune. Now we've got Mercury square Neptune. And what does the Sabian symbol say? Time to make a decision? With Mercury square Neptune? And Mars, square the frickin' Uranus? Oh no, I'm gonna make a mistake. <laughs> this isn't a time, I'm, I, I could be 
too extreme. I could to be uh, too weird or too full of illusion or, you know, I mean, it's like shit, right? And astrology tells us there's no mistakes. The timing is perfect. Everything is set. The stage is set. We need to trust ourselves. We need to trust life. We need to trust spirit. And yeah, we may make a decision now that blows our mind. That blows other people's minds. That raises people's eyebrows, drops people's jaws, and blows people's minds. And we may be scared, we may be tentative, we may be nervous, like we're on the edge of the cliff hanging, are we going to fall? But you've got to, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if you've been rock climbing. I've been rock climbing, man. One time I got stuck. I was in a place on a sheer cliff, and you got two feet and two fingers, two hands, and you got to let go, you know, in order to, like, and reach and search and look for the next grip. And, yeah, it's like, ah! This is the time I want to encourage you. As crazy as it seems, as scary as it feels, this is a 90 degree square. And that 90 degree square is about, what is the crisis about? The crisis is about overcoming doubt. Breaking free of what has held us back. And letting go of fear to burst forth. The seed that was planted back in March, that mid-March is when Mercury was conjunct Neptune. Mid-March, early March was when Sun, you know, was conjunct Neptune. You can go back if you want to the seed that was planted, the impulse, the intention. And now is the time to act on it for better or for worse, in sickness or in health. You got to go for it. And you may win or you may lose. You may go up or you may go down. You may succeed or you may fail. But, but what's the point? It's not about success or fail. It's not about the game. It's how you play the game. <laughs> Just like last week, man. Shh. We're on a roll here. And, yeah, feel the fear and do it anyway is the main message we want to bring today. And we want to give thanks. We want to have gratitude for the splendor, the wonder, the glory of nature, knowing that she is always here to hold us, 
to support us unconditionally. Mother Nature gives and Father Son gives. And whether we win or lose, succeed or fail, there's always another year. There's always another month. There's always another cycle. There's always another day. It all goes on in succession. Building, 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 one upon the other. So choose, decide, trust that decision, hold that decision. And maybe you're committing to a wild ride. Maybe you're committing to a Uranian intense, extreme highs and lows that everybody else is afraid of and your roller coaster is going to go like <laughs> the mantra for this week life on earth is a merry-go-round orbiting round the sun but to truly experience all that I am, I must also go up and down. You can go round and round. Everybody's going round and round. You know, the earth is going round and round. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, nice. Not, you know, not, not so scary more predictable, you know, more safe. But to really, yeah, experience the fullness of your being, the fullness of life, all that you are, all that I am, all that life is, we want to take the feminine yin energy those feelings not only of joy, life, happiness, ecstasy, but the other polarity. You know what I'm talking about. Ow! I'm going to turn this camera around because you got to see what I'm seeing. I mean, I know the falls are awesome, but check this out I'm looking out looking out of my lone igloo day after day bring it home baby make it soon I give my love to you I mean I don't know can I hit the top of that? It's just like, whoa, whoa, right, right. Oh my God. Come on down. I'm going to read the mantra to you one more time as I go round and round in the circle game. 
and around and around. Life on Earth is a merry-go-round, orbiting round the sun. But to truly experience all that I am, I must also go up and down. Namaste, aloha, so much love. Saturday night with a 
double in conjuncts, and the moon will be square Neptune, and Uranus will be square Venus and Mars, and that'll be that'll be in conjunct Neptune, and and that'll be in conjunct the moon. So it's uh, it's one of those uh, geometrical configurations. Because we're getting to the point now where Uranus is uh, sextile Neptune. Uranus moving faster. There, uh, so that's going to kick off there. So that's what we get to by next week. So keep keep two things in mind. Keep that Uranus square, the conjunction of Venus and Mars, and keep Saturn trying the conjunction of sun and mercury and enjoy the moon and libra scorpio and sag through the week all right then let's go listen to tanya and i've got another little topic when we get done with listening to tanya here we go all right Gabrielle here, Wealth Astrologist, and welcome to Star Codes. This is the podcast where we look at an upcoming event in the stars and numbers to help us navigate the energy in the most positive, high vibrational way. And in this case, it is the exciting Capricorn full moon with the sun in Cancer. Sun and moon are at 11 degrees. So amazing. This is happening July 3rd. And the time of the full moon is at 12.38 p.m. Universal Time, which is 7.38 a.m. Eastern Time, 4.38 a.m. Pacific Time. So the moon in Capricorn, sun in Cancer, both at 11 degrees, opens the 11.11 portal. And in this case, the portal opens into responsibility, especially in your career, discipline, and also creating a sense of abundance. And the reason is that there's a beautiful trine from the moon to Jupiter and sextile from the sun to Jupiter, creating this triangle of joy and abundance. So there's a dedication to feeling prosperous, feeling empowered through your trust and your commitment to create an abundance of joy in your life, an abundance of fulfillment in your life. So we are going to commit and dedicate ourselves to joy, light, love, everything that brings pleasure. And the love is very important because cancer, where the sun is, governs love and nurturing. So this full moon follows the solstice the summer solstice in the Northern Hemisphere and winter solstice in the Southern Hemisphere. And that solstice happens on June 21st. And it is when the sun enters Cancer. So then the sun moves around, the moon then goes into Capricorn, and that's how we end up with the Capricorn full moon on July 3rd. So we are 
going to focus now on this sign because it is very important throughout the 2020s, and that is the sign of Capricorn, which includes Cancer being the opposite sign. Why? Because Pluto and Saturn, the ruler of Capricorn, were in a stellium to start the decade off, if you remember, on January 12, 2020. And that stellium was a 500-year event, a major moment. And Pluto now has left Capricorn for a few months in the end of March. And on June 11th, Pluto re-entered Capricorn. There's the number 11 again. And now we'll be in Capricorn until January of 2024. It's moving back and forth over the zero point as it finally makes its way into Aquarius. And that will be in November in 2024. It'll be in Aquarius for 20 years. So this Capricorn full moon echoes the themes that Pluto just re-entered again a few weeks prior. And that means Pluto is wrapping up unfinished business. What is the unfinished business? It is the purging and transforming of structures, ideas, beliefs that are based on a time that is no longer relevant now as we move into the Aquarian age. So Pluto is finalizing, purging, transforming, ending the direction of what people basically thought their goals need to be, the expectations put on them, the ambitions that they thought they needed to focus on, uh, life choices and responsibilities that so many have taken on that actually now don't apply anymore. They, they are not elevating us anymore. So this is a very important moment and it is made even more important by a very powerful figure that is being created in the heavens during this Capricorn full moon. And that figure is called a trapeze or a cradle. And it is truly a remarkable moment because a cradle is where a baby is placed for sleep, for nurturing. So it's connected to cancer, the sign of the mother. And then it is also a protection mechanism, a secure mechanism, and Capricorn is about security. So we have in the cradle represented both signs, Capricorn where the moon is and Cancer where the sun is. So how is this trapeze or cradle created? Well, there's a triple sextile that moves from the sun, conjunct Mercury, so both those planets, they're merged together in Cancer, to Jupiter, which creates that beautiful trine, that triangle I mentioned, and then Jupiter sextiles Saturn, the ruler of Capricorn, and then Saturn creates a sextile to the moon, the ruler of Cancer. So powerful, powerful crater. There is a sense of many timelines intersecting, just like this cradle intersects. And I've marked it up for you. You can see here where the yellow lines are superimposed on the actual aspects between the planets, which are either blue, green, or red, depending on the aspect. I put the yellow lines to show you the actual cradle itself, which rests on the opposition, the red line. 
which creates that tension. And then the sextiles and the trines create beautiful harmony. So there's a lot of intersection of timelines, of ideas that are being discussed, that are being uh, really looked at in a closer way. And also the intersection means, can we bring together opposite beliefs, opposite directions, ideas, and cradle them into one place where we are all listening to each other and feel secure in the acceptance and respect that we give each other, which is very connected to Capricorn and Cancer. So we're taking authority of what we find without judgment and thereby finding that inner peace that we all so crave. And so that means accepting the truth as it appears not judging it or wishing it away, but actually just listening to other perspectives, accepting it, dealing with it, moving on, not wasting energy or time. These are all Capricornian themes. Building a strong structure that can withstand anything like the cradle of humanity. It it really requires deep, committed passion and effort to get to this place where you feel both secure and loved without taking away the freedom of expression. So the metaphor for Capricorn being an earth sign is that it deals with facts. It doesn't get emotional. And then cancer deals with the feelings. And so now we want to come together looking at facts, what is actually happening without the emotional interpretation, and then turn to the true nature of our feelings, which are based on compassion and nurturing, as opposed to drama. So if there are any opinions, assumptions, judgments, evaluations, fantasies, wishes, these are not facts, right? These are actually fiction. They're a particular point of view. That's coming from a belief system that creates those judgments, that creates an escapist tendency, an idealized version of yourself, which is the false self. And the false self doesn't exist. So now we're being asked, especially with Pluto back in Capricorn, to look at ideas that are manufactured from that programming, which Capricorn represents. Capricorn symbolizes the programming that we took on that was imposed on us in order to support the structures, the leaders at the top who needed a belief system to be in play for them to continue their place and not open up the dynamics for discussion, for uh, a sense of give and take that is based on wisdom and respect. So our conditioning is part of this programming and we need to now look at everything that is deemed imposed on us as opposed to arrived from your soul, arrived from a place where there is absolute uh, a visceral feeling of joy, of peace when you come across the truth itself. Because truth is never based on fear. It is just based on discovery and inspiration. And when you feel that way, 
then whatever it is that you choose to believe is based on reality. It's based on a true internal discovery that brings joy, liberation, wisdom, and inner peace. And so this is really the key theme of this beautiful full moon, having this joyful aspect to Jupiter, which represents wisdom and represents a sense of reality bringing joy because the Jupiter theme, the Sagittarian Jupiter theme is also about law and order. And so there is this sense of natural law, divine law, not so much uh, human law, which may be based on that programming, though that also needs to be fulfilled in the 3D reality. But the natural law and the divine law that Jupiter represents in this gorgeous trine and sextile is something for us to turn to. And because Capricorn is an earth sign, we are turning to natural law, nature. We are observing nature and seeing the intersection of ecosystems, intersection of plant life, intersection of the the four seasons and how they transition from one to the next and accept the changes. These are all natural laws that we are now partaking in in order to really be there, be in a place of advantage and be in a place where our dreams really can manifest because they're based on natural law. They're based on our natural sense of destiny. So one thing that would be good around this full moon is to spend time in silence, in solitude, in quietude, earth, being outside or being in a place where you can imagine yourself in a forest or on the ocean or on top of a mountain or hiking, swimming in a lake, smelling the flowers, acknowledging the beautiful wildlife. Those are all really important. You know, the mountain goat represented by Capricorn climbs the mountain and chooses paths that seem impassable and makes it to the top. So Capricorn is about focusing on what actually is going to yield successful outcomes. So you want to take charge. You want to take charge of having a clear vision, not a muddled system that is based on old beliefs, again, that were programmed from day one. We want to take how we feel, cancer, how our heart is guiding us and nurture that and love that and think in a caring way, be kind, be generous, share our heart and be completely immersed in the discipline of those qualities, those frequencies, kindness, nurturing, compassion, diligence, discipline. You know, Cancer and Capricorn are signs that begin seasons. They're called cardinal signs. And the cardinal signs are signs of action. So when we have a cardinal full moon or new moon, we are propelled into even more action. And the Cancer new moon is coming up 
later in July. So we have these moments now between the solstice on June 21st, the Capricorn full moon in early July, and then the Cancer new moon later in July to really go into that place of being proactive and to remember that your spiritual mastery is the mastery of the moment. So that 1111 that we started talking about at the beginning of this podcast, that 1111 is the gateway of the present moment. So the more present you are feeling and getting inspired, sometimes we are in situations we don't know what to say. We're confronted with a dramatic uh, conversation or we are at a crossroads and don't know where to turn. And those are particularly the moments where we're being made aware to not go here, but to go here, to go get grounded, to put our feet on the ground. We are like the 11. We have two legs. We have two arms. We have that 11 in us. That is the present moment, master number of intuitive awareness, intuition, and inspiration in spirit is exactly where spiritual mastery comes. 11 is a master number of spiritual mastery. So it's a fantastic time for you to just focus on that present moment and also to partake in a free masterclass I have that focuses on spiritual mastery. It's called How to Master Your Stars and it's a free training that literally shows you how to take your power back by being in that present moment You can watch it at spiritualmasteryclass.com. We focus on the secrets of spiritual mastery, the true meaning of your rising sign, your natal sun and natal moon's profound impact on living an abundant and happy life, and the important difference between individuality and uniqueness, right? The individuality is the old way. The uniqueness is the new way. It's the way of the Aquarian age. We focus on how to connect instantly with spirit and many more secret tools. So enjoy that free masterclass at spiritualmasteryclass.com. Have a beautiful Capricorn full moon. And I will see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. Lots of love.
showing unusual characteristics, unusual abilities. Remember that? Yep. All right. So here's 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 a here's what I know from the past. All right. And so what I did was I put up a chart here for 15 years ago. All right. Why 15 years ago? Because it's a half a Saturn cycle, and it's when young folks start moving through the process of puberty. And the process of puberty, if you studied it, is a flowering process. It's a blooming process. Okay? So... If we consider the 15-year-olds today, what can we tell from their birth chart? So I put up I put up a June 22, 2008 chart here. Here's what we see. Okay, the sun goes into Cancer, right? Summer solstice, and it. Fifteen years ago, the sun was conjunct Venus in Capricorn, and it was opposite Pluto in the last degree of Sagittarius. Okay, so if you take take a ten day window, you know either either side of the solstice here. You got Sun conjunct Venus opposite Pluto. Mercury is in Gemini, the middle of Gemini, fourteen degrees, and square Uranus and Pisces. We talked about the Uranus Pisces square, which is going on this week, right? Capacha did anyway, all right. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing, from the, this chart, is you've got, a, you've got another conjunction with Mars in late Leo, 25, and Saturn at 4, Virgo. So you've got a, you've got a conjunction, but they're... Cross, cross the uh, uh, sign. You know, so you got you got Mars at twenty five Leo, which is near to where Mars is today, and you got Saturn at four Virgo, and that position is just past. The node, the moon's nodes, but the the Mars is opposite the North Node. Fifteen years ago, was at twenty Aquarius. Okay, and 
that north node conjunct Chiron and Neptune. So you've got you got Neptune, Chiron, and the North Node as a group in late Aquarius. Opposite that Mars over there in Leo with its uh extra uh extra combination there with Saturn. So those are there's two very, very powerful and interesting uh oppositions. Okay. Now with Pluto at the zero degrees of Capricorn and Saturn at four degrees of Virgo, you got a trine that connects those two. Okay. And you go from late Sag to late Aquarius, you get a sextile. And then from late Aquarius to late Gemini, you get another trine. So you've got a box. You've got a box defined by two trines and two sextiles with oppositions to the opposite corners. Plus, you know, plus you might, you know, then on the outside of that, you got that Mercury square Uranus. So what it feels like, you know, I kind of feel like I've been waiting for a long time for for reinforcements. Because if you if you go back if you go back to the to the 60s if you're old enough to have been a teenager in the 60s, <laughs> right, 50, yes. 50 odd years ago, you know, <laughs> you were you remember you remember the uh, the uh, rather obvious generational divide. Between the young people and the old people? Yep. And you've got a very similar thing going on today, 50 years later, 55 years later, let's call it, okay? Yes. And uh, so I thought that was that was interesting. Especially considering that uh, Pluto Pluto was in the la- is technically in the last degree of Sagittarius fifteen years ago, and Jupiter was at twenty degrees of Capricorn. Right. So governments had a lot of power then. But when you consider when you consider Chiron at twenty degrees Aquarius opposite Mars at twenty five degrees Leo. So it's like, what's happening here? Advanced <laughs> human beings, when they're ready, have been taking incarnation, coming and taking on physical bodies, coming down here to the physical plane to help us with the mess. Thank goodness. Sorry, um, it's a tough life, but thank God for them. 
Does that make logical sense? Does that hold together analytically and logically? Yes. All right, so, my job is done. Okay. Until we meet again, Richard. Uh, see you next week. Namaste. 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 Peace out. All right. Rama, the phone numbers for the conference call. Oh, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, one more time, honey. 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, so join us, everyone, for the next hour, and we'll be right back here at BBS Radio, best radio on the planet, uh, at the top of the next hour. And so we'll see you on the conference call, everyone. Namaste. Now that we're way out there, Rama. Yeah. <laughs> What about this one? Um, welcome back, everybody. We played that already. Just a second. I didn't want Mr. Allen uh, Green to stop. That was such a good series. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the Elizabeth Theater. Okay, how about this one? Light seers in the material work world, drama. Yeah, I got find That's there. George Nury and mm-hmm. with Kimo Capano. How are different healing methods and worldwide lineages accessing the beyond? Light seer Kimo Capano <clears throat> ties together <clears throat> ancient Aboriginal Hawaiian high-seeing practices with newer intuitive healing modalities to to offer a unique and comprehensive perspective of existence in the material and etheric realms. Discover the common threads, historic ties, and distinct differences between paranormal lineages of light seers, psychics, mediums, and shamans around the world. Kimo Capano is a teacher and a light seer who bridges the gap between the material and etheric realms and shares how we can embrace our own innate healing abilities. Okay, this is 43 minutes, so let's do this, everybody. Welcome to Beyond Belief. We have a fascinating program for you. Kimo Capano 
is a light seer and practices at the nexus between the aboriginal practices of ancient Hawaiian high seeing and new intuitive healing modalities. Kima, welcome to the program. Aloha, George. Mahalo for having me. I really appreciate it. Were you born in Hawaii? I was born in Hawaii, but I've also migrated all over the United States. I currently live in New York City. I've been there since the 90s. (laughs) The 1890s is what it feels like. But I do migrate all over, and I'll be going to New Zealand soon. So trying to spread my information as as far as I can. You're a light seer. Yeah. What is that? It's such a, a strange thing because a, a light seer is a combination of multiple modalities. Technically, I would be considered a high seer because of the way that my my abilities kind of harmonize with each other. But I call myself a light seer, and that's by choice because I choose to take my abilities and allow them to help me transmute the things that I can see to be of assistance and to be in service to the individuals around me. That's fantastic. Thank you. You know, some of the things that um, I like to clarify from the very beginning when we are speaking to our wonderful medium friends, you know, a medium is someone who is able to be in communication with the living and and spirit energy, the living and the dead. And when I was young as a small child, that is very much what I did. However, when we go into psychic world, you know, we are talking to someone who is in tune with senses, with all their their intuitive senses, which is something that I'm able to do. But the high seer is someone who's able to uh, interlace all those other abilities between spirit energy and energy. Were you born this way? I was born this way. And I am a firm believer that everyone is born with very unique abilities, though it does tend to ebb and flow as we grow up. Of course. I'm an educator. I've been an educator since I was 16 years old, specializing in children and youth between the ages of 3 to 18. Good for you. And I, I use all of my, my students and when I do workshops and working with other individuals, I use my ability and when I'm working with someone to really kind of be a template of what can I learn from this very small experience, either working with these three-year-olds or these 30-year-olds or these 80-year-olds. And I use my ability to see energy and to see spirit energy, and to tune into my own senses, to figure out how can I be of assistance. Can so, you see spirits? Yes. So that's what I started off doing when I was a three year old kid. And I was that was documented. I was filmed. three years old, three years old. Is that when you found your first spirit? <laughs> well, I, w- I would like to say that it found me. And when I was young, my parents just thought, well, we've got a kid with a really wild imagination. And there is some really interesting parallels between our imagination and our intuition. Sure. There are some really interesting parallels. A lot. But I was bringing in evidence that I shouldn't have known at the age of three. I was bringing in names. I was bringing in the way that people were passing away. I was bringing in what had happened to the body, where they were found, first and last names by the age that I was three. We made the assumption that I was a kid who could just see. But it wasn't until I was older, until around the age of 13, where I started to have very cognitive thoughts of understanding that I was seeing much more than spirit energy. And I felt, you know, a little wild. I felt a little crazy with the things that I could see. But now in my, in my DNA, who I am now, I allow myself to grow through my abilities. So way beyond spirit and way beyond my intuitive senses and trying to figure out why energy looks the way that it looks to me. And once again, how I can use that to be of assistance to those around me, whether that's helping them diagnose 
maladies or ailments or trying to figure out where different kinds of emotional energy is compacted sure. inside of the body or where you might be getting sick because of architecture or even landmass. Your name, Kimo Kapano, mm-hmm. was that your birth name? Well, Kimo is my birth name, but Kepano, Kepano is so interesting because Kepano is technically not my, my given last name. When I was a kid, when I was three years old, you know, I was sitting in the very back seat of my dad's car. So my father asked me, he says, okay, Kimo, so it is time to give you a new name. And Hawaiians have very, very long descriptive names. And I hadn't been given my long descriptive name yet. So my father says, I think that it's time, you know, and it's a whole divining process that Hawaiians go through. So he says to me, so let, let's start to think about what your name could be. And then I heard him say, Kepano is your name. So I agreed with him and I said, Kepano is my name, dad. And he says, really? And I said, yes, that, that, that's my name. And he says, okay, that's your name. What does it mean in Hawaiian? Well, Kepano is a very strange name to identify because it doesn't come from very well understood Hawaiian language. You know, Hawaiian language always had to go through different caste systems. Right. The way that I understood Kepano as a kid was he who sees with light. He who sees with light. Now, as I grew up and I was, you know, working in New York City, so I called my father up and I said, I'm so grateful to bear your last name, but I'm going to be changing it to Kepano. And my father said, well, that makes sense since you named yourself. He was all for it. He was all for it. But my father was confused. He was like, wait a second, but you, you already named yourself. And I was wildly confused by that statement. I said, I didn't name myself. You named me. He says, I never named you. I said, Dad, I have the memory of an elephant. I was sitting in the backseat of your car. You asked if I was ready for my Hawaiian name, and you told me, Kepano. He says, I never said that to you. I asked if you were ready for your Hawaiian your Hawaiian middle name. Right. And I had heard clear as day your name is Kepano. So I had said that to him, and he changed it on my birth certificate. Well, my- well he did. He made it legal. He, well, he made it legal as my middle name, but my father is a genealogist, and he did find after I made that statement that I do have an ancient ancestor by the name of Kepono. But when my father asked me that question as a three-year-old kid, not only could I hear your name is Kepono, but I knew that there was a gentleman sitting next to me. So now, as an adult, when I took my middle name to be my last name, I can see very, very clearly still this gentleman off of my shoulder, who I would now identify that as being one of my spirit guides, one of my spirit teams, by the name of Kepano. I can pull in the evidence of where he's from, what he did in his life. And when I give my father that evidence, who is the genealogist, my father says it's really, really quite spectacular that you have this connection with this spirit guide. So I make the joke that technically I bear the name of my own spirit guide. Who were your spiritual teachers? So my spiritual teachers, I grew up with a variety of spiritual teachers, you know, and I I had religious teachers when I was, when I was a young kid, but I started to kind of challenge that religious dogma because it didn't really quite make sense with the way that it looked because everything is so visual for me. It didn't quite make sense. So I started to venture out and I started to speak to other, um, you know, people who identified as high seers, kahuna, huna, brujos, curandera, uh, shamans, medicine men. I went down the route of other aboriginal, indigenous and native practitioners to see if I could find out as much information about myself 
as possible. And when I did that, I started to find out that I was speaking in such a strong language of energetic understanding that I actually became the teacher as I was the student simultaneously. Now, the majority of my teachers are not even you know, physical and life expression. Right. I learned how to tune in in multiple different modalities with teachers from different practices and different lineages and different times and more. You had this ability when you were three. When I was, when th- did it kick in? Well, even though I had this at the age of three, if you could listen to three old chemo speak in these recordings, you would really laugh. But when it really started to kick in, really wasn't until I was an adult. I was getting really confused by all of my abilities. By the time I was in high school, I started to have very open dialogue with my friends and my friendship circle in very, very intuitive ways. Though I didn't completely understand that I was having intuitive conversations, I was using my own terminology. And I still use my own terminology. There are many, many things that I can see that I cannot find as evidence in any book with any other practitioner. So instead of searching for information out there, I I search for the information in here. So when I'm working with clients and other practitioners, I've had to learn how to utilize my own language in a way that can help the collective make sense of all the wild stuff that is going on inside of my vision. My daughter's in New York as we speak. She's doing some actress work. Oh, nice. Just starting to pick up little tiny movies and stuff like that. And I understand that you're an actor, aren't you? Yeah. So in New York City, when I moved there in the 90s, I I moved to New York City to be an educator, to be an actor, to be a performer. And I have had a very successful career as as a performer in New York City. And I always thought, George, that I had to disassociate my intuitive ability from my acting career and my education to my acting career or, you know, because I didn't want anyone to get the wrong idea about me. Oh, he's an actor. So does he make all this stuff up. When I was working as a performer, no one knew that I was an educator because I didn't want them to think, well, why are you teaching this? Shouldn't you be doing something completely different? So now I have learned that we can blend all of our abilities together. So if I was talking to your daughter, what I would do is I would have a sit down conversation with her about what is the unique intuition in terms of its energy around her? How can she better amplify that to give her stronger success rates as an actress? We, we look at everyone holistically. We look at everyone very bespoke because everyone is. Could I look you up on IMDb? You could. <laughs> Don't you dare, though. <laughs> I'm just joking. You could. You could. So you do a lot, huh? I do think that I am able to juggle multiple modalities, but I have found that the this current avatar of, of, of me really blending my ability of intuition and sight through education with my creative background, this is the avatar that I like the best. Are we surrounded by energy zones? George, if you could see what it looks like, if I could put my goggles on you, here is some of the things that you would see. You would see approximately seven different energetic zones that run outside of your body. Now, those energetic zones, they they do have names. These are not names that I have created. However, because I can see them, I have learned that I can gain more insight into those energetic zones that have been talked about for centuries and centuries. And what I have found to be the most fascinating is every single energetic zone not only has a different vibration, but different colors and shapes and more. Wow. So in, in fact, if, if I were to just take a moment to tune in, your vibration moving out, may I, may I tune in for a moment, George? Absolutely. Thank you. Tune me in. Thank you. Your vibration in your sixth and your seventh energy zone, which is kind of the highest energy zones, they radiate certain colors for me. And those colors, I have learned, connect to a part of you that will always be this way. 
regardless if you are in this life expression, regardless if you're sleeping, regardless if you pass away, they you go into the spirit, they stay with you always. You are born with this energetic color and you will pass away with that energetic color. And that has become so more, much more fascinating to me than the aura. You know, we talk about aura being in connection to some of the energetic zones because they're connected. So this is different from the aura. It is very, very different. Aura is always in a state of change. Aura will change when your mood changes and that mood is connected to different energetic zones. So if we can go way beyond the, you know, the normal, you know, three to four energetic zones, again, going into our sixth and seventh, there are hidden colors in there. And these colors are very rarely photographed. You know, someone might take a photo with their, with a Krillian camera that can photograph your energetic frequency and color for aura. But I have very rarely seen any aspect of your sixth and seventh energy zone in those photos that you might take with your aura. Why not? Sometimes. I think it depends on the person, to be honest. I really do. It's very rare that that color can be photographed. If we had more time, I'd, I'd fill your head, George, with all the colors that I can see in vibrations. And if we get really specific, not only do I see the colors and vibrations moving around you, but then this would be what I think most people would assume is an opening or a veil or, or a portal where other information can come through, meaning your own exactly. spirit team and you know maybe some of your own guides and more. Kimba, what are soul skin colors? So soul skin colors, they do they do move through the spectrum of primary colors. They do move through the spectrum of chakra, but I haven't found evidentially, at least not yet, that they are directly connected to your chakra. I think that they are, you know, maybe interlaced a little bit. But the soul skin color is the most profound, brilliant color of who you are and what you are. So I have found that if I'm looking at you, George, and if I were to tune in to any of George's past life regressions, uh, regressions or you your costume. You would see that? I would see that, but they would also be the same color. Uh, may I speak openly about what your colors are over here? Yeah. Yeah. So your colors range between an orange color and a red color. The red is more of a magenta. It's not a bright ruby red and the orange is more of a blood red color. So if I were to tune in, I haven't taken the time to look at all of your other past lives and more, but I would guarantee you that they would all come in with the same color spectrum. Which means what? Well, the, the color spectrum of these over here, I've learned that a lot of magentas are, are very much in every life expression that you're a part of. Someone who really needs a lot of choice. Someone who needs to be able to change their mind whenever they want. Someone who needs to be able to say, this is how I feel autonomously, and please don't try to change my mind. But when I go into the orange spectrum of that, this is all quality, quality conversations, quality experiences, quality connections, and more. And that's the thing that I have seen evidentially true for everyone in that spectrum. Is that a good reading on me? Oh, I think that you're wonderful, actually. I really do. I think this is a really wonderful, and I don't know you, George, besides you sitting in front of me like this. But I would guarantee you that if we could kind of unwrap all of these different colors, we would find the purest spectrum of who you are. Now, I am not an astrologer. I don't study astrology, but I have been told by many astrologers and people who read the cosmos that everything that I see within soul, skin, colors, and more is a direct reflection of your zodiac. You have twin sisters. I do. You use them in your own case studies. I do. So I, I use all of my siblings are, are seers in very, very different ways. My sisters they are six years younger than me and they're seers as well. But I first started to see soul skin colors when I looked at their cribs, when they were newborn babies. There was, there's no aura in that little baby when they're born because, you know, aura is connected to emotions and more. 
that hasn't grown into them yet. But what I could see is their soul skin colors. One was a violet color and the other one was a spectrum of, of a blood orange red. Two separate. Two completely separate entities. So I used them as case studies my entire life to get to know what those color spectrum individuals mean. And today I can very, very clearly get a read on someone who is in the spectrums of the purples and the violets and someone who is in the spectrums as templates. (laughs) I totally cheated, right? 100% I use them as the template of of my first understanding. Mm -hmm. But I do continue to do this. I feel like I'm a chronic investigator at all times, always trying to look for examples in my everyday life, regardless if I'm working with children or, or with grandparents. It doesn't matter. I'm always trying to find as much information as possible. Insatiable. That is amazing work. I appreciate that, George. Do people get addicted to their own emotions? Well, when it comes to addiction, that is such a great question. Out of all of the different energies, George, that I can see, all energy is very exogenous. All energy comes in and you are affected by the energy around you. We don't necessarily realize how much we are affected by energy around us, but energy has shape and dimension to me. So, for example, before we talk about addictions, I want to talk about some of the energies that move around individuals that tend to come in before addiction comes in. Because stress is an actual energy. So is Sarcasm is an energy, uh, depression is an energy, anger, anger, anxiety, but also so is love. And all of these energies physically look like something when they move into your energetic zone. So if I were to be walking around the streets of New York City, and if I were... And you have. <laughs> and I have, I, I can be quite nosy sometimes. But if I'm walking around the streets of New York City, and if I choose to tune in and just look at the exogenous energy that is moving around those individuals, I will be able to tell how depressed someone is, how anxious someone is, or how stressed out they are, not because of body language, but because of the exogenous energy around that individual. Really? Now, because those all look like something, their shapes, their colors, and their their densities, Now, if we were to meet in a session and if you were to show up and if I were to tune in and to see how much energy is moving around you way beyond color, then I would be able to give you a diagnostic of, well, let's talk about some of these emotions that are going on. Now, addiction is one of the most surreptitious energies out there. And many of us have a little bit of addiction energy without realizing it. I I tend to that normal. Yeah, it is a little normal, normal, more normal than you realize. I think that we have an assumption that all addiction energy must be in connection to narcotics or alcohol or maybe sex addiction and more. But it goes way beyond that. And if I see even the smallest thread of what that energy looks like, then I start to help you unwind what that is. And most people have a small addiction to phones. Or to maybe relationships that maybe aren't so good for them or to fix someone else without kind of going inward or certain kinds of emotions that they are prone to feeling all the time. Are addictions good or bad, Kimo? Well, in terms of what they look like, addictions drain the body. Addictions not only drain the adrenals, but addictions are draining all of the endocrines at all times. And when I have this conversation with psychologists, you know, When I studied psychology in in college, you know, we learned all these things about, you know, sometimes it does drain serotonin. And now I feel like so many psychologists are learning so much more than what we were taught back in the 90s and the early 2000s where we're learning. Well, there is so much more going on than just serotonin drainage. But when I take a look at depression energy, George, and the addiction energy, 
that energy does have a drainage of certain kinds of things that are moving in, whether that's moving through the hypothalamus, whether regardless if that's moving through the neocortex, it is in a state of drainage. So that helps me identify how much of that is going on inside of the body. What is shadow energy? Shadow and oh, what a great question. Shadow energy is wildly misunderstood. I think that there are so many individuals who have the ability to maybe tune in a little bit and they'll catch a little glimpse of shadow energy, then they make the assumption that therefore it is bad because we can't understand what it is. You know, and our, our wonderful neurological brains are always trying to help us figure out, well, what was that? I don't know what that is. Therefore, I should be doubtful of it. Therefore, I should be wary of it or even maybe even afraid of what I'm tuning into or feeling around me because I can't give it an answer. So shadow energy tends to be one of those things that people either energetically will pick up on something is going on in this room or this space, or they maybe even might catch a glimpse of it. But shadow energy could be a variety of things. One of the things that could be you catching a glimpse of the density of how energy moves around you. It could be a glimpse of maybe your spirit team, right? It could be a glimpse of some of the energetics around architecture, which absolutely exists. But we have a tendency to prejudge that as something that is wrong. So if I could say anything to the collective who might be watching this, is to understand that there is so much more out there that we just don't understand. And if we could realize that our brains are wired to try to second guess all the information that we don't understand, then if we use a little bit more critical thinking in connection to spirituality, we would glean a lot more information that is actually helpful for us. Maybe I picked up on part of my spirit team. Maybe I picked up on an energetic of something trying to be helpful. Where does the shadow energy come from? George, that is a question that I wish I knew the answer to. I really, really do. I do my homework and I tune in as much as possible, a little bit every single day. And when I try to tune into the energetics of shadow work, it goes into a place that is so wildly amorphous and confusing that I might sound a little wild talking about it. But there is always energy out there that seems to have an imprint or a blueprint of what its job might be. For example, the job of depression energy is to do something very specific to these bodies. The job of shadow energy might be to be a little confusing, Mm -hmm. or perhaps it's a reminder to say, well, if you tuned in just a little bit more, it wouldn't be so murky. It would be a little bit more clear. Moving with your pineal gland and more, it's understand moving, moving through your alphic system to understand that those things that we are catching glimpses of or seeing in the background could be helpful to us as opposed to terrifying. Do you do medical scans of people? I do offer medical scans. And in fact, there are some doctors that are very, very open to having conversations way outside of Western medicine. I've had actually had a lot of doctors and surgeons approach me about wanting to know more about Eastern medicine. I don't consider myself to be a person who works with Eastern medicine. However, I do love that idea that there are individuals out there who are much more open to that. So if I were to do a medical scan, George, I I place the person in front of me. Now, all of my sessions I do are actually virtual. But I take a look at them energetically, and I tune into all the things that I can see, and I go through the whole entire system from the top of the crown all the way down to the soles of their feet. And I just pay attention to what seems off. I've learned that certain colors within the body, these are non-auric colors, Mm -hmm. non-soul skin colors, all the colors in the body that are a little bit off will have a very specific output of where the emotion came from. Maybe sometimes the energy will compact a little bit. I've learned that compact energy tends to be in more connection to tumors, 
whether they're benign or malignant, maybe some kinds of uh, cancers that might be uh, recently uh, diagnosed or actually haven't been diagnosed yet. I have seen some cancers inside of the body months before they are picked up on, but that's just because I'm going through the body to scan to see what is in harmony, what looks a little off. Are there meridians that are kind of overlapping and crossing in a way that isn't really helpful to the body? They're beginning to use dogs to step out. Yeah. Cancer victims. Right, right, right. Do you do that too? <laughs> yeah. I'll so put, put a little collar on it and lead you away. <laughs> I would love that. Now, this is something that I'm able to do, but you know, I am, and I say this from the very beginning, though I have really profound abilities, I truly believe that I'm not the doyen of everything metaphysical and, and wonderful that I can see. Many people have these abilities. They are just untapped and misunderstood. And many of the times people will kind of veer away from that. If I smell, for example, if you were sitting in front of me, and I'll tell you what it smells like to me if you were a little sick, George, and this is the way that it resonates for my brain. This would not be the exact way that it would resonate for everyone with this ability. But if I tuned into my ability to smell, and if I smelt hot pennies, hot pennies is the smell that I pick up on if someone is going to have the flu. Hot and pennies. Hot pennies. And if I smell, what was that? Little, little teeny pennies. And I've never smelled a hot penny a day in my life, but that's how my brain registers that. And how much hot penny I will smell will tell me how quickly you are going to catch the flu, which means I can usually catch the flu about three days out. If someone has cancer, if someone is experiencing cancer, either diagnosed or undiagnosed, I smell warm nickel. Now, isn't that so odd? Those nickels smell like someone has rubbed burnt toast over them. If someone is schizophrenic, either diagnosed or undiagnosed, I always smell burnt toast. And I have found, for example, if a friend says chemo, I'm feeling a little odd, a little sick. Will you please tune in briefly to see if I have any of those sicknesses? And And and, and I do. And if I catch that glimpse, I will say, please go get tested. They do. And sure enough, that's what I find. Fascinating. That's so wild. you teach yourself this? Well, I, I had to because I didn't know how to find out this information. And in fact, and, and I love working with mediums and psychics and intuitives, but I have found that I have not been satiated by looking up any information, either in an online journal, medical journal, or any kind of book. I have not been completely satisfied with anyone's understanding of the full spectrum of intuitions. I haven't been satisfied yet. So I am slowly writing <laughs> writing a book so I can help teach this information. But this ability to smell would be one of your intuitive abilities that right. many people can tune into, not just me. We know that by having conversations with multiple individuals with different abilities, psychic senses and more, that we can tune into approximately four. I have also known that some psychics and intuitives can tune into approximately seven, depending on how developed they are. But when it comes to this ability, this is only one of 12 different senses that I pick up on. Now, I say 12 because this is going way outside of the top four, way outside of the top seven or eight, because all of these different intuitions have a visual to me. They have a very specific vibration. That vibration might bring in color. It might bring in density. So if I was to be working with someone who I can see has the vibration of being able to smell energy, then I would focus and capitalize on that for them. Hey, let's talk about this. Can you train people to do what you do? I believe that I can. And I've been in practice for a long time, being able to tune in. I haven't been teaching in this modality for my entire life. I've been teaching workshops since I was 16, but not the specifics of intuition. And I work with 
all ages, George. And I prefer to work with all ages. I don't want this to feel like it's any kind of gatekeeping that you have to be a certain age or you can't get this information after a certain age. That doesn't, that doesn't exist. How emphatic do you get chemo? Well, it depends on the individual. And again, because I'm always trying to read the energy of the person and the room, I will cater my speech and my energy to help that other individual understand. So I'll give you an example. If I am going to see a Broadway show in New York City, if I were to go see a film, I know that five minutes before the curtain goes up or five minutes before the lights go down, my body will have all of these intuitive Feelings and senses happen. I I feel things through all of my clairs. Everything's working. I'm all everything so becomes so. quite synesthetic. But I was quite confused about this as I was, as I was growing up. But I'll, the example that I'll give you, one of the anecdotes, is that when I am sitting in these auditoriums or theaters or more, five minutes before, I'll hear something very very specific, and it happens every single time. In your ear? In my, in my both of my ears, but it's 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 not even in the actual ear. It's kind of like in the back of my head. But I will hear what I describe as a really large tractor that rolls forward and then always veers to my right for some reason. Now, what does that mean? Well, I've learned that for me and the energetics that I tune into, that's how my body understands a really large group of people having the vibration of anticipation. And it will always sound like that. So if I were to be having a one-on-one conversation with someone or a group of people, and if I were to hear even the slightest amount of that vibration that rolls in and veers to the left or veers to the right, And I will know that my body is receiving the message that this person is feeling quite anxious. So then my job as a practitioner is to quiet my voice, change my body language, allow myself to enmesh with your energy. So that way we can find more equilibrium. So that way I don't overwhelm your senses. You do medical intuitive work too, don't you? I do medical intuitive work. And though I don't tell a lot of individuals, I do a lot of medical intuitive work. And I do that for a very specific reason I'll go into in just a moment. But I do the medical intuition as a way to give that person evidence and validations because I can see it usually before it's even diagnosed. Or even if it's recently diagnosed, someone might say, well, we know that my cells are misfiring and all these things are happening, but we don't know why. Well, for me, I like to find out the why. And the why will always be in connection to some kind of emotional energy or environmental energy. And it's just helpful for the brain to release that, to understand what that is. So that's one of the things that I do when it comes to medical intuitions. I don't usually tell individuals right off the bat, let's tune into all the vibrations around poor health. Because what I learned when I was a young intuitive is that if I could, you know, be chemo and help move that energy out, because I can move that energy out. I learned that that energy will come back. It comes back almost instantly because you have muscle memory in connection to those those emotions or those feelings that will start to eventually calcify, become malignant, and then start to create some kind of malady or ailment. So what I prefer to do now is to teach you how to move that energy out. Now let me worry about it. Exactly. So that way you can be consistent with those emotions. So that way, even if you are going through some kind of radiation or chemotherapy treatment, when it's passed, you will have a stronger foundation of how to keep it out. And I'm not discounting any kind of Western medicine, not at all. But I do think that if we can allow ourselves to incorporate the idea of Western medicine into you know, larger conversations with intuition 
you know, intuitive design and intuitive body and more, then we can create much stronger lasting effects. Kimo, what is the highway of dimensions? <laughs> I love this question, George. So highway of dimensions is just chemo terminology that I use to describe what it looks like if I tune into all the energetics of what's going on around you. So for example, George, if you were to say tune into my highway of dimensions, I would quickly tune into how much vibration is moving around. And then we would create a conversation based on, but now what information do I want? Do I want to know about timelines, which would be just variations of your imminent probabilities. Timelines all overlap for me. If you were to say, please help me know more information about you know, are there any sicknesses in my body? Then I look at those other timelines and those other colors that move around. But the world to me, when I put on my my magical chemos, you know, goggles, the world to me looks like a playground of emotions and frequencies and timelines and colors and dimensions and vortices and portals and more. It is an everlasting playground for me. Do you see people and their futures? Well, I I do. However, I, I don't believe that there's one version of future. I really don't. What I believe options, is huh? always options. And those options are contingent on choice. And in fact, some of my most favorite movies to watch are any movie that has to do with a, an idea of a multiverse. Because you watch these films and it's, you know, here's one thought that could lead to this timeline. Here's another thought that can lead us to that. Different timeline. Exactly. But that's what the world looks like. If you were to ask me, Kimo, can you please help me understand the timelines that I have in my poor health? Then I would quickly silent my mind and see all the different variations of all the timelines that are going on with poor health. And then what would I, I would focus on is what is the most dominant one? What is the, 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 the largest one? Because timelines do take up a density. George, they actually take up shape and form. Some of the smaller timelines, I'm not so concerned about. I'm more concerned about the larger ones. So then we would focus in on what that larger one is. We would try to focus in on what is the seed, the genesis, the root of what is starting that imminent probability. And then we would start to eradicate it. Timo, do you tap into spirit guides? I do. I tap into, first of all, I work with my own. Okay. And then I work with yours. So when I- do we have? Um, well, it depends on the person. I don't recommend that we look for any more than five or six. I've had some clients that have said, oh, I have like 15,000. And I say, well, that's too much. That's <laughs> way too <laughs> it's much. It's way too much. Because every spirit guide or guide, and to really quickly differentiate that language, for me, a spirit guide would be someone who was in body, who has had spent an had exor- a life. Yeah, had a life, had spent time on the other side in spirit form to learn and to grow, to come in, to be of assistance to you. But guide energy, I would not describe that way. Guide energy would be an energy that was never in body and never will be in body, right? And there's also, those are different forms. But in communication with our spirit guide and our guides, I have my team work with your team. And if we could create approximately five to different, five to six different guides that we are aware of that we can work with, then you get to learn what every one of their languages are. For example, when I work with my own guide team, which is a combination of spirit guide and a combination of guide, I have a very specific spirit guide that I am in communication with if I'm going to a new location to tune into architecture, the architecture around this place. I have a different spirit guide that I use if I'm trying to figure out family genealogical stuff. Sure. I have another spirit guide that I use if I'm looking for expertise everywhere. Exactly. So if we can learn each of their own languages, then we will have better insight. 
George, everyone wants to know who their team is. Everyone wants to know. What is a spirit guide, though? Well, spirit guide is not what most people think. Most people think that a spirit guide is spirit information that comes in to tell you, here's what to do, here's how to do it, and more. But that's not what a spirit guide is. We want that to happen, but they're not allowed to do that. That They're not allowed to come in and reshape our lives. They can nudge. They can offer insight. They can offer you know, a visual, which might come in in some sense of a psychic vision or something like that. I call it psychic sign language. It's just a few visuals or nudges or hunches. That's what they are able to offer. But they, they can't offer anything else than that because it would be <laughs> breaking our cosmic rules. Do we have different kinds of spirit guides? We do. But I've also found that it depends on the person. Because some people, their spirit guide might come in an animal form. It might be yeah, a, a pet or, or animals that, you know, they may have maybe leopard or snake. Favorite dog that died. Or eagle. Of course. So spirit guide will communicate to you in the way that you feel most connected. Some people, it's being outdoors with energy, with, with the nature energy, with tree energy, with fey energy, with river energy. For some people, it is animal. For some people, it's it, it's history. You know, it might be old oracles and more. It might be in the architecture. You know, we know that there's memory in stone and memory in bone. So it just depends on the individual. What was your favorite acting part? <laughs> well, a- as an actor, my strongest success was was roles that I was being given as as a dancer. I was a dancer my whole entire life. I was lucky to grow up in, in, in the dance world. And I'm in my mid-40s now, and I only recently retired. But I, I, there's no way I could tell you a favorite. But I can tell you my favorite experiences are based in moments that I have with different casts. And I work as a creative as well. If we can find a way to be in communication to our super sensories and in communication to our artistry. Those are my favorite times to be working as a creative individual. What kind of dancing did you do? I was very fortunate. I grew up dancing Polynesian, but then as I was in high school, I learned that I was a very, very quick study to classical dance. So then I went into classical ballet. And then from there, I learned that I was a very quick study into uh, contemporary modern work. So my work as a dancer allowed me to start to make those kinds of connections. And I traveled the world as a dancer, whether I was overseas or working in different companies and more. You must have been pretty good. Oh, I was very good. Good for you. Good for you. However, I do believe, and everyone who has met me in my entire life, regardless if you met me as as a student or if you've met me as a performer, one of the things that I hope everyone will say is, well, that's chemo. That who that's who chemo is. Chemo was a connector. Either through intuitive thought or through teaching or through performance and more. Because my desire is always to be a connector. And my soul skin. My soul skin color, very different than yours. My soul skin color is always a, a soul skin that will always be in the connective zones. And no matter what life expression I'm a part of, right. no matter where am I in the world, no matter if I'm in this life expression or a different life expression, it will always be a connector. And I come from a line of connectors, actually. My, my, my grandmother was, was a connector. My father is an intuitive connector as well. What's your next project? Well, I hope, George... That my next pro- project would be to sit, be just sitting where you are. <laughs> but my, my next project really is to be able to take my, my whole pedagogy of moving through the world with energy, uh, understanding of what's going on around us with no fear, with absolutely no fear. Do you have fear now? I, I had when I was a kid. I was a kid who experienced a lot of fear. That's because normal. Of, um, totally normal because of things that I could see. 
However, when I learned to see the energy that I could see with my choice of seeing it through light frequency, which is why I call myself a light seer, that is always by choice. I've learned that fear is always a choice and fear is a muscle. So then, you know, the thing that I always explain to someone else is, well, what muscle are you going to choose to work out today? Are you going to work out critical thinking and intuition or are you going to work out that fear? Because the fear will grow. Absolutely. This, this, you know, ocean of emotion, it'll grow if we feed it. So I don't do that anymore. Are there things that startle me? Absolutely. Are there things that shock me all the time? But I don't experience the fear element. So it makes me insatiably curious. If I were to see spirit energy move forward, that looked quite terrifying in terms of the way that, uh, that the body was found. Like devilish? Well, not devilish. That, that, that is a whole other energy. But if I were to see spirit energy that maybe someone was, was stabbed or shot and the body left was for dead, it left for dead. Sometimes the body does, the spirit does come in in that shape or form, but I've learned that it comes in in that shape or form for very specific reasons, usually because there is someone still living that only can visualize them in that form as opposed to something else. So then I, Try to work with the living. <laughs> How do people get a hold of you? Well, people can get a hold of me for in many ways. I, I have a social media presence on Instagram, on TikTok. I do have my, my online business. You can find me through my website and more. But what I really want to be able to do is to, to take this pedagogy of ideas that I have and to travel and to have much larger workshops. My workshops that I offer tend to be quite small, you know, and I started doing workshop workshops when I was 16 years old, but sure. ranging, you know, from, from five people to, to 35 people. And I would like to do that in a much larger hundreds, aspect, hundreds. hundreds. So that way we could, we could plant the seeds and then sow those seeds, you know, from one individual to another and start to understand that the world around us does not have to be so scary and terrifying. And it's challenging, George, because we have to work through a lot of our ideology, whether that be dogmatic or religious institutions, things that we've been told. You know, I was told all these things growing up. Be careful you don't do this because you're going to bring in some kind of demon. But when we understand that that energy is only energy that is misunderstood, then we can understand how to be Absolutely. exactly in better connection to that. So we can understand how we can be autonomous and sovereign and not necessarily affected by all those other things. Do you play with the Ouija board? I haven't actually, but I'm not opposed to it. I think that growing up, I was very fearful of Ouija boards because of, you know, everyone is told the same thing. Careful, you're going to bring in something. But we bring in something every time. We bring in something through prayer. We bring in something through meditation. You bring in something on a nice long walk in nature. So the differences are how do you understand how to move with your own clarity? So those kinds of things like Ouija boards don't become confusing. They just become a form of connection. Thanks for being on Beyond Belief. I appreciate it. You did a great job. Thank you. If I ever need someone to investigate my spirit guides, it'll be you. I hope so. I'm going to hold you to that, George. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Mahalo. Okay. A bit of Hawaii, huh? (laughs) What did you say, Rawa? Oh, just trying to get back to... Act two. Um, oh, you mean the next one? Yeah. Parallel realities of potential. Mm-hmm. And this is Open Minds with Regina Meredith. Uh, this is featuring John Gabrielle. 
How can the power of visualization reshape our physical reality? Author and speaker John Gabrielle shares his journey of incredible weight loss and the creation of his signature Gabrielle Method, formerly a stockbroker who was overstressed and over 400 pounds, Gabrielle shed the weight by shifting his entire potential to a parallel existence. Gabrielle explains there are thousands of parallel realities for every problem we face and how we can manifest our ideal path. Discover the transformative power of rewriting your mind, excuse me, rewiring your mind and creating a harmonious heart-mind-body connection through visualization to unlock optimal well-being and reclaim control over your body and your life. All right. This is 45 minutes. Here we go. Haven't heard from Regina for a long time. Mm. Okay. Mm. That whole binge, starve thing. Maybe I'd lose five pounds, gain ten pounds, lose five pounds, gain ten pounds, until I gained over two hundred pounds. I had this kind of thought that came into my head and said, "Your body wants to be fat, and as long as it wants to be fat, there's nothing you can do to stop it." I started healing my microbiome. I started nourishing my body by adding healthier foods, healing my trauma, and I did a lot of visualization. What I became aware of in that space is that there's not just this universe. There's a nearly infinite number of variations of this universe. And as I'm talking to her, I'm working on this blockage. And it opened. It's like a timeline was kind of going like Interesting. this. Interesting. And her past was changing. A lot of times when we think that the problems are too big for us, whether it's the war or pandemic, whatever it is, that can be changed too. Because there's a version of reality where that doesn't exist to that extent. You can actually move to a version, to the other to the version of reality where it's, yeah, where it's happening better. How many of you have dealt with the desire to have your body in better condition or lighter, but you can't pull it together? Can you imagine a situation in which you use your mind, not diets, to reshape your physical body? John Gabriel did and lost over 200 pounds. But it isn't the weight that we're going to have this conversation about. That's only a part of it. It's about the power of your mind and the power it has over matter. Welcome, John. Thanks, Virginia. So it's kind of, it's, here you are so Mm -hmm. slim and fit. It's hard to imagine you at 410 pounds, but we have some pictures. I mean, wow. So first of all, you were dieting. Now, sometimes people say when they're in an obese state, say, oh, I'm dieting, but they're secretly eating or other things. Yeah, well, what were you? I think everybody that's dieting is secretly eating, first of all, you know. Right. I think that's true because you're, you're now in a deprivation mode. So you got to trick yourself and sneak things and all that. What were you actually doing when you got up to 410 pounds? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I moved to uh, New York back in the nineties and I just started getting, as I was working on Wall Street, as soon as I started working there, High stress job, I started gaining weight. I didn't think too much about it the first couple of years, but after two years, three years, I gained 50, 60 pounds. I thought, okay, I'm going to do something about it and I'll go on a diet. 
And uh, I ended up trying pretty much every diet you can imagine. I mean, obviously, I did the low calories, like the first thing you do. And the thing is, that works for a short time. And like you say, but then your body goes into body scarcity mode. Yeah. And it's like, hey, this isn't this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel safe. This isn't what I want. And then you have this, you know, big binge. And so I did that whole binge starve thing, you know, two, two weeks dieting, one big binge, you know, like this. And I kept gaining, right? Maybe I'd lose five pounds, gain 10 pounds, lose five pounds, gain 10 pounds until I gained over 200 pounds. And, uh, when I say I tried everything, I, I, I worked face to face with the late Dr. Atkins from the Atkins diet. So you weren't having snicker bars on the side. I was, but the thing is, I was trying not to, you know, I was, do, to, you know yeah, I was doing but, the yeah. thing, but what happened is, Maybe three or four days I wasn't doing that, you know. But yeah. on the fourth day, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm stressed out. You want some sugar? Screw it, you know, yeah. like and boom, yeah. and we have that huge binge. So yeah. that was part and parcel. I think they're dieting and binging, like to me, are two sides of the same coin. Right. And uh, and it, it wasn't until pretty much it was this was a 2001. I had this kind of thought that came into my head. It was like this voice that said, "Your body wants to be fat." And as long as it wants to be fat, there's nothing you can do to stop it. And even now, as I say this, 20 plus years, I get goosebumps. Okay, now you have to deconstruct that for us. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. As they say now, unpack it. Yeah, so let's do that. Let's unpack. Because what, what, what happened at that point is that I stopped dieting because I realized it wasn't addressing the issue. And I started asking the question, why does my body want to be fat? And that led me on an approach that... Not only healed me, but then I wrote the book, The Gabriel Method, which really is about, hey, these are the reasons why your body would want to be fat. So what did your body tell you? Why did you want to be fat? So, so what, what happens is um, you, there, your body gets certain hormonal signals that it, that it confuses. For example, stress. And I was living in a, in a very high stress On life, Wall Street, life, yeah. yeah uh, will cause certain hormonal signals to your body that conf- it will confuse as like a famine, for example. Because when we were living out in the wild thousands of years ago, there was only two types of stress. There was uh, immediate acute stress, like, you know, you got to run away or you're going to mm-hmm. die. Or there was a chronic low-grade stress. Like famine. That's the only one thousands of years ago. So right. we, our bodies are hardwired to interpret chronic low-grade stress. Not acute stress, but chronic low-grade stress as a famine. So today... So your life on, on Wall Street... The stress of day-to-day stress. transactions was chronic low-grade <laughs> chronic stress. Chronic low-grade, non-stop. And oftentimes, people will use food, they'll use drugs, you know, whether it's cocaine yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. To turn Wolf the, on to, Wall Street, all of the above. Yeah, exactly, to turn Sex. those signals off. Right. But, but what the, the main signal that, that it is uh, for certain people, and for me in particular, is your body actually thinks it's a famine. And the thing is, if you're in a real famine, once you start eating, you're not in a famine anymore. So your body's like, I'm good. But if your body's getting the famine signal and it's not coming from food, then it doesn't matter how much you eat. It's still getting the famine signal. And that's how the stress up, continues, even though the food supply is the there. hormonal, the yeah. hormonal signal is the message is chronic low grade stress. So chronic low grade stress, chronic low grade inflammation are the two things that cause your body to gain weight. And those are the things that you have to address. Was there anything deeper psychologically? Yeah, so what else was saying? I want to be fat. Your body yeah, wants yeah, to be so, fat. So uh, a lot of, a lot of people have trauma issues. And that actually makes them feel safer in a bigger body. To be buffered. Yeah. And, I, and I, I've worked with people, you know, years now. I mean, I wrote the book, I don't know, 15, 20 years now, uh, ago. But uh, I, I talked to people and I remember talking to this one lady and she was with her sister at a store and uh, um, some handsome guy walked in and she thought, 
the, the guy was looking at her sister and she goes, Oh, I'm safe. She won't, he won't look at me because I have the extra weight. I'm safe. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and I said to her, you know, as long as you have that feeling like that's what's keeping you safe, there's no way your body's going to let go of the weight. That's true. And a lot of women who, especially if they've been through a violent situation or sexual abuse in particular, this, this can very it's, easily yeah. become a default pattern and, to buffer yourself. Yeah. And for pain. me, that, that wasn't my issue, but I did live through abuse, physical abuse growing up and I felt safer being bigger. And I, and I did have a business partner when I was wor- working on Wall Street who was a very aggressive guy. Uh, and I was, I, there was a part of me that the child inside was actually afraid of him. You know, it was sure. So you got a lot of buffer so going there. So at a certain point, I was twice as I was twice as weighed. I thought I could help you feel more powerful. It, it did. It helped me feel safer in this in the situation. Wow. Because I had because his his communication style was very aggressive. And growing up, that type of aggressive communication usually led to a physical confrontation. Mm-hmm. Now, this he we never had a physical confrontation, but my body always felt like, OK, I'm not safe in this situation. Mm-hmm. Until I was twice his size. And when I was twice his size, I thought, he can't touch me. You know, I could just sit Isn't on Isn't that him, interesting? You know? So we, I, because a lot of women are watching this yeah, yeah. and a lot of women who relate and have been through this. Yeah, yeah. And even if they don't know yet consciously that this is a safety issue yeah, yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. But also what about the, the woman who, man or woman, who are the nurturers? For example, uh, healthcare professionals, yeah. nurses yeah. oftentimes end up bringing a lot of treats to work to soothe themselves and be friends with mm-hmm. one another mm-hmm. and pick up a fair amount of weight in that profession. That mm-hmm. seems to be pretty common. Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot of reasons. One of them, they could, they could have that trauma also, but the other is, you know, uh, it's, it's a way of giving yourself love if you're not getting enough love or if you're giving all fun. your energy away. Yeah. If you're depleted or if you, if, if uh, you're not having enough fun in your life, you're not having a lo- enough love, enough connection. And, you know, food can fill that void also. And that, that's really common. So that's not so much a safety one. It's a lack of affection, love or whatever it is that gives you joy. Exactly. It's, a, it's another form of nourishment. You know, food is nourishment, right? So so is love. So is friendship. So is connection. So where did your understanding of how to bust this come in? Because we're going to start talking about parallel realities and such that are mm. where you are now in yeah, your life. Yeah, but yeah. At the time, you were actually using these principles and maybe didn't understand them as completely as you do now. No, I didn't. And it, not until it was 2006, and we can get to that. Okay, so tell mean, us what happened up till then yeah, when yeah. you started losing the weight with yeah. this this yeah, whole so, internal aspect. Yeah, as, as soon as I made the realization that I have to figure out what's causing my weight, I, I quickly realized that there's there was a lot of emotional trauma that I had to deal with which I did deal with. I understood that also I wasn't nourishing my body well enough. And that's another thing that can cause, cause you to, cause no matter how much you're eating, if you're not even nourishing you need, no, you're still it's like a nutritional famine. Yeah. You're getting all the calories, you're not getting the nutrients, you know, and, and if you're, and if your stomach isn't able to digest it also because you have microbiome issues. So I, I started healing my microbiome. I started nourishing my body by adding healthier foods. Uh, healing my trauma, and I did a lot of visualization. And, I, and visualization was something that I learned as a ten-year-old. My father taught me visualization when I was ten. I had horrible migraine headaches every single night. Nothing would work. Aspirin wouldn't work. I would sit in a dark room for hours and just like be in pain. And he was a dentist, and he used visualization to help people with pain in his profession. And so he sat me down. He calmed my body. 
he said, I want you to imagine that we're skiing down this slope. He says, go skiing together. And uh, there's this bucket of black sand on your shoulder. And as you're skiing down, you're tilting the black sand and it's falling away as you're skiing. And, and that black sand is your headache. And then we got halfway down. So now the headache's halfway down, halfway gone. And it was, we got down to the bottom and the headache was gone. What a beautiful gift. Yeah. Yeah. He gave me that. And, and, it, and it was like, it's the only thing that worked. And then I learned how to do it myself, you know, this whole visualization. And then eventually I could do things like I just visualize, like usually when you have a migraine headache, it's on one side or the other. So say if it's on this side, I would visualize the headache just going into my finger and flicking it away and it would go. Mm. And I never had migraine headaches after that. I, so you'd already learned how to work with the mind as a young one. Yeah, yeah. And I did it, I did it to uh, stop smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 14, I visualized that, um, the, you know, the tar in the street that's really repulsive when they're, yeah. so I visualized that the cigarette was that tar and I visualized taking, tasting it as like being repulsed by it. So creating this negative association with visualization and that worked really well. And so I've used visualization in many different things. I started using visualization to create my perfect ideal body. As I was going to sleep at night, I visualized having stomach muscles and being in shape again. Because I was an athlete in in school. I was a a ski racer and a triathlete. I I was in great shape. So every night as I was going to sleep, I visualized my ideal body. Stomach muscles, tight skin. I visualized running on the beach and sprinting. I visualized eating healthy foods. I visualized my body wanting to be thin. I also visualized feeling safe, like having like a safety barrier of energy around me, you know, feeling protected. And as soon as I did that, everything changed. Not only everything changed in terms of my um, my weight to start losing weight, everything changed in my life. Because as soon as I did that, that was right after 2001. You know, the, and you were still life. large at this point. I was like, I was 400 pounds. I started doing this visualization. Like two weeks later. 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And that kind of changed my life because I was almost on one of those planes. I was, spo- I was supposed to fly from Newark to San Francisco. If I booked the flight, I would have booked the United Airlines flight that's nonstop in the morning. United yeah. Airlines flight 93, which is yeah. one of the ones. that. Right. But my partner uh, booked the flight because I was away at a retreat. And he, uh, he found a cheaper flight connecting out of San Francisco. Oh, no, connecting out of Cincinnati. Yeah. I was actually really mad at him for that. We saved $150. Oh, yeah, I bet you were a few hours later. I wasn't. Well, eventually I wasn't. Yeah, I saved my life. But uh, but that had a real impact on on me because I... What did you feel the message was to you there? I felt like life gave me a second chance. I felt like here I was killing myself, doing something I didn't And you would have made a decision that would have finished it. And it would have died... I was already killing myself. I was 400 pounds. I was living a miserable life. And I thought, life just gave me a second chance. I don't know how much longer I'll be around, but I want to start living my life now for now, like living exactly the way I want to live now. So you started these visualizations. And what are the first things? Because your body still looked the same. Yeah, yeah. But in your mind, you had the body you have now. Yeah. So what, and there's some real anomalies about that, you yeah. would say, like your skin yeah. doesn't sag. Yeah. It didn't sag. Your skin came back as though you were yeah. never overweight, yeah. which is very unusual. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the first things you started noticing when you dropped into this parallel reality of potential that you were creating. Yeah. So uh, the first thing is I wasn't as hungry. I just wasn't as hungry. Uh, that's a, I wasn't craving the junk food. Uh, I wasn't thinking about food. I had more energy. And then I discovered I had really big sleep problems. And that's a huge issue. So if you have, usually overweight people 
when they're heavy enough, they have sleep apnea and then they never get into a deep enough sleep. And that causes a hormonal problem that causes you to gain weight and have junk food cravings. I just, I keyed in on that and I got that taken care of. And, um, and like I said, then nine 11 happened and I left New York. This is what like within a couple of weeks I'd left my, I left my company. We, we, we sold our company. Uh, I moved to Western Australia, literally as far away as you can. Why in the world did you do that? Yeah. So my, my wife at the time, her best friend moved out there and, uh, she, cause she had married an Australian and he had bought a farm in a place called Denmark, Western Australia. It's the most beautiful place in the world, uh, all the way down south in Western Australia, completely remote, but on the Southern Ocean, cleanest air, cleanest old, old world trees, you know, gorgeous trees and, uh, real estate was really cheap and all, and all this kind of stuff. And, I just wanted to get out of New York. I just wanted to get as far away from it. And I, and I wanted to be in nature. I really missed nature. And she liked it. She wanted to move there. And so I bought a house there and we moved out there. And all of a sudden now I went from working on Wall Street where I never saw the sun in the, in the wintertime, right? Yeah. Eating junk food all the time, 400 pounds to being in a situation where I'm, I'm in this beautiful place in nature, beach and trees. Uh, meditating like three hours a day, visualizing. It radically changed life. Praying yeah. all day and, and the weight's melting off of me. And, and this is why I wrote the book is that when the weight was melting off of me, I wasn't making an effort to restrict myself. Right. I would make an effort to eat healthy, to add healthy things. But if I wanted McDonald's or if I wanted cupcakes or whatever it was, I would eat it, mm-hmm. but the weight was still melting off of me. And so now I'm in a situation where before there was nothing I could do to lose weight. Now there's, or now there's nothing I can do to keep the weight on. If I wanted to keep the weight on, I couldn't. It was just melting off of me. So you were, because in this lifestyle, that whole famine, low grade stress was gone. gone. Everything was gone. Everything that, that was causing that I, I was, I was no longer in a place that I hated, no longer doing what I hated, no longer in a confrontative situation with a business partner. I was in a supportive, loving place. Uh, we bought we bought a house and we were living very simply. Our my expenses were next to nothing. I had fruit trees. That sounds idyllic. You know, it was really yeah. idyllic. Yeah. And uh, and the way it was melting off. And when the, and after two years, all of it had gone on. And on all of it, you know, I had the exact body that I visualized with the stomach muscles, with the tight skin, all of it. Yeah, tight skin. Yeah. All and and that's why I have pictures like, so people yeah. can see because. There are people who said, "Oh no, it's photoshopped, yeah. right?" No, and you had a person that took the original photo said, "This is that. not photoshopped." I saw that on yeah, your site. Yeah, I had site. to do that because I was getting so much. Yeah, because like because most people do not understand how much mind permeates our cellular structure mm-hmm. and can alter it. Yeah, I, I even had someone say that I photoshopped the before, like I was never. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Like, no, yeah, I was. That's my former wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so now this is melting off of you. You're yeah. in Australia. You're leading a very stress-free yeah. life, and now you're starting also to discover things. I think about the nature of reality, yeah, yeah, yeah. the nature of time, yeah. and so forth. So let's talk about 2006 forward and that part of the. Yeah. Journey. So. um one of the one of the things that happened to me just going back to the very end of my weight loss. So I had lost I'd lost probably 175 pounds, something like that. And it came to me really strongly to do a detox. Mm-hmm. My friend had just done one. He mentioned uh, a, a, an expert, Dr. Joe Joel Furman, I think his name is. Oh, Furman, yes, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, and uh, so I read his book, Fasting and Eating for Health, or something mm-hmm. like that. And he had gone like 42 days on just water. It was mm-hmm. just like crazy. And I had no intention of doing something like yeah. that, but I wanted to do a detox. And, um, and so I, um, I went out for a bike ride and 
I'm biking up a hill. I feel this like slashing feeling right here in my liver. It looks like someone put a knife. And I hear this woman's voice. And it says, your liver needs to go to cleansing, go on a detox. So I come home and I think, well, you know, I just bike. Maybe I missed lunch or something. Yeah. I get home and I had right before I went, I had hung these pictures up of meditation masters that I follow. Not now, livers. Okay. No, <laughs> not, but um, one of them is Ananda Moima, which is a beautiful Indian saint who lived a uh, hundred years ago. And she, uh, I always felt connected to her. So I hung up this picture before I went biking. When I came home, the picture had fallen and had a glass frame and the glass had broken and the picture was cut in the exact spot. Oh my God. That, that I had. Well, that's a pretty mystical experience. And I felt like I, what I felt like is someone hit me over the head with a mystical baseball bat is what it felt like. I went into another world for 21 days and I did a 21 day water fast. I was, I was not hungry. I never thought about food. It's like I thought I, I actually. But you were almost in an alternate reality, though. I went. Let's yeah. talk about where you went here. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I I I thought I was dead actually because I'll tell you why. Because I read a lot. I used to read a lot of stories about people that do astral travel, mm-hmm. and one of them was like the um, Magus of Stro- Strovalov. It was his name was. He's a Cyprus man, and people that do astral travel. The first thing that they they all talk about it, no matter, and they're not, they don't know each other, so there's a must be something to it. They talk about how when they do astral travel, they their guides come and they say, "Hey, we need you to help us take somebody and transition them to the light." They don't know they're dead, you know, and they can't see people, but they can see you, and they right. can't see us. They're right. like an intermediate, so they go up to the person, they go. You notice you haven't eaten much recently, and you notice you haven't gone to the bathroom. And, see, and yeah, I noticed that, and they kind of gently well, ease them into the yeah. idea that they're dead, you know. There's a reason. And then they take them up into the light, you yeah. know. That's that's what they do. Yeah. And so I'm like, you know, I haven't eaten in, in at this, you know, maybe ten days. Halfway through it, I'm like, I mean, I've been on water for ten days. I'm not hungry. I'm sitting on a bench. I'm waiting for somebody to come and say, have you done Am I dead? Yeah, exactly. So I was in very much in an altered state. And after, after that, I'd lost all the weight. And, uh, and that's just when, and my father had just died. So I went to New York and, um, were people I, shocked when they saw Yeah, yeah, you? they were. There was, I mean, was, I can't was, imagine the homecoming after losing yeah, 200 pounds. Yeah, no, it was huge. It was like, as a matter of fact, his best friend, the first person I saw walk right by me, didn't recognize me. Oh, but, sure. Yeah. But uh, for one reason or another, I went up to New York and I uh, went to um, my friend, Kalia Ali. She's the daughter of Muhammad Ali. She, she was being honored by this guy, Sri Chinoy, who was you know guru at the time. I don't know. Oh, you know. Yeah. Uh, he used to do this thing, which was a visualization thing where he would lift people up mm-hmm. on a platform and he'd do it with visualization. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went up to support him and he saw my picture and he said, this was a spiritual transformation. Right. And then he gave me this, it's like, it's an honor that he does where he lifts me up on, puts me on a platform and, you know, lifts me up. And so I felt like I had made a, uh, I had made an upgrade in my reality. I had, I'm now living in a place that's just absolutely gorgeous. I'm doing what I want to do. I have the body I want to, I want to have. And spiritually, there's a very different feeling in my body. How, what happened? I know this is, a little tangential, but people will probably be yeah, wondering yeah. what happened to your relationship. You became a different person. Yeah, it ended. Yeah, my wife was no longer interested in me. Right. She actually said, "I'm not attracted to you anymore." After I lost, because the whatever the totality said, of made you support yourself and protect yeah. yourself as a heavy man wasn't the one she, she, she said, loved. She says, "Like you're a different person." 
You were. And I, and I was a different person and that was sad and that was sad and, and that was tough, but it was a blessing in disguise because yeah. it let me be that different person and not be that different person while trying to be the other person at the same time. So it's so, important. I wanted you to say yeah, that because yeah. others are going through this. Well, I've had, some, I've had like, you know, leaving my job on Wall Street, that was a huge transition sure. and like, you know, that I became another person. And then when that ended, that was like, you know, not another person, but that let me go out in the world. And after that, I spent years traveling around doing events and seminars and lectures and working with people and coaching and writing and all those things I don't think I could have done in that, in that framework. Right. No. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. So now let's go into, 2000, kind of, yeah, 2006. Yeah, so, so 2006, I did another 21 day water fast. I, I, I had already lost the weight and, uh, I was just inspired. I don't remember the exact details of it, but I just felt like at least I was going to do a water fast and just kind of kept going. And that turned out to be a really powerful spiritual experience mm-hmm. where, um, I felt like a higher consciousness was lit at the end of it. I felt like a higher consciousness was living in my body. And the only, only way I can describe it is from what I've read is what people call cosmic consciousness, where you have this awareness, like you're aware of everything that's happening uh, all at once. And when I say that, I'm not aware of every single conversation right, right. older or something like that, but, but the same way you're aware of your body. Like mm-hmm. I can, I know where my, I know what's going on with my knees right now, mm-hmm. my shins, you know, mm-hmm. you're aware of everything. You're not aware of every cell or every electronic connection, but you're aware of your body. I was, a, I, I had this idea that, I, I was everything, you know, we were, I was you, you were me, but we're, we're all, you know, what, what Tim calls like seventh consciousness mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, so I, I lived in that space for a few, a few days. And, and what I became aware of in that space is that there's not just this universe, there's an infinite, nearly infinite number of variations of this universe. And, and this was in back in 2006, where maybe you heard about the idea of alternate universes or parallel realities. But it wasn't like it is now where, you know, Marvel, Marvel's going, you know, Doctor Strange and the multiverse and this and the multiverse, you know, where it's really kind of like become very mainstream. And so it wasn't in my consciousness to think about that. But when I was in that super conscious state, I was like, wait a second, this is just one version of reality. There are an infinite number of parallel universes. And that's really what broke you free to continue on to do what you're doing today. Exactly. I actually had experience yeah. where uh, I was talking to someone. And I could see them moving from one version of reality in one timeline to the other. So I'm talking to them. We were just in a store, you know, it's a small town, you know, everybody there. And so I ran into someone and she was upset about something. And as we're talking, I could see her energy moving through her body. It's like white and, and yellow kind of energy moving. And there was a blockage. I could see a blockage like right, right in this area. And, uh, she was talking about some problems that she was having in her life. She wanted certain things to be a bit different than they were. And I could see that the blockage was the problem. The blockage was keeping her in a lower vibrational place. And as I'm talking to her, I'm working on this blockage and it opened and I could see her energy shifting. And as I'm working on it, what I'm seeing is this weird thing where she's moving. She's got a different future, but a different past too. I could see it was like a timeline was kind of going like Interesting. this. And her past was changing. Not, you know, not hugely, like she had the same parents or whatever, but there was differences. Well, it would be because if she's made that transition, that means there might have been other supporting exactly. changes in the past that had made yeah. that decision. And then finally, the, the, the blockage opens yeah. up. She has this huge cry. I don't remember the conversation. I don't have any idea what we're talking about, but it was like maybe to her, I said something that was meaningful. She's hugging me. She's crying. It was right there in the you know grocery store. 
And I could see that she had moved because the blockage opened up. It allowed her her vibration, her energy, the amount of energy she's channeled to go into a higher state. And she was allowed to exist in the state that she wanted to, in the reality she wanted to, in the version of reality that she wanted to, because her energy was complementary to that. It was a higher vibrational reality. And she was able to live in that because she had a higher vibration going through her because the blockage had opened up. And uh, and I watched the whole thing, and then she moved into this other reality where she was in a better situation. And uh, what a wonderful yeah. story! Yeah, yeah. So that that lasted for a few days, and then it, when it went, I was just like, I felt like I was just plunged down to the depths of hell overnight. It was really, it was tough. It, it was a tough transition, you know, to come back to where I was from from there. From that moment, because I thought I would always be in this place. Oh yeah. And when you're in that place, you have no stress. You have no right, fear. Right. You have no. You know, right. 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 And so so went, back yeah. to reality. Yeah, it was back yeah. to reality. But uh, but that lasted for me because I knew from that point that we are living in a, a zillion different time, versions of reality. We're living in a multiverse. There's infinite number of parallel realities. And that what determines what reality, a number, it's a number of things that do it. But but one of the biggest ones is what your energy is, how much energy you're able to channel, and mostly how open your energy channels are. Because it, because if your energy channels are not open enough, you can't channel the, the energies, the higher energies that will allow you to exist in the higher dimensional versions of reality. So I spent from then since 2006 till now, I have meditation that I do for you know several hours, hours a day, actually, where I'm opening my energy channels. And that's what I'm doing. And once my energy channels are open, that's when I ask my higher self and the higher energies to come through and lead me to the highest version of reality. And that's kind of like my... My ritual every day. That's your practice. Yeah. So what I'm seeing is when we incarnate, we come in and we're a package. And we have, I almost see it like the rays of the sun, all of these potential parallel realities mm. and timelines. Yeah. And depending on the stimuli in our lives in that moment, depending on the choices we make. Yeah. We're going to hop onto any one of those paths and we can hop off of it and onto another one. We're not stuck there. That's the thing. Yeah. And, and even I did a, an interview recently with Dr. Tara Swart on the subject of neuroplasticity that goes well with this whole notion of parallel realities. You make a decision, your whole support structure, greater mind and brain will rewire itself to support the new reality yeah. and timeline you've jumped on. Yeah. Now, that's my little circular view of it. Explain it to us the way you would explain yeah, it. Yeah, so the first thing you have to do is look at a timeline. So you look at a timeline, mm-hmm. It's the, the whole timeline from start to finish is already created. Yeah. It's like we've made a movie, you know, yeah. outside. And then and that timeline, you can go fast, you can go forward, you can go backwards, you can go slow, you can go fast, you can watch it over and over again. It's It's the same. And so when we're in a timeline, if we were to stay in that timeline, we're going to do exactly what it's going to be. It's never going to change. But what we don't realize is there's an infinite variation. You pick up that cup or you don't pick up that cup. That's two slightly different variations. You decide tomorrow to run for president. That's another variation. Maybe it's a bigger variation because it doesn't just change what your body, how much water you're getting. Mm-hmm. It could change the whole world. You know, so there's different things that happen, but they're all there. And what we don't realize is our our, our consciousness and our non physical energy is moving seamlessly, right? Moment by moment, from one Between version of potentials. Reality. Yeah, this is all about potentials. Yes, yeah. because when we think of uh, parallel universes, you know, we watch. I think the first movie in the nineties, Jet Li had a, had a movie, the, the Kung Fu Master, where, where he was going from from a parallel universe to parallel universe, killing all his versions of himself. 
because he'd take the power, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, like, so you have to like have a portal. You, have, yeah. you know what I mean? There's yeah. got to be an opening. Yeah. That's not the case for non-physical energy. For your consciousness and your non-physical energy, it does not need a portal. Yeah. It's just moving it's seamlessly. Yeah. yeah. So we have this. So it's almost like an, we're we're riding a roller coaster in a sense of having our own version of reality based on all the potentials of reality. Now, and and to speak to your question of why we're in one versus the other. There's several reasons why we might be in one version of the reality versus the other. One is what our expectations are. You know, we might have certain expectations about who we are, about how wealthy we are, how lo- how much we deserve love. All these different things are going to affect. Those are all conditioning. Yeah. Condi- con- to the subconscious. Then there might be soul contracts. Yeah. You know, you came here to work with this person or mm-hmm. to help with this war or whatever. The, you know, the soul contracts that keep us in certain realities. And then the, the, the all, when you consider all of those things, the, all of those things being equal, the range of realities that you're going to exist in then is affected by your vibration. Yeah. Because if you look at like a hot air balloon, okay, uh, a hot air balloon, when you raise the vibration of the air in the hot air balloon, as you make it hotter, it's going to go up to uh, to a higher place where the vibration is higher. It's going to match the outer vibration right. so, of the air outside and inside. You You cool it which is a lower vibration, it's going to come back down. It's mm-hmm. going to match that that reality. So it's the same with us. Our vibration, the, the way I, everybody, I'm sure, has a definition of what our vibration is and how to change it. But for me, it's very specific. There's an enormous amount of energy that we could channel into our into our body through our energy channels, our meridians, whatever you want, acupuncture meridians, nadis, whatever you want to call them. There are channels for our life force energy to come through. If those channels are blocked, then we can't channel that much. If our channels are completely open, there's no limit to how much we can channel. And we're usually somewhere in between. So to, depending on how much energy you can channel, that's going to affect your vibration. The more energy you can channel, and that's, those are higher vibrational energies, the higher you're going to go up in, in your realm of, of possible experiences to get to the, you're going to be at the highest level of your possible experience. So you're going to be living at the highest level that you could possibly your potential of your potential. Conversely, we get into patterns, something bad happens, we have trauma, okay? Now, we can't stop licking that thing, you know? We just keep going back and picking at it and picking at it, let our mind grind on it. Um, Maybe find other people in our lives that will grind on it with us. And so we're actually taking ourselves to a lower potential. Let's talk about how we, without our own knowledge, are doing this all the time. Yeah. So the, the thing about trauma is that trauma actually does cause blockages in your energy channels, you dissociate. You know when people say, "I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about it." And if, and if the trauma is so great, you don't even have memory of it, which literally means there's a part of your energetic being that you can't go to, which means there's a blockage. So trauma causes blockages. And if you think of if you think of like a hose, a fire hose is, is pouring out an enormous amount of water. But if it was just a garden hose trying to pour that same amount of water, it can't because it's too small because the energy channels are, are smaller. Mm-hmm. In the same way, if there's a blockage, which is what trauma causes, that's going to put you in a lower vibrational state. So if you're in a lower vibrational state, things are going to get lower and lower. And then what happens is bad things happen when you're in a lower vibrational state. And those are timelines that are your potentials too. Exactly. It goes both directions. Exactly. And then when the bad things happen, you get angry. You get upset, you get stressed out, you're in a fearful state. All those things cause more blockages and more constrictions to the flow of, the, of your energy. And that makes you more and more dense because you can't channel those higher vibrations. 
So the way I the way I saw it when I look at the you know the multiverse, the I see it as an ocean of possible universes. So like at the, there's timelines going all the way up in like mm-hmm. an ocean. And if you look at ocean, um, if you if you're very dense, like a stone or you're going to go down to the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're like a sponge, you have opening, yeah. you're going to, you're going to be able, rise to the, you're gonna surf. Rise, rise <laughs> the top, right? So when your energy channels are open, yeah. you become like a sponge and yeah. you rise to the higher, better versions of reality. When you're blocked, you become like the stone and you get deep, you go deeper and deeper. So people end up in this vicious cycle where they've had trauma. Uh, it's causing them to go deeper. Now those deeper versions of reality are, are just like in an ocean. When you go deeper, uh, there's more pressure. It's darker. It's colder. It's more constricted. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Meta- the metaphor is very accurate as far as this multiverse. So it's very important when one experiences trauma, and we can go back yeah, and undo yeah. it in the past too. Yeah. But when when one experiences it, to not reinforce it, and I don't know why this popped to mind. It may not be at all relevant, but it popped into my mind, so I'm going to say it. Yeah. And it's personal. Yeah. And so on two occasions, and one was my a best friend's older brother. I experienced being drugged, date rape. Now, I didn't seem to carry the trauma forward. My body knew what was going on, but I had absolutely no memory. So my mind wasn't engaged. My emotions weren't engaged. So what constitutes trauma in that case? Yeah, that's the toughest type of trauma to deal with because your mind is dissociated from from it. Yeah, I had no idea. And it's still very much trauma. So, And we we have different versions of that. And I I have worked with people where after working with them for six months, that's when they finally have a memory of something similar to mm-hmm. that, of being mm-hmm. drugged and, and yeah. yeah. And so that has to be worked through, through like hypnosis or mm-hmm. regression analysis, regression therapy, cellular release. Or, yeah. Or soul because retreat. even though you don't remember, it's not registering, you don't have emotions around yeah. it. It's in there. So that's the most severe type of trauma. The most yeah. severe type of trauma, you don't, you don't either don't remember it or you don't have any emotion right. toward it or you just, I don't want to go there. Right. You know, and right. those, and that has to be integrated. There's a, there's a great analogy in the 2016 movie of King Arthur that was made by, uh, Guy Ritchie. He was the, he was the director. Um, I know I saw that. It was really well done. Yeah. So, but here's the thing that was so cool about it. So the, the king, the boy, King Arthur. Yeah. Refresh fo- me. I'm trying to. It, was, it follows his life just from a, from childhood where he, uh, he sees his parents get his, with the king and the queen getting killed by his, his uncle, who was a monster at the time. And then he goes off and is raised in a brothel in Londonium. And uh, he has no memory of it. He has no memory of being king, a, a prince or his parents being kings. None of that. He just thinks he spent his whole life in a brothel. And uh, when he was a teenager, the sword and the stone appeared out, you know, from it was underwater and then it appeared. And, uh, everybody had to try it to see who the, who the king was, you know, who, who Arthur was. And he wasn't, he had to, he had no choice. He had to try it. So he tried it, not, not expecting it. He pulled it right out. Yeah. And the second he pulled it out, his eyes glow. He's getting all this energy. He has his memory. As soon as he gets all this energy, he's getting a memory that he doesn't know what this memory is, but he's seeing someone being killed. Yeah. He passes out. Yeah. And so for the rest of, for, for a large portion of the movie, he can't channel the energy of the sword, because every time he looks, at, he picks up the sword, all he sees is this painful memory that he doesn't want to see. So he has to go on this journey, a healing journey, where he's finally able to see the whole thing. He sees the whole thing. He, he remembers. He watches his father being killed. He watches his mother being killed. 
he integrates this trauma that was so severe that he was completely dissociated yeah. from it. And then he could channel the sword, the energy. I love it. And it's an incredible analogy. I, you know, I don't know that I did see that yeah, film. What's, what film. is it called? Is it called? It's either called Ar- uh, Arthur or King Arthur. Yeah. 2016. I would remember that. 2016. Guy, Guy Ritchie. Okay. Lionel Ritchie's brother. Yeah, it was great. Really well directed. I'm writing it down. Yeah. I have it on my list. But I don't know if they were conscious of uh, that, that was their intention. But, but that's what they did. Yeah, there's a perfect analogy of how you have to integrate trauma in order to channel higher vibrations. And when you channel the higher vibrations, that's specifically how you get to the higher versions of reality. Okay. Yeah. Now, let's talk about how we move between multiverses. Yeah. Is there a point? We only have about five minutes left. Yeah. I want to get into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do we then consciously move yeah. Within this multiverse to parallel reality. Yeah, it's not through it's not through portals because it's our consciousness yeah. that's moving. It's our non physical. So we don't need a portal. We don't need a portal. It's not that's our right. it's our non physical reality that's moving. And the and the way to do it, the way I do it, is I spend I spend a lot of time doing a visualization where I'm imagining white light first in my navel and then coming up through my through the ground through my feet and then through my head and then through my arms and so in all these different ways as I'm visualizing this it's opening my channels because when you visualize energy going through your channels you're opening them eventually i feel that my channels are so open that it could handle any level of transmission of energy and that's when i ask my higher self to completely occupy my body with as uh, to the, with the highest energies possible I actually feel this like explosion of white light go through my body. And then I know I'm in like the highest, I'm moving to the highest reality possible because I've raised my vibration to, to the highest extent possible. And that's something I, I do every day and now I've been doing it for years and years and years. And it always leads me, I never try to specifically say, I'm going to get this job or I want to get this relationship. I don't do anything like that. I just get into the place where I'm completely open. Maybe I visualize Let's say if I wanted more abundance, for example, you can visualize the feeling. What does that feel like? To What would you feel like if you had all the money you wanted or you had the relationship you wanted or you had the body you wanted? What, is, what does that feel like? You get into that vibrational state of that feeling. You let these higher vibrations come in and amplify that. And then you're going to go to the version of reality that's going to give you that feeling. It may not be the exact job that you visualize, and you sh- I don't believe you should visualize an exact job. Or it may not I be agree. the exact relationship, and I don't think you should visualize either. Yes. But, but what you'll be in, you will be in a reality where you are feeling the, feeling. the way you would feel if you've uh, had whatever it is that you wanted. And you usually do have it, but it's not. Ex- it's never exactly the way you think it is. But then you get into a place where, wow, yeah, I feel abundant. I feel loved. I, am, I feel like I'm in incredible shape. I, the world is at peace. You know, it's not just you. It's the it's the world. A lot of times when we think that, you know, the world, the, the, the problems are too big for us, whether it's the war or famine or pandemic, whatever it is, that can be changed, too, because there's a version of reality where that doesn't exist to that extent. And you can move to it. You don't you don't have to feel power, powerless that you can actually move. To, a version, to the other to the version timeline. of other words, yeah, where it's not happening, yeah, or where it's happening better in a better well, situation. How does this not lead, in a sense, to mass psychosis with everyone on their own timelines in different versions of reality? Yeah, I think it's a, it is a mind blower. <laughs> it's a, it is a mind blower because yeah. the reality is we are all on our own timeline. We're interacting it, it, to to in, to some extent. Yours is slightly different than mine. Maybe it's 99.999% the same, but there's, there's, there will always be some differences as we make different choices. And then if they're huge choices, there'll be huge differences. So it does blow yeah, your mind. It is. I mean, it really is mind bending. Yeah. So for to recap what you said, 
you have a practice where you go in and you start allowing uh, the brilliant white prana to flow in through your yeah. feet, up into your core, yeah. and down from above, down below, and ultimately an explosion. So it goes all the way out into your extremities, which raises your vibrational frequency. Because that's which, the higher vibrational energy. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And that puts you in a position then to start employing your thoughts, your desires, feelings, ideas, or whatever, while you're in that state. Yeah. And then you automatically kind of move timelines yeah. into this new reality? Well, well, if you go back to the ocean of, ocean of universe, mm-hmm. it's an analogy. Imagine you're a scuba diver, right? So a scuba diver is going to have like this uh, um, buoyancy compensator, it's yeah. called. You know? yeah, so yeah. if he wants to go up, he he raises, he puts more oxygen in the yeah. buoyancy, he goes up automatically. Yeah. That's what you're doing. You're going up automatically. You will go up automatically when you are create the feeling, the desired feeling that you want of being abundant or being loved or being safe. You create that, you amplify it. With the higher energies, you, you open your channels enough to, to channel the highest energies possible, mega amplifies it, and then you go up automatically to that version of reality. And that's a way to live life that's, that's completely empowering. I love it. Yeah. Because you're all, all the time getting you're yourself. You're the author. Yes. Yeah. You are in control in a sense, but you have to allow for the uncertainty of exactly what it looks like. And yeah. I agree with you. Don't put something specific. Like if for women who are, say, a man or a woman who wants a partner and is feeling, um, they, they want that love and affection. Yeah, yeah. So you would move through this beautiful process, you said, yeah. but feel yourself feeling the feel exquisite, yeah. um, kind of love, yeah. love or affection that you're bathed in in that moment. You can't see anything. You don't know who it is, yeah. but you feel it. The feeling is sticky. Yeah. And it, it will take it's you. It's an energy. It's and, an energy. And, and, and even if there is someone specific that you want, like say you're in love with someone, you, yeah. know, you can, you, then you ask the question like, what would, what, what do you imagine it would feel like mm-hmm. if you were with that person? How, yeah. And then what, what I usually do is I take that feeling and so vibration. I imagine every cell in my body vibrating with that feeling. And then, Very good. That's a yeah. nice completion piece yeah. because we're almost out of time. Yeah, and yeah, wow, yeah. it just flew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I know that you do uh, workshops and, and talks and you, your website, The Gabriel Method. It's there. You're there for people. Absolutely. So any final thought before we go? There's just nothing more important than doing the internal work of raising your own vibration, of opening your energy channels, asking your higher self to work through you, and then allowing the magic to happen. Thank you so much, John, for joining us today. It's been very Truly inspirational. My pleasure. Appreciate it. It's been fun. I hope you found this absolutely fascinating like I have. I love it when old concepts such as law of attraction are brought into a deeper concept of knowledge and are made useful. You can connect with John's work, by the way, by going to thegabrielmethod.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. jump into another Regina Meredith from last week that we didn't do yet. That was great. That was a good one, Rama. This one is called Runes for Tran- R-U-N-E-S, Runes for Transformation with Kadrick Olson. What if you could transform your life with the utterance of a sacred sound? Runic scholar Kadrick Olson discusses the historical use of of runes for transformation and manifestation through rune song. This is an old Norse magical system known as 
Galder, G-A-L, is that what I see there? G-A-L-D-R, <laughs> where the runes were sung to bring their power to life through sound and intention. He shares practical ways of being, of br- practical ways to bring this form of magic mm. in your life. He also discusses how men can connect with archetypes of the sacred masculine to break free from toxic models of masculinity and start living a more sacred life. Again, this is uh, Regina Meredith with Kadrick Olson, and it is 53 minutes, so we better get started. Here we go. Mm. television show Vikings brought about curiosity among many to know more about the ancient culture. What it didn't feature was the deep mysticism, rather brute force. Survival and dominance were the way of life depicted, but there was a hidden spiritual aspect of the Viking culture that worked through runes, which we know today as a divination tool. Kedrick Olson is with us to talk about the runes, the golden shadow, and pagan masculinity via the Norse culture. So I have to say, looking at your rings, looking at your tattoos, knowing your passion, you've been in this for a really long time. I would have to, because we're a, we're a guy, we can say this, mm-hmm. I would have to guess this is something you've carried forward for many lifetimes. You're very, very knowledgeable, but completely ensconced in that Norse tradition. Absolutely. It's been a part of who I am Probably for lifetimes. That's what I'm thinking. You brought this through from the day. So you might be thinking, you might be speaking to us from the past with some great authority. And I'm setting it up that way because that's what I believe to be true. Thank you. So first of all, let's talk about when you were a little kid, though, when this stuff started poking through. Because all of us that have had lifetimes in other spaces, other cultures with really deep interest, it usually pokes its little head up somewhere when we're little. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about you as a child and how you started uh, developing your fascination with runes and the Norse culture. Yeah, it was actually an interesting step-by-step process. Uh, in my parents' home in the basement, we had a library full of books, anything that you could possibly want to read on, encyclopedias. We had the old Gavin and Yvonne Gavin and Frost books on magic and witchcraft. And then there was my favorite book that I devoured as a young teenager, Secret Teachings of All Ages. Oh my and God, I manly would pour through that, and I realized that all of these different mystical traditions were saying the same thing over and over. They were just using different words and different terms. And he had this interesting little section in there about the Odinic mysteries that fascinated me. And about that same time, I got a hold of a book of runes. Mm-hmm. I was listening to some pretty crazy music at the time. I still kind of do. <laughs> it kind of goes through the territory. Smoking crazy stuff at the same time, too? Nope. <laughs> no, I try to keep okay. a clear head. But the music pointed me in that direction, and I came mm-hmm. across a book, uh, The Way of Weird by Brian Bates. The Way of what? Weird. Weird. W-Y-R-D. Okay. Weird. Yeah. yeah. And properly pronounced weird, but that's okay. Yeah. We'll get to that another time. And all of these three things converged. Well, I tapped into it, and I started using the runes, and it was like it clicked. Just every little piece clicked, and the more I dove into it, 
the deeper the well got to the point where I started studying the original languages. I can stumble and bash my way through Old Norse poetry. And I have the mystical mindset from growing up with this way, working with the different pagan groups, but I've always been focused on the Norse. And so I can translate the Old Norse with a mystical mindset to catch the things that some of these great translators do miss because they don't have the mystical mindset. And I started applying that through my life, throughout my entire lifetime, teaching, leading groups, doing rituals, that sort of thing with it. You also, I understand, we're having experiences as a youth as well as what you were studying, having paranormal experiences and interfacing mm-hmm. a little bit with the other realms. Let's talk about that because we're going to go there later in the conversation. And also how that how that interfaced with or expressed itself in the Norse culture. Absolutely. And that's one of the good things about since we're here, Gaia, we can talk about the, yeah. the wacky woo-woo yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I did live in a house that was very haunted. You could set something down, turn around, and it would be gone. You would hear footsteps walking down a hallway, but not seeing anybody in the hallway. Upstairs, you would hear the toilet flush downstairs. It was all <laughs> yeah. sorts of kind of wonky little things going on. Yeah. But all the while, I had what I call whispers now, little voices that would say, hey, go look at this. Hey, go do this. How about you investigate this? And here's some download of information that would just kind of dump into my head. I'm like, what? And all the while, I'm skeptical, mind you. I'm not like going to take it as face value going, okay, yeah, I'm super great and wonderful. I got these people talking in my head. No, no. I was like, okay, I'm making this stuff up. Yeah. This is just me, but I'll write it down. And they're like, okay, we'll be patient with you. Yeah. We'll let you see. And then out in the real world, things would just play out just like they said they would. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, and how I old were you when all these experiences began? Oh, I remember being on a playground and elementary school so you were being whispered it. to oh, yeah. by the wee folk or whomever yeah or, or your higher guidance yeah, yeah. higher guidance yeah. that is definitely absolutely one of those at yeah. a certain point i realized one of those whispers was my own higher self mm-hmm. interacting with me taking a personal interest in my own evolution spiritually mm-hmm. but there have been a number of voices throughout the years you know wake up in the middle of the night and hey pick up your book read this i'm like okay read that no 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 okay great the next day a book would literally be dropped on my desk expounding mm-hmm. upon that when i'm like Okay, I get it. Yeah. And then over the years, there would be these downloads that would come in that may only be five minutes mm-hmm. as I'm taking a walk or right. meditating or whatever, but I would be at the computer for hours turning what this ball of information they gave to me into a line. But I had to set a limit with them because I have hundreds of pages of great theory mm-hmm. that I'm like, great, what is the point of this theory? Mm-hmm. Give me the practical application. Let's make this useful for people in their lives so they can change their lives, make themselves better. Because this theory is nonsense. Mm -hmm. We can't use it. And for the past 10 years or so, they've been saying, here, here's these things that you can learn to apply it. Here are these things you can learn to apply it. Now, here in the middle of the night, we're going to give you this dream on doing some shadow clearing work, healing soul wound work, and all of this kind of stuff that keeps coming through. And I'm like, wow. And I'm like, okay, let's put together a test group and see if there's some validity to this. And then I see it and I'm like, Okay, you guys are still spot on after all these years. Right, right. Higher guidance usually is if it's a clear communication path. As long as ego is not in the way, it works, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So when we're going to talk about the golden shadow and shadow work in a little Mm -hmm. bit, what I'd like to do is kind of dive into. So people, let's say some of our viewers have watched Vikings. You know, it's brutal. I could only watch a few, you know, but let me just toss something in here. And I mentioned it in another interview. Um, I'm a student of hermetics and have been for many years. And one kind of block of uh, knowledge that 
uh, I was exposed to had to do with Atlantean times and what happened as Atlantis, as people both emigrated from Atlantis while it was still intact and also at the time of the calamities where they were forced to emigrate if they survived. And it talked about some of the people who had uh, who were more seafaring, who had made it over into Scandinavia and mated with the indigenous Norse people to create almost kind of a super, a super strain of individual that were quite strong, quite hardy, larger in stature, and became known as what we call Vikings today. <laughs> so I don't know how that lands with you, but you know more about the mystical side of the culture. So let's not look at the brute side, but what that could mean, because if they did come from Atlantean times in the north, they, as the Druids did, then these people were imbued with great amounts of not only esoteric, but practical knowledge. Absolutely. In fact, the word Viking, if we pronounce it in the old language, Viking, means those someone from the Wick or a strait of water. It was more about a part-time summer job. That was just people who traveled rather than actual a culture or an ethnicity or anything. It was just a job. Mm-hmm. And when they first started off, the Vikinga went out and they mainly did uh, trading, some raiding. That was part of it. They trading some, and raiding. Yeah, yes, yeah, they could. Right. <laughs> and eventually, though, in the Norse tales and the sagas of themselves, the word Viking actually became a scoundrel. A despot, some like a pirate. They, Which is how they're depicted today. Right. They were pretty well lambasted mm-hmm. by the Norse people themselves. And then somehow in the modern time, we picked up the term Viking and then romanticized it. Yeah. I'll actually attribute that probably to the early 20th century with the Wagnerians. Mm-hmm. They kind of recovered mm-hmm. that one and they did some shifts. But under the surface of all that, because we see the, the brutality and in the weird case of the Vikings, I will say for them, history was written by the sore losers. Instead oh, interesting. Instead of actually by themselves, because a lot of people had to play up like, so oh, these big let's brutes let's talk about in. that. Let's talk about the history of the sore losers. Sure. Who lost? <laughs> sure. Uh, in a temple monastery, when the Vikings raided on Easter Sunday, that, sure, they may not have been able to defend themselves because they were monks. And yes, it was a full-on raid. Absolutely. But how are these monks going to write back home to the main church in Rome to say, hey, these guys came in and took all of our gold? They're going to write, no, they were bloodthirsty, they were vicious, they were horrible and terrible. They came and killed and destroyed everything. And then the church would go, oh. There's a village I can't quite remember the name of. Even the Romans wrote about how that these were bloodthirsty, awful people creating weapons, that they were very warlike and terrible, and they need to be eradicated. So, of course, they came through and plowed down the village. Recently, like within the past 10 years, archaeologists have actually found that village, dug it up. Yeah. And found out that there was not a single sign of weapon making whatsoever. Right. This was Roman propaganda to take over the land. And well, so, of course. I mean, right. we know that part of history. So that makes perfect sense. So essentially, um, there's no denying that, you know, one can exploit a situation and try to loot a place a little bit. But that's very different than dominating and wiping out a citizenry, for example, in a bloodthirsty sure. manner, which is how it continues to be depicted. Right. But in a sexy, more glamorous way. There is no doubt it was a violent culture, as were all cultures at the time. Yeah, I think we have to remember that was the case. These, these were, this was tribal living. Absolutely. And resources were scarce. Yeah. They did have to shore up the resources. The thing that they excelled at though were their ships. Mm 
Mm-hmm. The ships took on such little water that yeah. they could go down swiftly down the rivers and do their raids real quick and back out before mm-hmm. a lot of the villagers knew what happened. And that is kind of what gave them the reputation of being so violent, so bloodthirsty. Mm-hmm. In truth, if we really look at it from a historical perspective, they were no more than any other culture at the time. They just had better boats. Well, the reason I brought up that Atlantean connection is because, A, they had better technology, and they may have had some kind of kind of stamina and physical prowess that made it possible to do some of the feats they did. You know, it's possible. If you're if you're taking blood from another continent and mixing, this happens all the time. Hybridized species, we're all hybridized to one degree or another. So they become, it just takes on a little more interest, especially hybridized knowledge. And so that's where we get into when we look at the Druids and we look at the, the nature of the way the knowledge was passed on orally and through symbolism, the same thing with the Norsemen. Right. And so let's talk about the runic tradition, what runes initially were, what they represented, because no one can read them now. I mean, you can go and have a rune reading, but it's it doesn't mean anything for us looking at the runes, but it means something to you. Absolutely. And let me give you three pathways for how the runes came into being as we know them today. Building off of the Hermetic tradition and the ancient tradition that could be from Atlantis, Mm -hmm. the Norse lore specifically tells us that the Aesir, the high gods of the Norse, came from Asia, came from the Far East. It's in there in a a few different places. And along the way, Odin, the high god, the the chieftain of all the gods. Odin, as we say. Right, Odin, (laughs) Odin. I'm going to say things a little bit funny. Yeah, and I'll just try to interpret in case someone's thinking, Odin, I've never heard of Odin. But you've heard of Odin. Odin, yes. (laughs) He was the high god of the Aesir, and the lore tells us he traveled throughout many different lands, teaching his wisdom to these many different cultures, and they call him by various names, by the name that they understood him to be. And people who now study languages understand that there was an old Proto-Indo-European language that was shared by the Norse people and shared by the Vedic people, Mm -hmm. and most likely the Aesir who came to the Norse from Asia were actually the Asuras from the Vedic tradition. They're another type of deity. They're the devas, the devas that were the high gods. But mm-hmm. then the Asuras were a bit more rebellious, which the lore even talks about the Aesir being rebellious to the old gods. Mm-hmm. So it's even in there. But as they came through the lands, they taught, and they did so many different things. And so he definitely has this teaching. And if we look to some of these ancient Vedic teachings, we find some of the words of Vishnu mm-hmm. being parroted by Odin. When he talks about the greatest sacrifice of self to the self, that's in the Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. it's the sacrifice of self to self. The stuff that Odin teaches the Norse, we find in the Hermetic tradition through Thoth, Hermes, Trismegistus. Mm-hmm. And I've got a good friend in Turkey who shares with me all of these different overlaps from other cultures that are in that area with the teachings of Odin. So we see Odin as this long lineage coming from this other culture, probably a very immortal person maybe even still being alive today, teaching people in this way. Yes, and I think it's important for us to understand that when you're looking at the pantheon of gods in any culture, these are usually the same, very same entities that have shown up repeatedly throughout history, globally. A group of beings who came to offer knowledge, to offer guidance, to offer protection, sometimes to provoke Indeed. I mean, you have all the whole pantheon of characters, right? Absolutely. And so they, of course, are showing up in the North mythology under whatever the name of the day is, but very similar. It makes sense that you would find the exact same teachings elsewhere, historically. So, you know, what about the runes themselves? 
because that's your that's your thing. That's your specialty. I mean, among other things, but yeah. And that goes back to Odin. Yeah. In the mythological tale of Odin, he hung himself upon the world tree Yggdrasil for nine nights. And in the shamanic practice that he did, peered into the depths to the abyss. And we were able to see the runes that already were created. And then with a roaring cry, he gathered them up and fell back from the tree. Some he gave to the high gods, some he gave to the fertility gods of the bond there, some he gave to the giants, some to humans, some he kept for himself. But what this tells us, and specifically in that passage, is that the runes existed before he did, that the runes came from a time before time. And there's a great little thing in the Old Norse, Gerthud Ginregen, that were shaped by the high holy rulers, the people who existed, the gods before the gods, Erfadi Fimbulthuler, who were colored by the great singer. Fimbulthuler is the great singer. A thuler in the Norse tradition is a lot like a cantor, mm-hmm. sings the religious songs. Fimbul means great or super. And that tells us not only did the runes exist in a time before time, that they were subtle energies, but that they were also vibratory frequencies that connected with consciousness. Mm-hmm. And he was able to gather them and then teach these runes to the different types of beings, including humans, in ways that we best understood. So they're kind of foundational symbols representing them, sound, vibration. Exactly. Right. And we actually didn't get the symbols until a tribe of the Goths from uh, lower Sweden mm-hmm. were a mercenary troop that went throughout Europe, applying their wares as mercenaries. And they brought back with them in the Gotland the writings of what I believe to be the Etruscans. Because mm-hmm. the Etruscan alphabet looks a lot like the Runic alphabet. I was just alphabet. going to ask you that, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the the term Eralaz, which is what they were, actually shows up in the Bible. They were the Heruli. They were one of the Gothic tribes that were fighting against the Roman Empire at the time. And when they came back into Scandinavia around the year 2000, uh, 2000 years ago, around, you know, zero B.C., they brought with them this writing and they taught it to people. And nowadays, if you were to look on a runestone, you would see a term Ek Eralaz. That means I am the rune master. The Gothic tribe of the Eralaz became known as the rune masters. And they're the ones who actually gave the runes their shape that we see them today and their phonetic values as we know them today, pairing with the wisdom of Odin as he brought their vibratory energies at the numinous level mm-hmm. into the physical level. This gave the physical form for the runes to exist in our reality. Do they at all overlap with Druidic symbols, for example? Uh, the Druids really. have uh, the Oum, which mm-hmm. are all based off of the trees. Trees, yeah, the alphabet of trees. Yeah. Right, and yeah. they're different. And it's totally different. Totally different. And so only the Etruscan, nothing to be found in other hieroglyphics, for example, in Egyptian times. It's its own thing, you're saying. Right, it could be. Could be, but for yeah. the most part. For the most part, it's its own thing. It's yeah. its own thing, yeah. Okay, so now you have been engaging with runes Mm -hmm. so is it the same as any other divination tool or is it special or does it let's say does it offer maybe more embedded or esoteric information than other divination tools or is it what you put into it here's the fun part runes were never used as a divination tool until the 1980s really really that's well, that's my, when everything came up as a divination tool. That's my <laughs> best research. Is I could not determine that until the 1980s, it were never used as divination. I've done some deep digging into the lore to try to find out where they're at. 
And there are a couple of references to Norse divination, definitely horses and birds, different mm-hmm. kinds of allegories in that way. And there's a term called blotines, which means blood sticks mm-hmm. that were shaken that maybe, but we don't know that they were really runes. There are some historical accounts of marking things on pieces of wood and then scattering them across a cloth. But we don't know that they were runes. Okay. However, what we know for a fact from the literature of the Norse people themselves and from the archaeology, from the runes that were actually dug up, is we know for a fact that they were magical tools, that they were tools used for transformation, for healing, for building wealth, and for making life a much better place. By simply embodying the symbol itself as a representation of the great creative force. I'll go even a step further. Okay. By embodying the sound. The sound of it. Okay, so each rune represents a sound. Absolutely. It's one of the great things I love about the work of Jonathan Goldman. Yes. The Mm -hmm. the sound healing. Yeah. He talks about the frequency with intention Mm -hmm. is manifestation or healing. Mm -hmm. Well, with the runes, you've got, say, the rune Fehu. It deals with value, with exchange of energy, information, money, time, effort, that sort of thing. Fehu. And it has the F sound. It looks like the letter F. It sounds like F. And so you have now that F sound, Mm -hmm. the Fehu sound, with the intention of value. Mm -hmm. And so that leads to your manifestation or And the old form of Norse magic is called Galdr. And it means basically singing the runes. And there are ample references throughout the lore about singing the runes. So a healer of the day, a great magician healer of the day, would have used used incantations when working with someone that needed rebalancing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And one of those healing phrases that comes to us to this day is found on numerous artifacts. And the word is laukas. Laukas alu. Alu is kind of like the Norse all. We can get into that one too. Yeah, do. And if they were to sing... Laukas, oh, it brings that healing energy into the person that they're directing it towards. So when you were starting to really uh, engross yourself into the rediscovery of your Norse roots, so to speak, what area of it were you particularly fascinated with it? With Was it as a teacher? Was it as a healer, a warrior? What really drew you in? The ascension potential. So the spiritual ascension aspect. Absolutely. They, the way I like to look at runes today is we like we see runes as these little characters carved on pieces of wood and stone. Oh, hey, you can buy them at Barnes and Noble, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Toss them on the table, pick one, and you have no idea what you're supposed to do with it. <laughs> Absolutely. But the real rune, the way I like to think of it, yeah. is that they are the subtle connections between the subtle layers of our consciousness and the subtle layers of existence. Mm-hmm. And you don't need the actual shape the, or the sound or the name to tap into that. For example, two of the runes that I always talk about when I'm teaching rune classes is Manas and Anzus. Manas is a rune of people, of humanity, us gathered here together. This is Manas. Us communicating, talking back and forth, mm-hmm. that is the rune Anzus. And the exchange of information could be even the rune of Gebo. Not the pieces that are carved or written down, or painted, but the actual living, breathing mm-hmm. energies that is vital in our world and within our beings. But when you work with a person individually, do you employ the use of the runes to be given subtle information mm-hmm. to that person, access points to that person? 
Mm-hmm. In fact, how I will do that is I'll teach them how to create their own little rune script based on what they're looking for. We'll talk about what the challenges are, what some of the difficulties are, what their own strengths are. And as we're going through and recording what these things are, I'll think, oh, this is a rune that you could use because mm-hmm. maybe it correlates to inner strength, which would be Uru's. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you do need some more aggressiveness in your life, which would be Thurazaz. And so I will teach them how to sing those runes and how to bring those energies into their body, their being. More importantly, how to go out into the world and live those energies mm-hmm. so that they are manifesting them through direct action. Yeah. And do you find that a lot of people that find their way to you, like you, also have this memory in their being that this may have been a culture of theirs that they resonated with in the past or embodied in the past? Yeah. A lot of those people do. So. But yeah. what's more interesting to that point is I treat English as a sacred language mm-hmm. because a lot of our words that we have, like dog, day comes mm-hmm. from the rune dagas, the word year comes from the rune yera, letters like F, S, T, B, R, C, and I, S, these all are runic letters that have the same phonetic value that we do today and the runes look exactly as the same. So, and words like mother, father, mm-hmm. sister, brother, mm-hmm. I can give you a little bit of training and you'll actually be able to go to a 2000 year old runestone and read those words for yourself because they were spoken in the exact same way 2000 years ago as we say them today. And so the runes are deeply embedded in our psyche already through the language that we speak. Yeah. Inter- fascinating. And one thing that is, um, shadowed humanity is their shadow the whole time and the multidimensionality of life and living within the realm of elementals and other beings this has been with us and a lot of people come to you um to work with you because they're being plagued either by their own shadow or by someone shadowing them (laughs) so let's talk about you talk about something called the golden shadow which i mentioned when i introduced you let's talk about the golden shadow i also want to go into elementals and how you work with people in managing that interface with other realms. Absolutely. The golden shadow. We're kind of getting into some Jungian territory, which is beautiful because it, the, Jung has done a lot of work with the Norse tradition, with the archetypes and that sort of thing. And one of the areas of spirituality that has kind of always bugged me is everything has to be peace, love, and light. We have to be nice and happy. And if we have something bad or negative or angry or any of the stuff, we just suppress it. Be happy and nice. And it's like... No, 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 no. One of the lessons that the runes taught me over the years is there are definitely some happy runes like Wunyo, like Yera, success, joy, all of these kind of happiness. But it also has Thurazaz, which is about aggression and violence. It has Nauthis, which is about neediness and constraint. It has Hagalaz, which is about disruption and destruction. These are very necessary elements well they're commonly accepted emotions absolutely they are part of the human emotional structure whether we like it or not exactly and i seeing all of the peace love and light let's be happy and ignore the negative i saw so many devastating things happen by people ignoring some of the darker stuff that they needed to look at this was the down downside of the new age right honestly is the belief that you know, you dream it so and you're going to have a happy outcome forever. And that's the end of that story. And of course, most people didn't experience it. And then disillusionment comes in and then senses of uh, failure, you know, start occurring and so forth. Because we've been ignoring the fact these are, depending on who we are, parts of our nature. Absolutely. Yeah. So now look at let's look at how the runes and how the Norse way embodies and embraces these and then helps transform 
overly negative, uh, you know what I'm saying, emotions into something a little more functional. Right. And, and specifically with shadow work, I, yeah. I tend to work with pagan men mm-hmm. because we have a little bit of a subset of challenges that we're dealing with. A little? A little, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is a man in today's culture, right? It's, yeah. a, it's a big, big issue right now with men. Exactly. Uh, globally. And taking it from the heathen, the Norse perspective, mm-hmm. I can actually hit this head on mm-hmm. straight up and say, no, you are messing up. These are the things that are the problems. We need to not suck up and deal with it, but you need to accept it. You need to look at this negative part of you, the thing that you don't like to see. You have to stop, take that moment, look at it, but what is it really trying to say to you? Instead of like, I know I have this aggression. I know I have this anger. I'm really angry at this one person. Why? Let's feel that anger. Let's get into that one. Let's really produce that anger. Express it right here, right now, and let it out. So we get underneath it and go, oh, because I have a level of self-respect that I need to honor more. Mm-hmm. And this is more about me setting my boundaries and that I can be more clear about the boundaries that I set. I can still be assertive. But now I don't need to be angry anymore. Right. And that's the golden shadow. It comes when we deal with whatever that yeah, anger is right up front. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What is it that you're hiding? What is your superpower that you're ignoring because you're just, you've got the hatred, you've got the anger, you've got the fear, you've got the envy. Let's hit those things face on, embrace them, make them bigger, stronger, talk to them. What are you trying to teach me? What is it that they need to learn from this? And then you find that golden shadow that you've been hiding from yourself. And you're like, wow, I didn't realize I was that good of a person this entire time. I thought I was just this jerk. I thought I was just this horrible, awful person. But really, I'm better than that entity. So how much of this is the breaking down of a patriarchal mindset that has existed for thousands of years? Oh, it's 100% our cultural upbringing. And yeah. that's one of the absolute things I teach. I mean, is, masculinity versus patriarchy. Right. Two different things. And this is the struggle we're in right now. And in a little bit, I'm going to load it toward the women. So go ahead. That's absolutely it. I teach yeah. people to get in touch with their core, mm-hmm. their identity of who they are. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it comes from listing what are your values. Right. List out your values and then go, wait, that's not really me. That's not really That's what me. I've been that's taught. That's a program. That's yeah. yeah, exactly. And I love the chaos magicians have this great saying that I think embodies it best. I am that I am not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is by identifying what has been glommed onto right, you what culturally, you are not. Yeah. the whole patriarchy, the whole church upbringing, the whole school system, the parents, the expectations of who you're supposed to be mm-hmm. are the shadows that we carry with us because we want to please these people. They are our authorities. We took it on. So, well, they must know better. So mm-hmm. gotta be this. Mm-hmm. And then we get to a certain stage in life and they served you at that point. But now they're a detriment. How do you clear them out? And that comes from self-identifying. Who are you at the core? What is it that you are not? And then we begin to honor that to help you at that one time. But now we embrace the core of who you are. So let me ask you something. When you work with these men and mm-hmm. you strip everything away, you get past all of the programs that you get past the patriarchal mindset that is a program. What do you often find is at the very bottom of a lot of men that would surprise women? I'm not going to say the word compassion because the word's not necessarily compassion, but there is a deep loving connection that comes from the sacred masculine. It is definitely a directed energy. It is more like focused and here's where we're going and where we are. There is a sense of confidence that comes through because it was like, oh, I get this connection and I can put it into 
direction. Now, those are vague terms, absolutely, because I've seen in every individual person it comes out vastly different. Mm-hmm. And that, that's one of the things I actually key into is I'm never going to tell a person who they are at the core and what that is at their foundation and let them discover it. Yeah, ab- because that's the best way, yeah. It really surprises them sometimes, yeah. you know, and I have not found the case, but I'm aware of the case, you know, some of the old Vedic traditions, you know, the tale of Jaya and Vijaya coming to, to the world to be demons so that they could bring some better, the avatars into the world to make the world a better place. And so they had to be these horrible, awful people throughout their lifetimes. I have not encountered that ever, right. but it's usually people who have startled themselves like, wow, I need to be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. The core of me is actually more outgoing and more aggressive instead of being passive and accepting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the opposite's been true. It's like, wait a minute. I don't need to be so active and aggressive and violent towards mm-hmm. people. I can actually be calm and listen. That's what my higher being wants me to be. It's, like, it, it's different. But if there is a thread that goes through, there is a more loving, deeper connection that happens because they have that vulnerability to be open. They have this inner strength where they can let themselves be vulnerable and then they open up even more. And then the awareness to say, no, here's my boundary of what I can't be open about. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, it never made it to the air, but um, I did a little experimental roundtable show with men and we were talking about the state of masculinity and such today. And we ended up talking about women because women have this, this kind of general sense because of the programming of the last thousands of years. Um, oftentimes women have a deep sense of uh, potential abandonment, you know, because they were made to be reliant upon men during the patriarchal years. That's just now coming to a point where women don't need men for survival. But those feelings are still pixels within our memory, within the aura of this in the past. So women are left with this feeling of like anxiety, competition with each other, and uh, potential abandonment as deep core issues. And we were talking about all this. And as it as it turned out at the end of the conversation, at three generations of men, it turned out that each one of them stated they had this almost inexplicably kind of deep love for women that women can't feel anymore, that doesn't show itself in an overt way for most women. They're not feeling it, even with their partners oftentimes. What do you find when you dig down to the bottom of men in this this work, this shadow work? Where are women? What is their relationship to the feminine? Uh, and I know everyone's different, but has anything emerged as kind of a, a portrait of mankind and their feelings toward women. Is it fear? Is it love? Is it some kind of a, a strange uh, combination of the two or even an envy of some kind at procreation as some, you know, in the day of feminism, that was, oh, well, men are envious and afraid of women because they couldn't procreate. I think that's a little bad. What have you found? Fear. Fear. There's fear of the feminine. Fear of more of how they're being perceived. Some of the men... It's, Tell me about that. Yeah. Some of the men is they have that deep love for women. They have that intent of letting women know that they want they want the women to feel protected and honored. But there are other forces out there, other men and other situations that the patriarchy, the um, I hate the word toxic masculinity, but they're out no, there. Yeah. And even though they know at the core of their being, they're a good person. They don't want to be seen as some of these other guys. 
Mm-hmm. And so they tend to be closed off, they tend to shut down, or they're more protective of themselves because they don't want to be offensive, they don't want to be rude or anything like that to a, another woman. But some of these guys who are aggressive and just rude and out there, they've got fear of rejection going on. Yeah, They may have approached a woman, or even when they were younger, a girl, in the wrong way because they were learning, mm-hmm. and then they were teased for it, they were harassed for it, mm-hmm. and it created this vicious cycle of I'm approaching the wrong way. Oh, it's their problem. They're the one that's wrong. But it's really fear of how they are interacting with the when world. When you get into fear the of shadow. How being perceived. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of shame mm-hmm. that's out there. Like these guys that are afraid of how they're going to be perceived by women, they're ashamed of some of the toxic traits that are out there. Mm-hmm. The guys who are very to- toxic and aggressive, they're ashamed of the way they've been treated in the past and they're projecting that shadow onto other people. That's the thing about shadows. We project it onto people instead mm-hmm. of looking inside. And so their, their shadow of rejection, their shadow of uh, fear, of shame, all of that they're projecting onto the women. But really it's all fear-based. And they have to address that fear. So how would you, if, for the women watching this, because you know, mm-hmm. there are a lot of women watching this, what would you say to women at large, having worked with a male shadow quite a bit? And we're going to get into the whole pagan masculinity thing here, um, you know, deep and raw, right? Um, what would you say to women to help them understand men, the men in their lives a little bit better after working with their shadow? My answer is going to be a little bit off the cuff. That's okay, because I know you normally work with men on this, so mm, I get uh, it. My answer for this would be men and women the same. Mm-hmm. is focus on yourself. Yeah. Focus on improving who you are at the core of your being, mm-hmm. living your authenticity as much as you can yeah. and sloughing off all of the fear, all of the expectations, all of the rest of it. Because what happens if you're living from the core and you're like a bright, shining light of the core of your authenticity, the people who are not in resonance to that will just fall away. And that can be painful. It can be, but this is the truth for living life in general. Exactly. Yeah. And the people who are in resonance are going to start coming towards you because your energies are going to be a frequency. And so if you're having those difficulties with men or with other people, honor the fact that they're going through their own difficulties, their their own problems. Realize that their anger, their aggression, their all of this stuff is not really an aspect of you. Mm-hmm. It's an aspect that they need to deal Projected. with themselves. And I yeah. teach guys, you know, this is your problem. You need to deal right. with this one. And as we are at the core of our beings, living our own authenticity, these people will fall away and the right people will start coming to you. So I would say my best advice for everyone is focus yeah. on yourself. Just being your authentic, true self. Let your own light shine. And sometimes your shadow it's going to be there too, shouldn't you? It's always going to be there. You know, and another thing that was interesting um, in these conversations I had with men, and one of the men in particular who is Italian, who does a lot of this kind of work, uh, a lot of men's group work, um, a shadow work, and so forth. Whenever I would see him, I would say, um, I'd, at some point, I would use the word happy in our conversation. And he said, Regina, when are you going to understand that's not a man's word? Happy is not a man's word. It's a woman's word. You all want to be happy together, talking, sharing, uh, communing with each other. That's not a word that really represents men. It can be passionate, it can be a lot of things, but happy isn't our word. And I had to really think about that. And I started looking at men and realizing happy is not their word. What do you have to say about that? It's true. To the dismay of my wife and other people in my life, (laughs) I told them years ago, I realized I don't want to pursue happiness. Happiness is not 
on my course of life. I'm pursuing purpose and I have a sense of fulfillment, a sense of relaxation. My de-stressing is when I get things done that are in alignment with my purpose. However, I have this caveat with myself because I do embrace the feminine within and I do accept that I have feminine traits as all men do. And if we ignore that we have our own feminine traits and we're denying a a very major, powerful part of ourselves. So to honor that, I say, if I'm on the path of purpose and I am pursuing my purpose with passion and integrity and happiness finds its way to me, I will embrace that (laughs) happiness, I will accept it, and I will enjoy it for all that it is. I love it. That's a perfect response. But this is a problem between men and women. And the women usually find their happy moments with other women. And Mm -hmm. and also because you're looking at a man's purpose also can be highly individual, um, more so than women's where women are working toward a collaboration. It's natural. If you're going to care for your tribe, for your family and so forth, you have to work on behalf of the whole more mm-hmm. collaboratively in a more um, sharing manner. Um, you have to be able to work out disputes between people a little more efficiently as a woman. You have to be able to bridge, negotiate, you know, mediate and so forth. And so all of those things are really done toward what we call in the spirit of living a life that has happiness at the core. And I remember he also said, maybe a better word for us would be joy. Okay. The joy of having finished something is not the same as a women's version, the women's version of happy. That's exactly one of the things I teach in all of my men's classes and all of my men's groups and any of the guys who come to me for some one-on-one guidance. The thing that I emphasize over and over and over and over again is as a man, we are biologically wired to need occasional moments of solitude. Mm -hmm. We have to have the man cave. We have to have the den. I've got my ritual space that I have at home. We have to have that alone time. Mm -hmm. That is how we recharge our testosterone. That's how we zero out, how we decompress and de-stress. And women need to bond with each other. Right. They need to get together. And this is a lot of times some of the problems that happen in relationships. Oh, hugely. Is the woman wants to have her connection time. The man needs the alone time. She'll have that feel of abandonment. Like, why is he leaving me alone? And I say, stop. You do need your alone time. You mm-hmm. do need your solitude. And you need to communicate that. Say, hey, babe, I love you. I want to be there for you. Can you give me 30 minutes? Yeah. And I'll come back. I promise you we can deal with this together. And I teach them that communication, just yes. that saying, I need this time. That's really important because when we're living in tribal times, the men went and did their thing. The women were with women and that's you'd sleep together. But that was kind of the extent of it. Now we're all one big happy. Um, what do you what, what do you call modern humanity where we're all supposed to be equal on all in all ways, on all levels. And we're supposed to be able to live in a nuclear uh, family environment you know, where everybody's being honored and women want their husband to be their bestie, you know, right? And the men want to like get away a lot of the time for their own purposes. And there are, I've had huge misunderstandings of this in my relationships with men thinking, wow, they're grouchy and kind of isolating themselves. And I took it personally. I took it personally my whole life, really, because I didn't understand anything about men. I wasn't raised around any, there were no boys no cousins, nothing. I didn't know anything about boys. And so it's taken me a really long time to understand we are essentially different. Purpose is more of a man's way, and that doesn't have to be taken personally to us um, right. who are looking for that happy, wonderful connection. 
Right. And I think so. as human beings, since we have a masculine and feminine within each of us, we can have it all. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we just have to, like you say, have the language to honor each other in what we each need. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have to give too to your wife. She's going to want to be. She's going to want to have her nice, fun, connected time with you. So and she gets it. And she gets it. There you go. I know you're a team player. Let's talk about uh, in the time left. I want to talk about the work you do with the elementals, which were part of the ancient way mm-hmm. and the tribal way of understanding. We're living in a multidimensional world with all kinds of entities surrounding us at all times, from wonderful guiding forces to irritating ones. We folk. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's one of the areas I do specialize in is paranormal protection. Mm-hmm. Because over the years that I've worked with haunted houses and people with paranormal problems, I have found that in over 90% of the cases where there's something bad going on in the house, it's a thought form mm-hmm. and, or it's poltergeist. It's self-generated. The humans in the house are Egregores, creating. Is another Egregores. word for Absolutely. It. Yeah. Egregores. You're right. And that's part of the things I kind of help teach people to, I teach people to con- communicate with an anger war rather than try to get rid of it because they're a little well, bit more Well, let's talk about the nature of self-created right. entities. Those, and that's the majority of the time of their thought forms. And the mm-hmm. Norse have a word for that one, hukam, shape, basically uh, thought shape, mm-hmm. thought form. It's still mm-hmm. the same word. It is when you have an obsessive emotion over and over and over and over again, like fear, fear, mm-hmm. fear, 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 you will create a ball of energy that is now loaded with fear energy and it lives, it exists. It's not an evil thing. It's but, its own entity, right. so to speak. But when it needs a recharge, it'll poke you with severe energy. And you're like, what's your, what's bothering you? What's yeah. And it gets a charge. It's like, oh, thank you. Or it could be anger or yeah. it could be hatred. It could be blind love. Mm-hmm. It could be overemphasized mm-hmm. joy. It could be any of these kind of emotional states. And it will poke a person. And if that person's like, there's something here. There's something scary. They're creating a poltergeist effect through their own telekinesis. Suddenly something goes flying across the room. This thing is fed. It's like, Oh wow. I can poke you. Yeah. Something goes flying across the room. I get fed even more. This yeah. is great. That's 90% of the cases or more. Yeah. The rest of the cases are hidden folk. Yeah. Hidden, hidden folk. Right. The wee folk, the fairies and the leprechauns and the sylphs and so forth. A lot of the devic realm that is uh, not just a projection, but a part of nature. Absolutely. Yeah. There are natural, that's one of the things I really emphasize in all of my paranormal work is the paranormal is normal. Right. The supernatural is natural. Right. We coexist as multidimensional beings. Mm-hmm. And when there's a problem elemental in the house, it's usually because the people in the house upset something. Mm-hmm. They had a stone in their yard. They moved the stone over. It disrupted the house of yes. this being or they're in a logging community. And they cut down some trees yes. where these things live. And they're like, you know, you messed with my house. Yeah. I'm going to come mess with your house. Right. And Norse lore is rife with tiny little examples. Like if you notice in your doorway some straw or some dirt and you don't clean it up, that's a little bugger putting some stuff there to test you. Yeah. Because they like clean homes and they like things to be nice and orderly. Yeah. And so if you clean that up. And you notice these little problems going on. One of the best things I try to do to people is tell them to create a little altar in their home. Just a little a place that where they can be honored. Where they can be honored, right. Mm-hmm. Maybe put some oatmeal there. Mm-hmm. Maybe put some milk if that doesn't work. Some whiskey, some tobacco, some sage, something as an offering. And then replenish it. Stay on top of it. Don't let it go bad. And if you do see a wild animal or an animal coming and eating it, partaking of it, mm-hmm. let it. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is received. And all you're really doing is just honoring that force. And then sometimes it takes a little bit extra work. Like we'll sit down and we'll try to open a line of communication. They don't communicate in words like we do. They communicate in what I call impressions. It's just like 
you'll get the impression of a hole in the ground where there used to be something and they want that something back. And then you're like, did you move something in your yard? Is there something? Oh yeah. I wanted a better view of this tree over there. So I moved this rock out of the way. And I'm like, you need to put it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when they put the rock back, they make their little offerings. They do their mea culpas. And the hidden folk are happy. Right. The hidden folk are happy and you go yeah. back to peacefully coexisting. Let's talk about the ones we create now. We'll go away from mm-hmm. the hidden folk and the elementals into the ones we create. How do you deal once you have created an egregore? or a thought form uh, that is a projection of your own repeated emotions, how do you then kind of get rid of it? One of the best stories I tell when I teach seance classes come, is a story not of my own, but growing up in the spiritualist community and with the different seance groups, one of the people I got to know a little bit was Dr. Robert Bradley, inventor of the Bradley Method, mm-hmm. who was actually my mom's doctor when she was pregnant with me. And if you ever saw the movie in the 70s, The Changeling with George C. Scott, yes, that is about Dr. Robert Bradley. Oh, interesting. In his story, as a materialist, reductionist, doctor, atheist, there is no paranormal, there is no supernatural, there's nothing. In the middle of the night, goes to sit in his parlor, watches his cigar lighter lift up off the table and drop. From that moment on, fear, scare, like, oh, these stories are real, this is actually happening. The energy in the house threw him down, tried to throw him down the stairs. It broke a mirror. He had a scar in his neck from where the mirror broke. It was so drastic that they actually were able to make a movie about how the whole telekinesis and how the thought form was there. But throughout the seances and throughout everything, he realized there was a little boy out in the house, a little spirit of a boy in the house. And of course, the boy is scared to death of this thought form that the doctor created. And when the doctor changed his attitude and realized, I made this thought form, there's this little boy yeah, scared. Frightened, yeah. How can I help you? Mm. What can I do to help you? And I realize I'm not longer attached to this thing. The thought form lost its energy. It lost its control. And they were able to have great seances and great interactions with spirits from that moment on because he realized he was creating his own fear. He was realized he was perpetuating the cycle of negative energy. And when you feel that coming in, realize it's not coming from you mm. and you can stop it. The number one thing I teach anybody, anywhere, anytime, that if they're under the attack of a negative entity, no matter what kind of Mm -hmm, mm self-created or an egregore or anything, Mm -hmm. the first thing that you want to do is laugh. Okay. Laugh to the point where your eyes crinkle. So the levity of it breaks that energy pattern. It becomes poisonous. Yeah. yeah. That thing is trying to tap you with anger. Yeah. And if you laugh back, it's going to go you're giving yeah. me, oh, I'm out of here. Right, I don't right. want that. So if you laugh at it, honestly, it's not going to take it as an offense. It's not going to go, oh, you're offending me. Mm-hmm. It's going to feel that energy. And like, It'll be poisonous. repulsed by It'll it. It'll be repulsed and it will leave you alone. Well, let me ask you something very contemporary, okay? And that is the whole notion of a collective egregore that is being and has been created by the COVID-19 global shutdown. This is a very interesting one. And I asked the whisperers about this. I work with a black mirror. That's my primary tool when I'm sitting in meditation, communicating with them. And I wanted some insights to what was going on. And they told me that we are on a singular path. There is only one outcome to this one, but they weren't going to tell me. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. But So they weren't going to give me prophecy. But they said what you can do with this energy. And they say to treat this zeitgeist energy. In fact, they don't want to use the word egregore. Mm-hmm. They're poking. Don't call it an egregore. Call it a zeitgeist. The zeitgeist. Yeah, it's a very s- good. similar energy, but it's a, used differently. 
that the zeitgeist is an energy that we can either get inundated with, like if it's a wave pouring over us and we can get drowned and sucked into it and just pull down, or you can choose to use this energy as a wave that you could ride on top of to propel you with a totally higher agreed. state of being. Totally agreed. And it's us yeah. to decide if we get inundated or excel. We choose the outcome. Exactly. <laughs> any final words um, about the work you're doing and uh, or, or any other little piece that we didn't get to in terms of the magic of the Norse way and of the runes before we sign off here? Let me share one little technique that I love yeah. to share with people with working with runes. Mm-hmm. I call it the Wunyo Nauthi's shift. Wunyo, we talked about, is a rune of joy, about happiness, mm-hmm. about having. Nauthi's is a rune of needs, necessity, constraints. And the way I teach the Wunyo Nauthi's shift in people is it's a reframing of your situation. Let's say it's the end of the month, you paid all your bills, and you go to look at your bank account, and you've got $20 left. A Nauthi's perspective is like, oh, I've got right. $20 left, what am I going to do? Right. But you can go, let's look at it from a Wunyo. I paid everything, and I have some money left over. And because you're able to make that shift, the universe is a reflection of itself in all ways. And if you're in this constraint, this necessity, right. neediness mode, you're going to end up with more neediness. Contraction versus expansion. Exactly. Yeah. But if you can be in that yeah. Munio state, that happy, joyful state of, okay, I have $20. This is cool. And everything is paid off. Yeah. I am provided for. Then that will reflect back onto you. And right. That's one of the most simplest but powerful ways I teach Very people powerful. to use the runes is to shift the way you interact with the world and see the world so that the world meets you at that energetic level. Wonderful. That was, thank you for sharing that. Um, I love what you've, I, I mean, I've seen you at Gaia through the years and I love the way you've progressed in your own life and the way you've more consolidated this work you're doing, the pagan men work, uh, the shadow work and your work with ruins. And you also have a book, which we're going to talk about in just a sec. We sign off here. So I'm happy we were able to do this finally, Kedrick. Me too. And uh, thank you for, thank you for all your hard work and thank you for bringing some of the Norse magic to us. Thank you for this opportunity. This is really wonderful. <laughs> Enjoying it very much. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about Kedrick's work, you can go to kedrick.com. His book, Runes for Transformation, is available on Amazon as well. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Okay, we got one more, everybody. Thank you. It's my sense is that the presentations that are being brought to us are moving into higher and higher levels of conscious awareness. So I've truly enjoyed listening to all these wonderful, insightful people. Mm. And this is called Beings of Light. And it's uh, Ricardo Gonzalez, Corpancho. And what lies beyond extraterrestrial contacts? Ricardo relives one of his most fascinating experiences with beings of higher consciousness who appear in this dimension as beings of light. And he tells us how these beings created a phenomena that changed the lives of many in Uruguay. According to Ricardo, these consciousness of light, these consciousnesses of light act as natural guardians of the earth's vortices. He also leaves us this reflection. 
quote, Perhaps all beings in the universe are essentially the same. Spheres of pure light that live for a time in the physical body. That's as brief as they can get. This is 30 minutes and we're ready. Let's, let's do this. talk with a sphere of light? Are they a manifestation of beings of higher consciousness? What is their origin? We're not talking about conventional contact with an extraterrestrial entity. We are facing an interdimensional contact. I'm Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho. Welcome on board the Ark of Time. delve into one of the most fascinating mysteries of contact cases. A close encounter with entities of light, beings of pure energy. What could we call them? Cases of extraterrestrial creatures remotely moving their image? A type of holographic projection? Or are there consciousnesses of energy that do not possess a physical body? interdimensional beings as we could perhaps define them i want to share a special case with you a very important experience for me i have great affection for uruguay i love visiting this small and wonderful country of south america i've made a lot of friends there in its geography which houses just over three and a half million inhabitants a highlight are its fascinating beaches, vast rolling plains, which cover much of the country. The Uruguayan terrain is basically Pampa, and precisely in one of those regions that are host to beef cattle production is where the incident occurred that I will describe. La Aurora is the name of one of these ranches, farms, huge fields that cover about 2,500 acres. It is located a few yards away from the border bridge between the departments of Salto and Paysandú. That bridge crosses the Daiman River, each bank belonging to one of these two regions. On this ranch, or Estancia, as it is called in Uruguay, you get there by a narrow dirt road which branches off from Route 3. It is a renowned enclave of mystery, not only in Uruguay, but also in South America, and not by coincidence. In the summer of 1976, its owner, Don Angel Maria Tona, started to have extraordinary UFO experiences in the presence of his family and even with his farmhands, all as witnesses. One of these workers already had warned of the presence of those strange lights that moved around in the sky, objects that remained immobile over the ground and then zipped toward other strange objects, which they then seemed to go inside. During one of these episodes, while the alleged mothership was leaving, there was a blackout in the city of Salto, which is located just six miles from the ranch. But the incident that started everything occurred on February 4th, back in the year 1976. 
In the early morning, local people saw an intense glow in the sky, and the Tona family heard a kind of explosion. When they left the house, they found a destroyed ombu, a tree with a large canopy that can reach a height of 50 feet that is native to that region of South America. The entire top of the tree had practically disappeared. This ombu was only 55 yards away from the farmhouse and main buildings. The tree was left strangely split in half, producing a deep hole down into its roots, about two feet in diameter. And near it, there were some dead animals, frogs, field rabbits, really disturbing because it was as if they were frozen. As if all this were not enough, the Uruguayan army heard about this experience and had soldiers camped on the ranch with the Tona's consent. The purpose was to privately investigate the phenomena, but according to Tona himself, the soldiers became very frightened when the lights reappeared, so the military hurriedly broke camp and left. Officially, of course, this did not happen, and the more skeptical Uruguayan investigators in this field consider it a myth. However, the unexplained phenomena in the area is so plentiful that it is too much to simply be dismissed. The most interesting thing in the Aurora case is that beyond the UFO sightings of strange lights and phenomena on this Uruguayan ranch is that visitors who came to this place with some physical ailment or illness began to recover. Specifically, when they focused on those areas of the field where the lights had appeared and where marks had been left. Apparently, people were healed there. And this situation was what made La Aurora stand out as a place of contact where people were healed. Its fame transcended Uruguay and became an international phenomenon. Intrigued by these miraculous healings, Argentine esoteric Angel Cristo Acoglanis went out to the farm, and later, well-known Brazilian esoteric writer Tigerinho did not let the opportunity slip by to write a book on the Aurora Phenomena. Neither Tona nor his family ever approved the content of that text, but the damage was already done. The ranch in Uruguay was transformed into a first-rate place of pilgrimage, where entire busloads arrived. Again, entire busloads of sick people, as if the place were a sanctuary for the Virgin Mary, which it actually became due to some people's fanaticism, who ended up mixing their religious beliefs with extraterrestrial contact. And those healing processes that people experienced occurred in places where the ships, or whatever they were, left marks on the ground, which is what we're seeing in this photograph. People approached and would lie down, and then they would experience a healing. Even, according to Tona, people who had terminal illnesses. But later, all this was expanded, and the whole field became a great area for healing. And this deserves reflection. Of course, there are many phenomena that could give rise to beliefs, or even have some religions evolve from them. I have no doubt that many of them were formed because of contacts with the supernatural from extraterrestrial contacts. 
Maybe on another occasion, we could go into more detail about the mystery of apparitions of Mary. However, beyond the fact that UFO phenomenon is always tiptoeing around this type of experience, it's a very different story when, from a pure original contact, we tack on our beliefs, generating rituals and worship, and all that can be distorted. And that is what has happened, somehow, with these people these days who venture to the Aurora Ranch. Tona and his family felt overwhelmed and decided to close the ranch to the public. Today, they do not allow anyone to enter, but that has not been enough. People camp outside the gates, even to this day. I must say, I met Angel Tona and his family personally. He's already passed, but I remember him as an exceptional guy. He was not the typical contact witness, who sometimes, after these types of experiences, transforms into a distant, strange person who could erroneously believe that they are someone special, different from others, who projects themselves to people as an expert, as a type of guide or cosmic guru for those who believe in their experience. I think that's very dangerous because contact witnesses are just everyday people who experience something incredible. And one of the humblest who I have met on my journey is Mr. Tona, the typical Uruguayan rancher who greeted you with a mate tea, that classic drink so typical of Uruguay, Argentina, and other countries of South America where it has its native origins. He welcomed me into his home with a mate tea. It's really wonderful to share with such a person, so down to earth, so kind, so sincere. And with him, I had an experience that I really didn't expect. Tona welcomed me into his home and I had had the opportunity to make contact with him thanks to a dear mutual friend, my dear Gloria Libertad, who currently lives in Uruguay. And Tona welcomed us with extraordinary kindness and showed me, while we drank mate together, the animals that had been dissected in that strange manifestation of lights and the explosion of the Ombu tree in 1976. Photographs of personalities, including in the scientific field, who had visited the place, and so forth. But I was struck by his story that U.S. astronaut Neil Armstrong visited Uruguay. I don't mean the official visit made to Uruguay by the Apollo 11 mission astronaut, but another secret visit, which, strictly according to Angel Tona's testimony, occurred on his ranch. The American astronaut had traveled, according to Tona, by land from Argentina. He arrived in Uruguay and met with him. Tona even showed me a photograph, which, unfortunately, I don't have in my possession. He just showed it to me, and in it was a man with a baseball cap and tinted glasses. It was allegedly Mr. Armstrong. According to Tona, the astronaut was investigating several places of contact, different phenomena in South America, since it was, according to what Neil told him, part of an initiative for paranormal research, which was obviously under the veil of his trip as a distinguished visitor. If this is so, I wouldn't be surprised. 
since the American astronaut belonged to various esoteric groups, including his membership in the Freemasons and also his well-known visit that I already mentioned to the Cave of the Tigers. The conversation with Tona was very relaxed when suddenly he said to me out of nowhere, do you want to meet Maya? And this caught my attention. Tona said that after the sightings and these objects, some beings of light, of energy, had manifested themselves, which he linked with the appearance of these UFOs, beings who introduced themselves by name, identifying themselves as entities of energy, of light, and one of whom was the aforementioned Maya. I said, okay, I really didn't believe him, and I must be honest in acknowledging that. I had the feeling that he wasn't lying. His experience was very solid, and those of us who have faced this type of contact when we hear other people's experiences. But to ask me, out of nowhere, let's leave the ranch and you will meet Maya. It seemed to me that it was, I don't know, impossible. We left, it was nighttime, and I remember that a light appeared in the distance. I thought it was a firefly that was blinking at us. But suddenly, as the light descended, becoming stronger, it was not a firefly. At least, I had never seen one so big and bright. And suddenly, it disappeared. And he said, that was Maya. She came to greet you. That was it. And I said, wow, was that a gigantic firefly that lit up just when we went out there? How did Tona know that this was going to happen? Is he kidding with me? My experience concluded in Uruguay. I took my flight back to Peru. At that time, I still lived in Peru. And I remember that during the flight, I fell asleep and had a lucid dream where I saw myself with a female figure made of light with feminine features, a female silhouette. And she said to me, I'm Maya. Now you are seeing me in this form. I was present at Tona's ranch. You saw me as a sphere of light. I said, this can't be. What happened to me at that ranch in Uruguay has affected me so much that I'm dreaming in mid-flight. And suddenly, I woke up because a child had unbuckled his seatbelt and started running down the aisle of the plane, shouting, Maya, Maya, Maya. And his mother quickly went to get him. She brought him back to his seat and put his seatbelt back on, as if the child were playing with an imaginary friend. I got goosebumps and said, no. Something extraordinary happened, and I have to open my mind to the possibility that Maya exists and that this contact with that alleged entity of light was genuine. What's more, Angel Cristo Acoglanis, the Argentine esoteric and chiropractor, when visiting Angel Tona, received information that this kind of being also manifested themselves in another place in Argentina, at the mythical Mount Uritorco. The case of Mount Uritorco is so extensive. We could do several episodes about this mystical mountain, which stretches to almost 6,000 feet in the mountains of Córdoba, in the heart of Argentina. It is very famous because in 1986, an unidentified flying object appeared, a type of ship described by witnesses as a lenticular object radiating reddish light. I am referring to the family of Doña Esperanza Gómez. This occurred in January of 86. 
And later, a discovery was made on a nearby mountain, not exactly Uritorco, but the Pajarillo Mountain, of immense impressions of more than 150 feet wide and more than 300 feet long. Skeptics, when they saw all of this, said, this was a fire set to attract tourism to Capilla del Monte, the town at the base of Mount Uritorco. However, the supposed fire had gone from the top down. That is, the heat had burned the bushes from the top down. It wasn't a traditional forest fire that burns from the roots. In addition, with the winds in the mountains, a fire cannot be confined to an oval spot, such as what you're seeing in the picture. It was also said that it had been an Argentine military experiment, the Condor experiment, with a missile that was to have hit there. And if that is the case, where is the crater? Skeptics began to spew other explanations, saying it could have been a circular electric bolt. Lightning produced by a storm. Anyway, to date, no one can agree. Was it the energy projected by the alleged 1986 UFO on El Pajarillo Mountain, as researcher Jorge Suarez believed? In addition to the impressions on El Pajarillo, on Uritorco, there was talk of a tradition of the natives, a very controversial oral tradition, difficult to prove. I'm referring to the Enya and Camiare native groups, known as the Comechingones, who were said to have had contact with lights that communicated with them through shamanic rituals. Like some researchers interpreted from the pictograms of Mount Colorado, the way I see it, another contact location in the mountains of Córdoba. Well, beyond these mysteries, it is clear that Mount Uritorco and its surroundings, such as Terrones or the grottos of Ongamira, have already reported spiritual experiences and contact with those lights long ago. Before these impressions on El Pajarillo, the incident in 1986 secured a place on the world ufological map for Mount Oritoco and the town of Capilla del Monte. But what interests us here is an even more disturbing subject, what Angel Maria Tona in Uruguay had reported to Angel Cristo Aconglanis, the Argentine esoteric, that these beings have also shown themselves in the Mount Uritoco area. And many people report to have seen the same lights that appeared on Las Gemelas Mountain, on Mount Oritoco, in Cuchicorral, even in Ongamira, in different places of this wonderful region. Lights that approached the witnesses and communicated with them telepathically. What were they facing? What was going on? Were they extraterrestrial entities linked to these sightings? Or are we facing another mystery? On occasion, in interviews that I've given at Gaia, I've talked about a contact that I experienced in the caves of Cusco, precisely in 1998, before meeting Angel Maria Tona. That contact occurred in the cave in Zone X. I descended into these underground labyrinths which are relatively close to the temple of the Rey of Saxabayman, when a light emerged like a bright haze that took the form of an elongated entity. And I wasn't alone when I saw it. I was accompanied by a witness, Sergio Cáceres Guaman, 
a researcher of Andean esotericism. We both saw it and were left perplexed. Could it be that this kind of being is the same that was later reported by Tona and also by contact witnesses from Mount Oritoco? According to a certain Andean tradition in Peru, that kind of being protects the wakas, the vortices of the earth, the sacred places. Some call them Nyaupa Machu, that can be associated with the spirit of the ancestors, as believed on Uritoco, that those lights, like Maya, Uitiacom, Hapantikwama, Sikuma, Osaruma, are simply the spirits of the ancient natives who, centuries ago, inhabited these mountains of Cordoba, as may have happened to me, in the caves of Cusco. However, the other version is that the Nyaupa Machu may not be exactly spirits, energy, linked to ancient human presence, native inhabitants, but are conscious entities of pure energy, flowing in the vortices of the earth who are connected, for some reason, to UFO apparitions. And not that they generate the UFO phenomenon, but they have some kind of interaction or connection with the occupants of UFOs. That is a much more complex and convoluted issue. On only one occasion in the vicinity of Mount Uritoco, was I able to repeat the experience in Zone X in Cusco. It was December 5th of 2015. We were at the base of Las Gemelas Mountain, a group of people doing contact preparation and meditation when, through telepathy, a message from a being who called himself Huitaikom invited me to approach a specific place close to where we were. In that case, I gave in to my impulses and I walked toward an area where there is a dirt road that leads into the forest. And I first saw two lights that seemed to be moving around the area, but they were very close together. And then I found out that it was a fox. I said, my God, what now? I'm turning up at the alleged invitation of these beings through the telepathic communication that I mentioned. And I end up walking around in the middle of the night to see what I can find. And a fox appears. Will this be a test? And then there was a much stronger light. And I asked myself, could it be a firefly? That is, I try to apply what many of us call the protocol of Oakham's razor. That being the simplest, most rational explanation is the one that we have to employ. If you are in your house, for example, and you hear a noise in the kitchen, it's most likely your cat or that the wind blew a window that you left open rather than it being the holographic projection of an extraterrestrial. Does that make sense? It's trying to employ a simple, rational explanation before magical thinking emerges. However, that alleged firefly, just like it happened to me at the Aurora Ranch with Angel Maria Tona, disappeared and reappeared some feet away from me, very close, a bluish-white light, and it started to stretch up and down as if it were chewing gum, elastic, and it took the shape of a tall, thin figure, which reminded me greatly of what I had experienced in Zonex in Cusco. And he told me, I am Huitaikom. And then he disappeared, not without leaving me with a series of sensations and images in my head about a project we were doing and continued developing to this day called the Rorick Center, a cultural center 
linked to the awareness of peace and the work of this Russian humanist. And he showed me scenes from the future of this center finished and many people visiting it, trying to connect with the culture of peace. As if, I don't know, I say it here on camera as a spontaneous reflection, as if these beings, whoever they may be, were interested in any human effort for the awareness of peace. Of course, that is the case. I am convinced as a contact witness that these beings seek human beings to become aware of our actions and live in greater communication with the planet. And I think that Capilla del Monte, at the base of the mythical Mount Uritoco, is one of the most wonderful natural sanctuaries, like others that I've mentioned throughout this program. And there I met that being who calls himself Huitaikom. Then it was explained to us in other messages and other experiences that I've been able to verify with different local contact witnesses that they can manifest themselves more easily before, during, and after a storm. That is, storms generate some kind of interdimensional access for them to manifest themselves. Maybe not in all cases, but curiously, many of the contacts that have been reported on Mount Oritoco have occurred before, during, or after storms. By the way, an important detail is that this region of the mountains of Córdoba is considered one of the areas of the world with the greatest electrical storm activity. So much so that NASA sent its lightning project to investigate it, since these storms generate a lot of antimatter. Interesting. Something to investigate. Also, another fact of interest is that in the area there are several stone altars used by the Comechingones and other cultures that preceded them, like the Ongamira culture or the Ayambitin culture. They are like holes in the rock that are filled with water during the storms, and through them you can observe the stars like a cosmic mirror. All this deserves further research. We have published our findings, but I think that will be the subject of another episode. And another detail that I cannot fail to mention is the code of contact with these beings. It has to do with resonance and sound, as we discussed in other episodes of the Ark of Time. I'm talking about the mantras in Irdin, a cosmic language or ceremonial language, which became very popular in the 80s in Capilla del Monte, but that, in reality, has been present in contact cases since the 50s, the aforementioned Angel Cristo Aconglanis was the one who worked the most with these mantras in those years, at least until 1989, when unfortunately he was murdered in his chiropractic clinic in Buenos Aires. The cause of his death at the hands of a fanatic follower who shot him at point-blank range has nothing to do with these experiences and contacts, but with other personal matters. And out of respect to the family, I won't go into it. The truth is that beyond all these stories, contacts have continued to this day, and a sea of mystery surrounds Humaya, Epatiquama, Sikuma, Saluma, and other beings are, who seem to be the guardians of the vortices of the earth. The Irdin vibration code, the sound, does not mean anything in particular, although you can associate it with a cosmic language. I think they are feelings, vibrations. They are the frequencies. The people who use these vibrating channels to connect with them 
or with other realities. It's very interesting. Maybe these beings are not so interested in what we say. They are not so interested in what we think or in our intellect, but they are more interested in how we feel and how we act. That is, how we resonate. It may sound like magical thinking or too mystical of an explanation, but I am convinced that when we open our hearts and vibrate in the frequency of the magic of love, that's when incredible experiences also happen. And that's what happened with my innocence when I saw Maya, when I entered the cave of Cusco, or when I accepted that invitation to meet the mysterious Huitaycom in person. What I've learned from these experiences with these beings of light is somewhat different from other close encounters that we affirm to have had with entities of extraterrestrial origin, such as the Alpha Centauri episode and the manifestation of beings like Ivica or Antarel, which I have described in multiple interviews. We're talking here about beings of energy which are interdimensional, who perhaps emerged like this, who perhaps adapt to the contact witness as a human figure or silhouette, but that is not their original form. They are spheres of light. They live, proceed, or manifest, or arise from the nodes of the earth. And although they have transmitted impulses of information that have been decoded from telepathic, psychographic communications, even in spiritual principles or teachings related to the mysteries of Uritorco, as we have previously published, I think the most important thing is to find yourself face-to-face -face with these beings, or at least become aware of their existence to know that you are the same, that you are the same. A sphere of light was transiently living the human experience. Therefore, you have to have consciousness that we do not have to necessarily look for a spiritual experience because we are already spirits. We are living a human learning experience and you may not want to remember contact with this type of being. And since we have talked about manifestations of beings of light, our next journey will take us to the origin and destiny of souls, according to messages of extraterrestrial origin. I'm Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho, and you are on board the Ark of Time. And we are at the Ark of the end of this time together. Um, Rainbird, I'm going to just say, may we know that it's done and that we're all blessed and abundant and prosperous right here, right now. And these angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, and all the little people and the big Sasquatch ones, they all say yes. And here it goes, coming to you. Here it comes, Rainbird. Okay, and I concur. Yes, it is done. <laughs> <laughs> yahoo! Yeah, yahoo! Now it's on us. We got to pass it on. No return. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's do that. Just exactly that. As as we go throughout our week and meet again next week, we'll celebrate. <laughs> 
I believe so. I something Rama keeps telling me something huge is around the corner. Right, Rama? Yeah. What? What, what Rainbow? With lots of U's in it. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it keeps reminding me of Bernie Sanders when I say that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I can hear his voice when you say that. What he knows, what he has seen in his time in Washington, D.C., is going to be amazing in terms of the outcome now. Yes, yes. What a and, what an amazing being. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, what a friend. <laughs> what a friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. So thank you so much for tonight. And, uh, yeah, lots of gratitude for all our lives and for being here at this time and being that witness and that midwife. So. Oh, I pass this talking stick to you, Rona. Here it comes. Okay. I just saw on the TV it's 83 in Houston at this hour. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Send some cool breezes. This is a what a friend you are, Greenbird. Thank you. Thank you. This is Aurora Ray, Rapid Ascension Revolution. Humanity's accelerating journey towards enlightenment. State University Global Campus. Find your online program at nmsu.edu slash global. A 5D vibrational experience. Dear ones, have you ever wondered what it might be like to exist in the 5D vibration? Before we begin, I want to point out that humanity has been ascending for a long time, but now it is accelerating exponentially. What does this feel like? As each soul takes its own path, it is important to know that some things will remain the same, while others will radically change. Below. I have outlined some of the key changes souls might experience or are already experiencing in their present life incarnation. When you are in this 5D vibration, your life will be filled with a very ecstatic and blissful feeling. And no matter what challenges or obstacles you face, this ecstasy and blissful feeling will accompany you throughout the day. To align with this elevated consciousness or higher dimensional vibration, you can use many techniques to raise your vibration, like meditation or mindful breathing. But even if all the techniques fail, there's one thing that always works. Love. The love energy is the most potent energy on the planet. You need to understand that our universe is based on love. Our planet is based on love. All living beings are based on love. Every loving action changes the energy vibrations for all living beings and each individual life on Earth. People who are in harmony with themselves are people who change the energy vibrations of others around them. When you dwell in the heart of love, you will experience a cosmic joy that is beyond human comprehension. 
In the 5D world, it is not only possible to experience an ecstatic and blissful state of being, but it is also possible to maintain such a state. The world of the third dimension is one of darkness, cold, and limitation. Here you will find all kinds of horror stories. The world of the fifth dimension is one of light, love, and freedom. Here you will find all kinds of happiness and unlimited possibilities. The 3D world is a world where everyone has to fight for his or her own survival on their own and where everyone has to endlessly look for their own happiness. In the 5D world, everyone works together to survive and everyone can easily enjoy their lives. You can easily get everything you want there, including your health and wealth. If you want to ascend your vibrational beingness so that you can enter into the fifth dimensional vibration, then you must continuously raise your vibration by thinking only positive thoughts. Because if you think negative thoughts, your vibration will fall again. The majority of humanity are currently third dimensional beings who must ascend to the fifth dimension through the fourth dimension. And because their current vibrational frequency is too low, they will be unable to directly reach this 5D higher dimensional vibration. It is difficult, but not impossible, for them to ascend into the fifth higher dimensional vibration at their current level of consciousness. Many people have attempted but failed to transcend to a higher frequency. They failed because they only understood a portion of the process. To enter into the 5D higher dimensional vibration, you need to open up all four doorways or dimensions of consciousness. These four dimensions are the physical world, the mental world, the spiritual world, and the emotional world. You need to align yourself with all of these four worlds so that you can reach a state of coherence or harmony within yourself. The majority of people are out of sync with these four worlds. When this happens, it is a sign that they are not in balance. This can be caused by the fact that they do not live from their heart, but from their head. In other words, they are in their heads, and therefore the feeling of being overwhelmed is there. Higher dimensional beings live through their hearts, because this is where the purest love resides. By looking at life with love, they can create miracles in their lives. The heart knows before our brain thinks it, that's why we have these butterflies in our stomachs when we meet someone we like. We feel love for each other, but our brains do not think so yet. When we use our heart as a guide to life, we will notice that there are many more dimensions than just one, two, and three dimensions. There are indeed an infinite number of dimensions, and they all vibrate at different frequencies. The physical body of the third dimensional world uses the chakra system of seven major energy centers. The physical body of the fifth dimensional world also uses the 12 chakra system in its original form as an energy system, but it also uses this energy system to connect with the multi-dimensional consciousness and to translate that consciousness into the physical body. The fourth dimension is a world of invisible energies. These energies, however, are not separate from you. They are you. You are made of these energies. You are made of energy and you are made of light. The fifth dimension is a new energetic reality free of any negativity. 
allowing all conscious beings that live there to have a greatly higher quality of life. People who choose to stay on Earth will continue to experience pain and suffering as part of their human experience. But those who choose to move into this new reality will never again experience negativity in any form. This does not mean that they will be immune to feeling emotions like sadness or anger. Instead, it means that they will no longer be subject to the negative influences that others have traditionally had over them. They will be able to live in the space of love and light, free from strife and worry, where they can return to their true divine nature and live the life they were always meant to live. The choice is yours. If you wish to remain on Earth, you can do so. If you do not feel ready, you are welcome to stay until you feel that you are ready. The choice is yours. People who choose to stay on Earth will continue to experience pain and suffering as part of their human experience. But those who choose to move into this new 5D consciousness will discover a renewed sense of connection to family, friends, and all living things. As a result, they will feel loved and cherished. In addition, their creativity will flourish, and they will feel driven to accomplish great things. They will also find themselves developing an interest in spiritual matters as they realize that they are more than just their physical bodies. Ascended beings are able to live in harmony with nature and are able to communicate telepathically with other ascended beings. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. I was just going to say it sounded there for a while like um, Aurora Ray through the narrator was saying that we wouldn't be here. Mm. if we were to ascend in the fifth dimension, yet after she or he left that interpretation as, as a possibility, he changed it and said, you know, that we can be with family and all of that. We're not, we're just in the, I guess it's the old earth that he was ta- kept talking about. And the new earth is in the fifth dimensional consciousness. Heads in the clouds and feet on the ground. Is that the right way to put it this? Mm-hmm. All right. Rama's got a song. Okay. We'll recognize it, I believe. <clears throat> Deep peace to us all. The world over. And... uh Mahalo Nui Loa. Sat Nam. Sat Nam D. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart. No evil, live long and prosper. Aloha, everyone. Aloha. <laughs>